I rose from the ashes because you can't keep a good flamer down. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, recently profiled in the New York Times. Ooh, so fancy. Ooh. He thinks he's wearing a top coat and tails right now. <laughs> and with me today is returning guest, Anthony Oliveira, writer of the current Marvel's Voices Infinity comic, Young Avengers. That seems to be going well. Ah, uh, so fun. So great. So How delightful. are you today? I'm better. I'm no longer dying. Congrats yeah, to all of us for no longer dying. Yeah, you could not speak or yeah, make Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, the, I got the COVID and it made a real go of it. Tried to take me out. So we had to delay your recording by like a week, and then I got the monkeypox vaccine sure. and felt luminously insane for about yep. three days. Were you, did you, what is New York doing? Just the one, because- I'm in LA, so- Oh, oh yeah, you're in the weird non-Euclidean corner situation. I see that. I went and stood at Obregon Park for like three hours yeah, in waited the in line at the dick sucking Wednesday. factory yeah yeah well i was it was funny because like only in la i was online with a gay actor i recognized mm -hmm. that was a little bit of a thrill he took his shirt off to get the jab and i was like hey oh, did he have to do that he just wanted to do that he had a button down on which was fully insane behavior but i love that for him uh-huh uh, so he just took it off are americans getting like, because when I went, it was a two-for-one dealio where you got the monkey, uh, the monkey ball and the, um, uh, I got COVID number four at the same time. Oh, no, yeah. I did not. I'm oh, getting I had a, a real roller coaster. It was like my right arm was hurting. And then my, I've got still the monkey one, monkey ball. Wait, why, wait, 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 wait. You got your COVID booster, even though you just had COVID? Yeah, I you whatever. Were supposed to wait. I'm, just, I'm a Superman or I'm going to die. I'm Mr. Burns where all the viruses are stuck in the door at the same time. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. I just felt like my arm was really hot and I was very mm. tired and my brain didn't quite work. But yeah. if you're listening, faggots, go get your monkeypox vaccine. Get vaccine before the straights realize it's coming for us all. And then <laughs> I know like three people who have had monkeypox. It sounds really fucking terrible. So don't get monkeypox. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, when it comes for the straights, they're not going to let us have any of the vaccine. So you better no, get exactly. it now while it's yeah. gay exclusive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that early window. It's like drag culture. <laughs> like once they get a hold of it, it's not ours anymore. Yeah, exactly. so you better be careful. <laughs> and then they'll get mad at us about it. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> they're like, "What do you mean you don't watch RuPaul's anymore?" Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "I'm sorry, I fell off after season ten. It just got a little repetitive for me. No disrespect I, to the queens. Yeah, I have to catch up because now there's the Canadian and a bunch of friends are on it. And I oh, that to, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And I have to be a good citizen for when I reemerge from my feverish enclosure reading all 140 of Pyro's appearances in Marvel Comics. I'm astounded <laughs> that you did that because most of them are not super essential. A lot of them, it's like, and Pyro was there. And Pyro was there. There's a group shot, Force is hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> and me. You know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I did a little brag at the beginning, but for people who are not aware, God, so much has happened since I recorded the Magma episode with Alex Abad Santos. That was before San Diego Comic-Con. 
Just FYI, update in case you've been checking, Betsy and Rachel are still gay. Yep. That had not happened yet. Someone was like, it's really weird that you don't talk about that in this Magma episode. I'm like, because it was recorded before. I'm checking the feed on her bionic eyeballs, and she is still Still kissing ladies. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She doesn't have have the bionic eyeballs. Don't send a letter. (laughs) Don't send a letter. But if she did, Mm -hmm. they'd be staring right up the Ascani Punani right about now. (laughs) Well, we're running hot from the top, aren't we? In any case, (laughs) Betsy and Rachel are officially a couple. Rachel Mm -hmm. is officially going by the codename Ascani. Shout out to Teeny Howard. Congratulations to Teeny Howard. Five million years making this happen. She she was running up that hill. She made a A deal with God. A long time ago, yes. Also... Very properly, let me say, congratulations for that New York Times profile. Well, thank you. That's the other thing I was going to say is, yeah, if you're not aware, Cerebro was profiled in the New York Times by mm-hmm. Kwame Opam, a great reporter. A photographer came to my apartment. It was great picture. You should use that forever. Thank you. I asked him <laughs> to send me the outtakes so that I can get some. Oh, yeah. Like, I want a free headshot. Headshot. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, not free. I'll pay for them. But like, I want to, you know. <laughs> If you're listening, Carlos Gonzalez, you did an amazing job on that photo. I curated the omnibi that were sitting on my oh, patio. Oh, that with was me. all a choice. Yeah, very. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But the funniest was that then when he took some like ambiance photos of my collection in the apartment, the most prominently displayed title in the image in the New York Times is the twelve. <laughs> Justice for the living monolith. I got the 12 <laughs> omnibus into the paper of record. But no, it was it was a really lovely opportunity. It was very flattering to be asked. I was glad that I got to talk a little bit about what I do here and uh, also note that the mutant metaphor is particularly relevant right now in the context of the public debates about trans people and their mm-hmm. dignity and their rights particularly given the New York Times recent choices on that front, which I don't approve of. So, oh boy. Yeah. You know, it was just a really weird whirlwindy kind of thing to have happen. And I, I was very excited. And well-deserved. I mean, you got so many people through this fucking pandemic, like on your back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I just don't think of it that way. Cause I just talk into this little talky thing and then, you know, spend 10 hours in audacity and then people (laughs) tell me I'm great in my phone, but I don't really think about it as real until you go to cons and then people are like, I love your show. And you're like, oh yeah, we're going to be at FlameCon together. That's We are. We got to hang that laundry line between. Yes, finally (laughs) announced that Cerebro and Explain the X-Men will be having a crossover live show at FlameCon August 20th in New York City. If you're in the area, please come down. Jay Ed and I will be in conversation and then we will do a Q&A. I don't know when or if that will ever be posted, that audio. I'm going to try and make that happen. But at least for now, it's a Just con wear a exclusive, wire. Yeah. baby. So <laughs> come to the con. Tony will also be at the con. I will. Yeah, I'm doing the... Um, I'll have a 
booth. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do at it, but uh, I need I'll to ask. order some merch to sell. I'm like, figure, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I have to do that. I was thinking about doing tarot readings. I think that would be fun. That's chic. And I'm doing the Marvel, uh, queer Marvel po- uh, panel. I'll be uh, moderating that too. Nice. Well, lots of friends of the pod will be there. Steve Orlando will be there. Josh Cornillon will be there. Josh Trujillo will be there. I'm going to forget people, so I'll just stop right there before I forget people. Nadia Shamas will be there. Nadia Shamas will be there. I don't I don't actually know Nadia. Oh, I'm having cocktails with her tomorrow. It's going to be... Oh, well, say hi for me. <laughs> I'll be serving my pyrogaritas, which I've just invented. I really loved her X-Force annual. I thought it was actually super metal that a Palestinian was writing X-Force. I think yeah. that that's... I'm sure some crazy people had something to say about that, but I thought that a Palestinian writer writing the mutant security apparatus and like being like, hmm, security apparatus is kind of <laughs> fucked up was cool. I was like, that's yep. punk to me. Yeah. She rules. And her partner, Yuri, has the greatest knockoff like Colossus zine because Yuri is Russian. Mm. And they were like, no one Russian has written this character. Let's do And like, if you can get your hands on it, I have two. And I, I will not share has them. Has no so. one Russian ever written that? I don't character? think anyone. Ha- I'd have to think about it. But it's like a great little zine about uh, trying to trying to get them to reprint it because it's so good. Maddie Lubchansky invented scenarios for the character on this podcast. But I guess that technically is not canonically writing the character. Mm, so. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you probably talked about it in that episode if there was ever a Russian who wrote them. Oh, it was early in the pod. We mostly mm. talked about whether Colossus was a top or a bottom. We were not really getting <laughs> super <laughs> analytical. He's a bottom, by the way, if you're listening and are not a longtime listener of the pod. We are here today to talk about Sinjin Allardyce. Are we going Sinjin? His name is Sinjin. Avalanche calls him Johnny a lot, is the thing. Avalanche is foreign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew we had to talk about it. Like, I guess we're going Sinjin, yeah. Well, I've never heard of a person whose first name is St. John, and it's not pronounced Sinjin. Yeah. I guess. But you are right that people call him Johnny on occasion. All the time, yeah. 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 So we'll choose our own adventure on that. Actually, before we get into that, we should talk a little bit about your Young Avengers comic. Oh, which you read, yes? Yeah. I did. I made you read course. an Avengers comic. I know. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I was like, it's like guy who only reads X-Men comics. Getting a lot of X-Men vibes out of this comic. Mm, like, no, mm. I'm, just, I'm kidding. But No, it is very X-Men heavy. The Macron... The actual vibe that I got a lot of was um, strong recurring mom theme. Yes, in this, uh, yes, this yeah. Story. I don't know where that could have come from. <laughs> yeah, parents in general, but definitely, but specifically, like, oh no, my mom. Our yeah. time together is so precious and fleeting. Yeah. Like, what's and going even, on yes, with my mom? Yeah, you <laughs> that's know? true. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> your podcast was your pandemic work. Mm-hmm. I think that this series was my pandemic work. Um, uh, how personal? I'm going to cry by the end of this episode anyway, so let's just... You don't need to get super personal. I just know that you have an interesting and complicated relationship with your mom, who you are Sure, with. who is very ill and... And who, who is very sick. Yeah. And, and so, so... I, I was reading all of these characters being like, wow, I wish I could spend more time with my mom. And I was just like, hmm, wow, I wonder where this came from. But not to, you know, not to be... uh, No, 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 no. I I totally... But also not to be like assuming that creators are writing autobiography because they're not always necessarily, but you do put some of yourself in there. Very true. And and this one was intentional. Like I did want this to be like... Um, 
what what does it mean? I wanted to really catch these characters up, which always means thinking about ways they are traumatized. And, and ways they've aged. I mean, I thought exactly. that it was, it was good. To, I mean, I haven't read a lot of their post Gillen McKelvey mm-hmm. stuff. So it was like, occasionally I was just like, oh, okay, so that's a thing that's, I forgot yeah. entirely that Kate Bishop's mom was a vampire. Exactly. Example. That's one of, it was kind of designed to be that. It was like, yeah. if you haven't read these since the Gillen McKelvey, like her mom's a vampire now. Why? And I remember that when you did it because I was like, "That's in West Coast Avengers, right?" But it just yeah. hadn't. I just had not exactly. had gone in one ear and out the other. And I wanted it to feel like, what if you went for like a drink with a friend from high school who's now an adult like you, and like, where are they, and what are they dealing with? And in, I also wanted to think about like, we have to think about where we came from as we become adults, and so coming to terms with that was one of the major themes of this work. Yeah, I mean, I thought that the America Chavez thing was interesting, too, because you have to contend with the fact that her backstory has changed. The triple retcon? Yeah, that's a yeah. fun needle to thread. <laughs> it's a bit of a it's a bit of a dance. Yeah. And again, the, like, you want to was going like, were there moms? Like, yes, of course. But like, mm. are my moms real? Unclear. Like, you know, and like all of that stuff that <laughs> I thought that was good, because, of course, like. Her moms are dubiously real, just like Wanda's children are dubiously real, right? Yeah, exactly. It all kind of feeds itself. It was definitely me thinking about next steps, and for them and for me, like, and for the things we have to mourn as we become adults. Mm-hmm. And the things we have to give up, like the values that are instilled. I, issue six hasn't come out yet, but it's very much about like... But it'll be out by the time they're uh, yeah. hearing this. And it's kind of the thing we talked about in the Exodus episode, where like you inherit a certain mental architecture from the ideologies you're infused with as a kid, and you have to learn how to surpass them, but also how to come to grips with the fact that you will never surpass them, right? There's that line Emma Frost says to danger... Where it's like you never you never get past your programming, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like I think that's true of everybody, and that's what this piece was about. And I'm so glad everyone enjoyed it, and I'm so glad everyone is being so loud about enjoying it because I would love to write some more of these kids. So it's on the Marvel Unlimited app now. If you want to check that out, it will hopefully be collected in print at some point if the Young Avengers fans stop posting every single page to social media. <laughs> We got to get those clicks. Yeah. Don't know we if they understand that when the they album. do that, it hurts the writer and the book. Hashtag mm. support the book. Here is the entire issue posted on <laughs> Tumblr. It's not enormously helpful to more of it ever happening because mm. at old Marvel headquarters, they're not going to get the Tumblr notes as yeah. part of the click ratio. So just a word to the wise yeah. on how that yeah. works. The game but is you know endless. what? The enthusiasm is lovely, too, I guess. I love it. And I'm so touched. And thank God, because if it was bad, I would wilt like a delicate flower. So. <laughs> I'm glad that you finally got to showcase Hulkling's mom, your favorite character. Oh, yes. Mary Jo Altman. I love her so much. Well, you named her, didn't you? Wasn't she just mom until you uh, gave yes, her Yes, she was name? Mrs. Altman. And then she, we gave... <laughs> yes, it's true. Well, that was a lesson from Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. Chip, when we were doing the Emperor Hulkling book... Uh, he was like, let me tell you, whenever you get a chance, name a character. Yeah. It just deepens the story. And yeah, we named her there, gave her a human name. And then, then now, as and of... And then now you've given her a Yeah, a she is name. Antalya the Sun Clothed, which is... Bust out your Bibles, kids. <laughs> as with most things I write. <laughs> I did go, uh-huh. 
Cool. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of. Do you want to tell them where in the Bible? Because it's a weird place to go. Oh yes, there is an image in Revelation of a woman clothed in the sun who flees from the dragon with her baby in tow, which is to me an image. You'll notice the in the story there in the twelve star nebula, a woman fleeing with a baby and being pursued by a dragon is the image being invoked there. Yeah, a woman clothed in the sun. Um, there's a lot of that happening in the book. Again, mm-hmm. we never escape that architecture, I guess. Yeah, well, you But know, I do love her, again. She'll find the 13th tribe someday. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, I actually, I just put up on my Patreon the um, playlist, because I write to playlists, and mm-hmm. the Diaspora or- Oratorio is actually on it. So. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> God. <laughs> Well, I enjoy the fact that I know you well enough to read your comics and go, oh, for God's sake, Tony. Yep. But like yep. in like parentheses, affectionate, right? Mm, yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that. This is not an Avengers podcast. <laughs> Download on your phones or whatever. Stop posting on the internet. Tony, I'm thrilled because I know how long you've been working on this and how hard it is to get anything done these days. Mm, yeah. So it's exciting to see things come out. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, look at us. Look at us spinning straw into gold during making this pandemic. Making moves, <laughs> making it happen. Moving and shaking. Ladies who lunch, yeah. Ladies who lunch. <laughs> Speaking of ladies who lunch, Sins and Allardyce, <laughs> a.k.a. Poirot. Oh my God, how much have you been practicing the Australian accent? Oh, I've been practicing. Oh, it's good, it's good. See, the, the problem is my New Zealand is very good, I've been told. Yeah. But my that's... New Zealand is excellent, but... Australians harder. It's suited down here. Connor's entire posture changes every time he switches accents. <laughs> because it's about how you carry your po- You have to carry yeah. yourself a certain way, doll. Mm. Because mm. if you don't, you're not going to get the sounds right. It's about the way your soft palate lifts. And then he goes up here. <laughs> Someone named Gina wrote in from Australia. And I was like, Gina, we're going to talk all about this Australian character. Poirot. Well, if you're saying it like this, it has to be Sinjin. Yeah, like it's Sinjin. It His name is Sinjin. Yeah. Although that's more of a British thing, isn't it? Like Sinjin. Well, we should talk about that when we get to it. Because he's like... originally British and then he's Australian. Mm-hmm, or it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 an inconsistent. Yep. Beat. But anyway, he's Australian. Like uh, last time you were on the podcast, we talked about Kaino. We did. <laughs> Have you been watching a lot of Mortal Kombat clips to get in? Is he always Australian or just in the movie? He was Japanese, actually, in MK1 was the implication. He was, like, half Japanese. Oh. But then Trevor Goddard, may he rest in peace, played him in the movie, and they just immediately changed the video game character into the guy from the movie because it was the best it part of the, the movie. It's the hottest thing in the movie. Yeah, yeah so exactly. they were just like, that's Kaino now. Yep. <laughs> He's been an arms dealer from Canberra ever since. This is getting bad. It's all. It's already getting out of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> You're leaning back. It's turning New Zealand uh, when you lean back. I gotta, no, I know, I gotta, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Really hunch over. Yeah. Yeah, well, down under. Spread those legs, exactly. <laughs> down under with Poirot. Yeah, back X Men. Does he ever? He never happens in the outback. No, he, n- freedom he force never. Freedom uh, Force never goes down there because they think the X Men are dead. Right. They die at uh, Dallas. Yeah. In Dallas, in Fall of the Mutants. <laughs> This is really good. Um, <laughs> and Mystique goes, no, my daughter. They're only there to help. It was right, so sad. Yeah. 
Pyro has a lot of really sad beats at the end of the 80s. Forge, we're going to kill you for killing our <laughs> daughter. She hates him so much. <laughs> we're going to toss you on the Barbie is what we're going to Oh, gonna do. God, yeah. They do that... toss Moira on the Barbie, notably, <laughs> in, uh, in House of <laughs> She gets a nice roasting, nice flambe, yeah. Toasty. It's like a kissowary steak. Did you like this character when you were a kid? I had no real feelings on this character when I was a kid. Yeah. I liked the little monsters and things he would make in yeah, the fire. Yeah. I thought they were neat. And I liked that he was friends with Mystique and Destiny because I liked them, but I didn't mm-hmm. have really strong opinions on him. Hold on just one second because it is hotter than sure. I'm emu's tit at the moment <laughs> in this fucking apartment. Appropriate. So I'm going to turn on Good. a fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to flash back now to watching Byron Bay's, which was this Australian reality show that was on Netflix earlier this year. I watched it religiously, but it was only like eight episodes and I didn't, it's been a while, so. I think you should stay in accent the whole show. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with it, mate. <laughs> in Byron Bay's, they were in Byron, but the actual, the Byron Tourism Board or whatever wouldn't let them actually film in Byron because they thought it would be bad for the actual like town. Which it sounds like it was. It's so they filmed in the hinterlands. And then when the show came out, there was a flood in Byron and they all got in trouble because they were like, we're flooding and you're like doing your garish reality show. But the whole show was them talking about what awful trashy sluts every girl from the Gold Coast is. And like, she's from the Goldie. And I was like, where's oh. the Goldie? And it turns out the Goldie's like 45 minutes away. But then I thought about it. It's like, that's like Jersey, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, this every every country has a Jersey shore is the idea. Yeah, and it's right? like, and I guess yeah. it was the vibe I asked the Australian Zala gang, what was the deal with the Gold Coast? And they were like, the Goldie's like Miami. And I was like, oh. got it. Okay, yeah. Now, and Byron is more like, it's like Portland. Gotcha, so if Portland gotcha. and Miami were only 45 minutes apart on the coast. That would actually be probably a lot of culture shock. <laughs> right, People right. People traveling between <laughs> one and the other. Do so we know I where Pyro why... is from? Is that a detail? We know his grandmother's from Wallabaloo. No, I'm not going to risk saying... I'm doing a bad accent and people are going to yeah. write in. So you no, we don't tell- know where he's from, which is kind of the interesting thing about him, right? Like he's like... We know nothing about his childhood, actually. I believe, though, we do know. Isn't he from Sydney? I think he's from Sydney. Yeah, in some way he's from Sydney in the same way. But like literally he's British in his first appearance. Like, Well, right. But I think he's mentioned like growing up in Sydney. I yeah, did not yeah, read all exactly. 140 appearances. So. <laughs> well, that's the cool thing is he has no, like I said, like you read them and it's like, and Pyro was there. Like, he well, that's never why people really... don't even know he's gay. Exactly. They didn't read the comic. Which is the craziest part. Like, yeah, we did a whole, he's... like, four hours on Iceman being queer-coded. Like, Pyro is not queer-coded. Pyro Pyro's is just gay. gay. Like, Pyro's that's... like, like Mystique and Destiny. <laughs> Pyro is just gay. Yeah, like, yeah. you are given the tools to understand it, but it's not, like, a slow build. No, Pyro is so gay that it's kind of homophobic. I don't mean that. Like, yeah, I'm not even, but, like, because kind... it's a John Byrne creation. And John Byrne doesn't quite cotton <laughs> to faggots in his comic books. He is... Also, if we're honest, like it's a mean homophobic pun because he's a flamer, yes, right? Like, he's yeah, a, he is a flamer. <laughs> he is a pyromania. But also, but he, also like, he shows up wearing a little ascot. He's wearing an ascot, using a fucking a cigarette holder, a long cigarette holder. And his first, literally his first panel appearance, he is by the drink cart making a drink. <laughs> like, yes. Look, he's he's like, a no, I mean, he's a no coward character. Yeah, he's, appearance. exactly. He's very hay fever. He's a no coward, comedy of manners. Kind of 
He's like he's like Truman Capote. He's like Quentin yeah. Crisp, a Gore Vidal kind of energy. Yeah. I was talking to I called Matt Baum about this kind of mid-century type because I was like, "What are we talking about when we talk about it?" And he was like, "We literally just sat there brainstorming." And it's like Paul Lind, Bruce Valanche, Charles Nelson Reilly, Rip Taylor. Yeah, I was like, going <laughs> to you're just you just start rattling them off. You know yeah. what I mean? Do you know what he really is, though? Because it's the 80s. He's, what's his name from Kids in the Hall? Oh, yes. Um, oh, God, I went to his fucking book launch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scott Thompson's character. like The, the character is character. what I mean. Not yeah, Scott yeah, yeah. Thompson himself, but yeah. like the bitchy character. Yeah, who's exactly. The martinis and telling you exactly what he thinks <laughs> of you. Exactly. But he's also like super... He is, from his first appearance, an intellectual character, right? Yes. Like, he is a novelist from very early on. Well, he contrasts the blob in that way, like, very His first thing he ever does is, like, attack blob for being a misogynist. Because yes. Pyro loves Mystique and he loves Destiny. Like, and loves women. They are his girls. <laughs> Those are my girlies. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't be rude to the Sheilas. I yeah, don't exactly. want that. In my curious organization. He's like the guy at the like the meeting who like defers to the lesbians because the lesbians always have their ethics right. And he'll just stand at the back of the drink cart and make sure everyone's taken care of. But he's very he's politically involved. Like that's why he's in the Brotherhood in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what I like is also that his powers are not particularly, again, like actually in a lot of ways, like Iceman. They're aesthetic. Like he's an aesthete. Yeah, the thing that's really weird about him, and pe- some people wrote in about this to ask about it, is like, he can't make fire. Yeah. That would be too manly. Exactly, yeah. He shapes All it. he can he do is shape the fire. He's a yes. fire artist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He makes it into stuff. He can control fire, but that's why he carries that flamethrower backpack on his, his back. His little kerosene things out of his wrist, because he needs a source of fire in order to make his little sculptures. Right. And what's neat is it's so useless. He seems to have started using it. He never really was involved in battle ever, right? Like he's here as a favor to Mystique and Destiny, but is not particularly battle drained. I don't think I've ever seen him throw a punch in a comic once. No, he usually stands back. He actually, it's very, if you go to the original Brotherhood and compare them to Mystique's Brotherhood, he's the Scarlet Witch. Exactly. More than he is, you know, a, a fightery character. He stands back and points and makes, like, things kind of happen far Phoenixes away to the X. Like, yeah. Monsters and snakes. He makes, like, Jack Kirby ish big monster guys that the Fantastic Four would fight out of fire. Actually, Mastermind in the 60s used to do that a lot, where mm-hmm, it'd be like, mm-hmm. now there's a monster coming at you, but it was an illusion all along. <laughs> right. But these are not illusions. They are real. They are made of fire and they hurt. But yeah, I mean, like famously, Colossus just like runs it and clocks him across the face. Oh my god! I love that in every single fight, <laughs> he's always like, "I call Colossus," and he like burns off his. Clothes. He's like, "I want to fight. <laughs> I want to fight Colossus," and then Colossus punches him across the fucking face yeah. and cracks his jaw. I think it's that's in one ninety nine, right? Is like Colossus just runs right through the fire oh. and cracks him across the face, <laughs> yeah. which is so funny. And then he does the one two with Avalanche when they're arresting Magneto for his trial. That's where... yeah, in that issue, yeah. No, in that one he burns, he superheats him, and then Avalanche douses him in like the cold stuff, and then he's frozen for a long time. They're like he's dying, and then they arrest Magneto. 
for his trial, right? You're mixing them up. That's in, uh, I think it's 177, 178 is when they do the liquid nitrogen trick. Oh, thing. okay. And then right. in 199, yeah, yeah, yeah. when they arrest Magneto, right. Colossus runs right through the fire and, and Pyra turns <laughs> to, to Destiny. It's like, Destiny? And she goes, oh, he's going to reach you. <laughs> and then he just, Krakow! It's actually Krakow as the... Amazing. The, uh, the sound effect. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good stuff. Yeah, so Pyro is introduced as part of Mystique's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, if you gather that from our uh, <laughs> free association there at the beginning. Uh, he's introduced, therefore, in Days of Future Past, a really famous Iconic, movie which he really benefits from, right? Like it makes Yeah, because that'll keep iconic. you in circulation, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, he and Avalanche, I would say, are the two least significant characters in that team. And yet they are probably more recognizable to lay people, certainly than Destiny is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It helps that he fits well in like video games. And yes. like he's in Pride of the X-Men. He's in like... the Konami arcade game. Exactly. He's in the cartoon he's been in all the cartoons although not much in the animated series because for the same reason like dazzler and colossus yeah. and nightcrawler are not in there like anything that was in pride of the x-men does not We're go not in the cartoon use it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not in evolution is he he is is I'm he like sure. a little bit on and off yeah i think he's i if i'm not mistaken i get it confused with wolverine and the x-men I think he might be one of the more, like, he's just kind of one of Magneto's lackeys, but that might be Wolverine and the X-Men. By the way, if you guys haven't watched Wolverine and the X-Men, that shit It's good. It only (laughs) ran for, like, one season, but it's great. It rules. It's a great Emma Frost solo series. And, of course, he's in the movies, right? Which Well, that's what I was going to say, is that in the movie, they made him Iceman's best friend. Yeah. Which... Quote, quote, quote. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get there. But... I will say I think that made him a huge character. And, of course, that's ironic because he was dead at the time in the comics. So it didn't help him in the comics at all. Which is a real miss. Like, you should have had fucking... The Pyro miniseries should have been ready to go. He's literally the subject of, I think, the best scene in any X-Men movie, which is a low bar to clear. But (laughs) X2 is the one everybody likes. And in X2, he betrays the X-Men. And that's his whole... He gets the arc. And he gets to be in the scene... The God Among Insects scene, right? Yes. Like, we, where Magneto and Mystique are, like, being bitchy. Like, well, that's uh, how Magneto flips aside. him, is with that incredible scene. Yeah. What's what's your name? It's John, not Sinjin, but whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, what's your real name? Pyro. And he's like, he does the fire thing, and he's like, I can only, I can only shape it. I can't create it. And Magneto just rebukes him and is like, you're a god among insects. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And it's, like, truly one of my favorite scenes in the whole series And what I think is even more amazing that I only realized this week when I was thinking about it is that one of the inspirations for that early John Byrne pyro, this sort of effete, aesthetic, shamelessly out gay man. Is Ian McKellen. Is Ian McKellen. Right. Is early Ian McKellen who came out very early against Margaret Thatcher and was like, I'm gay and was doing the talk show circuit talking about how she had to be stopped, right? So it is this mm-hmm. really amazing full circle moment, I think, for that character. And there really should have been a comic on the shelves for it. I'm thinking about it now, and he didn't come out until 88, McKellen. 
but the affect that he gives off in those movies oh that's true yeah 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 that's true yeah he has this that version of mckellen from like the scarlet pimpernel or whatever you know what i'm saying like in mckellen doing a period thing or doing yeah. shakespeare is like very like you much said the noel coward thing actually one of the things that um, and I don't get credit for this. Matt Baum pointed this out. One of the people that Pyro seems to be emulating is actually James Baldwin, mm. where it is this kind of like very unapologetically effete gay man who's like a public intellectual. Yeah. Chain smoking on your late night talk show and insisting upon these radical viewpoints that the public doesn't know what the fuck to do with them. Right. There's almost like a Lenny Bruce ish kind of quality mm-hmm. about him. The older I get, the more I'm drawn to Pyro as a kind of way to think about the X-Men and to critique the X-Men. The thing that's tough about that for me is that the character isn't like that anymore. So it becomes difficult to... Yeah. It's interesting because it feels like a case where the adaptations sort of overwrote the character, particularly because the character was dead. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, importantly, there is a kind of there's a kind of cultural amnesia about this kind of figure, right? Yes. The fact that Paul Lind was on Hollywood Squares every night is something exactly. that, like, we have culturally lost kind of the memory of. And people are like, ooh, this gay guy on TV is so radical. And it's like, well, actually, there's a really long history of that. Yeah. Part of the history of television from the beginning, you know? Exactly. And there's a way that... Um, there's a way that there's a real violence to that effacement, and there's a way that that is simply a fact of history that, again, something that Pyro's history reflects is that all those men died. Right. Of AIDS, specifically. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and of course, exactly. Pyro dies of the legacy virus. Spoiler alert, but that is yeah. where his story goes. He is the most emblematic victim of the legacy virus, besides perhaps Ilyana, who's the one everybody remembers because she's an innocent little girl. Exactly. Which, again, and is, Pyro's the one who deserves it, right? Like that's right. obviously a tainted, quotation marks, right? Yeah, he, he's tainted, yes, as Exodus says. I feel like I've become the legacy virus correspondent <laughs> in a weird way. <laughs> but, but Exodus, again, a queer-coded character, right? Exodus takes the vow, right? Exodus right. is one of those gay men who's like, well, I'm not fucking then until this is stay, over. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And Pyro is the party boy who gets punished. And everyone, mm-hmm. when no one's sad when Pyro dies, right? Because Pyro deserved it. Well, right? although, I mean, I actually think that what's kind of radical about those late legacy virus stories with Pyro is that everyone's pretty upset when Pyro dies. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I just mean like this is the person. But in re- like in, yes, in the culture, exactly. I get what you're saying. But I, I do think that because of the veil of it being metaphorical and allegorical via the legacy virus, we're able to have characters mourning pyro in a way that is interesting and in a way that is different from because if you look at the other characters who get it and deserve it there's like mastermind who's the libertine (laughs) and infectia who's like a slut exactly and those characters it's like a pathos thing like you know, Hank holds infection while she dies and someone shows her affection for the first time in her miserable whore life is like right, basically yes. the implication, yeah, right? Yeah. It's very La Boheme kind of Exactly, energy. yes, 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 yeah. Rent for the kids. Right, rent with <laughs> an ending that doesn't isn't chicken shit. Yeah, exactly. yeah. oh right, because in rent they don't even die. Yeah. In rent she's uh, like, she's fine again, it's like, fine. She's fine yeah. again. She'll Broadway money. A couple months, but ba-da-da-da-da. the show is over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
God, I hate that show. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Controversial. Don't come at me. <laughs> yeah, no, but then there's Mastermind where it's like he is like the Marquis de Sade kind of like disgusting. Yep. That aristocrat guy, although he's not, but he has pretensions of it. Well, he's, um, he's, uh, what's his name? It's an illusion. I mean, <laughs> he's, what's his name? Angels in America. Um, Tr- Donald Trump's lawyer. Oh my God. Roy Cohn. How, Roy Cohn. Like there's something Roy Coney about Mastermind. Except that he's, well, he's very straight though. So I, I don't, to oh, me, Roy Cohn is saying. so specifically gay. Yeah, that's I'm just true. saying yeah, this yeah. is more, to me, Mastermind is more like one of those French writers who've got the pox. Do you get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Right. God, the Hellfire Club and their co- their 18th century cosplay. Yeah, like yeah, they're so weird, true. right? Yeah. He's what's his name? The Libertine, um, the poet. Uh, there's the Johnny Depp movie, uh, the Earl of Rochester. Like that's who he mm. is. He's the Earl of Rochester writing his poems about how his dick doesn't work and he has every manner of syphilis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's exactly what I was thinking. John Wilmot, right? Wilmot was the yeah the Earl of Rochester. Earl of Rochester. Yeah, yeah. And like Byron and like I was and I was gonna yeah, say and yeah. Lord Byron and I think that that is probably more Claremont's point of reference for the character is like yes. that kind of like you know yeah exactly Byron and Shelley and all of that stuff Pyro like is very... like um like Keith Haring like that's the kind right of, that's the um, thing it's it's different it's Halston or like Robert Maplethorpe yeah it's all of these gay artists who died. The person I was really thinking about is uh, David Voynerovich. Yes. I mean, he's the radical who would be in the Brotherhood. Ex- it would, yeah, he's the guy who literally, for the kids Would who don't strap know. the flamethrower to the back. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I mean, he designed he that did, jacket you see jacket. in the memes all the time. Right. They're like, if I die of AIDS, don't bury me. Just throw me on the steps of the FDA, right? Like, yeah. that's his jacket. And he was like, that's not just like, he was like an installation artist, photographer, a video artist. Yeah, it's unfortunate that he's been memefied. Yeah, but and now that'll like, happen. When his you're designs are like walking the Met Gala, and it's like, would he have loved that? I don't know about that, but yeah, exactly. Um, but that's very, Pyro. It's like very the, the Keith Haring is kind of the like, same, like yeah, exactly. commodification of that of those artists. Um, Not that Basquiat was gay, but you get what I'm saying, right? Exactly. Marginalized in other ways. I guess what I was just going to say is that, like, Infectia, Mastermind, those characters are characters who have earned it by some moral failure, exactly. And with Pyro, the way it is positioned through the 90s is just sort of like, and I think this owes to writers like Niciesa, who knew gay people dying of Mm -hmm. AIDS, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a Reagan or Thatcher era portrayal of like a gay man getting AIDS because of licentiousness or whatever, or like, you know, promiscuous behavior. He just is who he is and it kills him. Right, exactly. And there's nothing anyone around him can do to stop it. And it's like he was just marked from on high as the one who's going to die because of who he is. And they all just have to watch. Yeah, it has a... um, I don't know if you watched uh, the recent Angels in America with... uh, I don't watch Angels in America because I... I mean, it's brilliant, obviously, but I have no interest in, like, sitting and crying for five hours. That just, like, doesn't appeal to (laughs) me. You know I love to cry. (laughs) There are two kinds of people. I don't do that. I am the kind Um, of person who instead is like, I'm going to rewatch all of The Real Houses of Beverly Hills from the beginning. And sometimes... Strong emotions are provoked by that show too, <laughs> right, but it's right. not in quite the same like, yeah, let's do the Mourner's Cottage from Angels in America. No, thank you. I'm mm. good. 
I I'm good on that. I think it's one of it truly is to me like if you were like pick one text from the 20th century to save, that would be like Angels in America is the most important and the most beautiful and like thoughtful and um, certainly up there <laughs> you're saving the 12 <laughs> i am obviously saving the 12 omnibus no i'm just i was trying to think and like i think certainly if you were going to pick a piece of specifically like gay art mm-hmm. about that time like the, if you say the 20th century in its totality right. I start thinking about like well what about the world war ii stuff and like what about like the T.S. civil Elliot rights can movement? suck it and no, like <laughs> well yeah i mean t.s Eliot can suck it <laughs> But my point was bad. I'm just saying, not a great guy. There is a way, like if you've seen the TV version of it. If you're thinking these two pretentious English major fags are talking (laughs) a lot about writers, you're listening to the Pyro episode. Pyro fights with Stonewall about James Joyce on the way. Stonewall, the character who is also a member of Freedom Force, (laughs) just by the way. Um, he fights with him about James Joyce in the helicopter on their way but to Mirai But that's Island, why I'm saying, so. I'm saying if you're thinking that, it's because <laughs> Tony chose to do the episode about the gay writer who dies of AIDS. Yes. That yeah. is this character's role in the X-Men franchise. Yeah, he kind of has three, to me, three distinct versions, right? The Chris Claremont, like, effete aesthetic. Camp villain. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, you know what it reminds me of? That gay couple who are like assassins in Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, The James okay. Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bad guys in that are like this very femme gay couple who just like kill women viciously. Yeah. And those movies where you watch it now and you're like, this is odd. Or like Addison DeWitt from Yes. All About Eve. Like yeah. that kind of vibe of like um, nefarious oh, I, What's that actor's gay. name? George Sanders. Yes. He was Shere Khan in um, The Jungle yes. Book. Like that kind of, uh, in Rebecca, like. <laughs> Again, like a gay standing by the drink cart planning yes. your demise. Yeah. And then he, under Nicieza, he becomes kind of, again, the face of the legacy crisis, right? Uh, and then he's dead for 30, 20, 25 years. And now he's back in the Marauders era, right? Like, those are kind of the three phases to think about when thinking about Pyro. The funny thing about George Sanders, by the way, of course, is that he was not actually gay, except he was married to Jaja Gabor. And if oh, dating Polaris <laughs> is gay, then being, yeah. oh, you know what, actually, you know what's even funnier? He's the one, I just remember this, he's the one who was married to Jaja and then later married to her elder sister, Magda Gabor. Sheesh. She married two Gabor sisters. Boy. That's pretty gay. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, but I'm just saying, <laughs> that's pretty gay. Yeah, but, like, he's... Well, I mean, really, the archetype that we haven't actually talked about is, like, Oscar Wilde, right? Like, that's the kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. Or, like, a Swinburne kind of character, yeah. It's definitely playing on, an, on a Wildean idea... And I think that Byrne in particular, because I actually think that the design for Pyro is more to Byrne than to Claremont. Yeah, yeah. Well, Byrne is explicit where he's like, I wanted this character to be gay. Like, Oh, I know that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think that this is a character that's more of a John Byrne character, in part because like Claremont just never seems to care as much about the men, but also exactly. because he's sort of the evil variant of the gay who adopts North Star. Yep. Like, it's that same elder gay statesman, Oscar Wilde, slightly predatory to 18-year-old guys vibe. 
Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You get the impression he has fucked every member of the Brotherhood. <laughs> like that, that's that has a penis. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, for sure. Like, <laughs> we're going to get into lots of questions about, like, are he an avalanche a couple? Should he date Blob? There, I mean, like, and listen, you could make a case for just about any male member of the Brotherhood to be sticking it to yeah. Olsen and Allardyce. He's the party bottom. <laughs> He's the pass around party bottom of Freedom Force. <laughs> The thing about Freedom Force, especially the Brotherhood iteration that you see in Days of Future Past, is like that is just my group of friends. Yep. Like when you that panel where she's like, I am Mystique, and like holds her hand up in the air and it's like, This is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We are your future resistance at your peril. I'm just sort of like, that is my lesbian friend. Like (laughs) there is her (laughs) goth girlfriend in the corner. Seeing the future. <laughs> There's Avalanche, who is like the muscle a gay. Dumb top. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the dumb, hairy muscle guy in the tank top. And then there's the big bear guy. <laughs> and then there's Pyro. Yep. And then we get the three elder gays, the like crim- Crimson Command. Yeah. Then the three old ass gays yeah. come in Stonewall, <laughs> Super Saber, and Crimson Commando. <laughs> Those are Val Cooper's hires. Val Cooper's like, you need some old faggots in this crew. And Pyro is at first resistant, but like is then immediately flirting with Stonewall all the time. Yeah, like, well, Stonewall's books, pretty jacked. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Does Stonewall have the exact same powers as Blob that you can't move them? Is that yeah? The but idea? he's hot, <laughs> right? They have the same powers, but one of them's fat and one of them's muscular. So right. you know, how could you ever? <laughs> Jeez. I think Stonewall, though, is more of like an, a Colossus type, like invulnerability. Yeah, guy. but they definitely do a but lot don't of they, like, yeah, I mean, he can't be moved, right? His name is right. Stonewall. Well, like, because like, he's a Stonewall. That's yeah, the exactly. Premise, right? <laughs> he's theoretically not named for the gay bar, but there's simply no oh, way that he's yeah. not named for the gay bar. Like, Chris Claremont could throw a rock. While Chris it's and Annie were down the pyramid. <laughs> they know exactly yeah, what they're exactly. doing when they name a character Stonewall. <laughs> Actually, I think Wheezy was editing this. But you know what I'm saying. Like, everybody in that room knew exactly what they were doing naming that character Stonewall. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he's pre-existing, but I don't. I gotta be honest. No, this is not pre- a Stonewall episode. No, he doesn't pre- into no. it. Stonewall's like what, 1969? Like, no, you can't. No, no. But I'm, I'm just saying, like those three characters. If you told me they were like minor, Captain oh, America they're from villains, 1939 or something. Like, it would not surprise me. That's what I'm saying. Like, if we looked it up and it was like as an Easter egg, Val Cooper hires these sure. three Captain America villains from 1964, I would not be shocked. And it's like, he's named after Stonewall Jackson, you purr. Like, it, you know? <laughs> We're canceled, yeah. <laughs> These gays rewriting history. The bar was named after him in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I gotta look it up now, actually. If he pre-exists? Stonewall. It's from that weird period where Marvel. Claremont is like throwing There's two in. Marvel Stonewalls because there's also the Absorbing Man's gay son is also called Stonewall. Oh, if you knew that. dear. Like a, that's a newer character. I don't know if I did. Really? I think I've met yeah. him before. That sounds kind of fun. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not great, honestly. I've, I've, heard, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard some things about that character that are not ideal, but this is not... A uh, an Avengers podcaster at uh, the <laughs> Absorbing Man is what Hulk? He was, yeah, he was what's his name? Ned uh, Nolte, Crusher Creel. Yeah, oh, is wait. the guy's name? Yeah, but but he's like his dad in the movie, right? Okay, like, so the Freedom Force one is named Lewis Hamilton. Uh, that's Sybil and S. 
Lou, Lewis not Lewis. Hamilton. <laughs> no, okay. He was created in Uncanny X-Men 215. I was just like, it's entirely mm. possible these are weird pulls from Chris. But yeah. No. That's the period where he's like, here's a motorcycle gang. Yeah. I mean, like Longshot and Spiral, for example. He's just like, and he made some fun characters. Let me throw yeah. them in here. You know? Well, really Mystique, too. Like, this blue lady. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that yeah, that was just a doodle that, that Dave Cockrum did. But, like, I'm thinking of the way that he used Carol Danvers, for example, and, like, really reframed that character mm-hmm. entirely. But she was created by Roy Thomas in the 60s as Carol mm-hmm. Danvers. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was just looking into it. The point, it doesn't matter, and we'll just, we're just going to move on now. But, yes, he does start flirting with that guy. Before he dies, right? Like, that's... Yeah. That's... Don't yeah. Ex- exuant to the... Exunt <laughs> those guys who all die. Well, it's that's that's after Destiny gets killed on Muir Island. Yeah, it's um, it's a slaughter. Like, they go in to save Rogue. Basically, we're getting rid of Freedom Force because we're pivoting into the new X-Factor soon. Yeah. And so, like, we have to clear off Val's government team so that Val can hire a new government team. Because that's the premise of the book we're about to do. And it has that really touching moment where Pyro has just watched his friends die. Like, he thinks Avalanche is dead. Super Saber gets decapitated, which is fully wild. (laughs) (laughs) Lady Deathstrike, like, pulls out uh, Avalanche's innards. Like, she slashes him apart. Stonewall gets shot to pieces, I think. And Pyro is like, I'll never know if my book was a bestseller. And Mystique says... I'm sorry to have led you to this. And he says, at least I'm dying with a friend. Like their relationship is actually, if you're tracking it, really quite lovely throughout Mm -hmm. that series. They are very much like a gay man and a lesbian who are like best friends, which is kind of fun. (laughs) That's not when Super Saber gets beheaded. That happens later. That's when... uh... It's like they're in Iraq. Ugh, the Iraq story, yeah. And they fight like superheroes <laughs> in Iraq. Well, because yeah, once you said Lady Deathstroke, I was like, oh yeah, that's the Reavers. That's earlier. The Iraq story is worth mentioning. It's hard to read because it's across five books. I kind of read it as a. Re- it's not great, but I kind of read it as a rebuke of like freedom force as a concept well, right because they're supposed to get a nuclear physicist who's been captured yeah by the iraqi forces yeah they're supposed to get him out because america rah rah america right and like and then when they're not winning and they're going to fail the mission pyro burns him alive to a- avalanche's horror like yeah, avalanche, avalanche is like, what did you disgusted. just do and it's their breakup. Like, it yeah. is, it's the moment, like, it is the moment where they separate. Fire's like, orders are orders. I'm a company man. Yeah. The U.S. government told us if you can't retrieve him, execute him. Right. Which is the kind of thing that the CIA is going to do, yeah. you know? And it marks their kind of breakup. Like, yeah. they, because the next time they meet is under Fabian Nicieza in the moment when Fabian really is. The longer, every time I come on your podcast, I feel like I have a greater appreciation for just how brilliant Nicieza is as an heir to Claremont. Like he really Mm -hmm. is kind of taking Claremont's themes and being like, okay, how does this work now? Like he really is, it's kind of a Freud and Young thing where it's like, Claremont would not like any of the directions Nicieza went. Sure. But but it is a good heir. He did name Cortez Fabian. Oh, I never thought about that. Oh, really? You didn't think of the fact that he named the Spanish guy who gets close to Magneto and betrays him and steals his seat of power? 
Fabian? <laughs> oh, that had never wow. occurred to you? Sheesh. Oh, wow. But yeah, so it's like when he recurs is an issue that's kind of hard to track down because it's misflagged in a lot of wikis. But you really, if you care about this character at all, you really should read it. It's one of the annuals. Some with Empyrean. Yeah, the Empyrean, the Jonathan Chambers stuff. Yeah. I read a bunch of this issue in uh, the Kanan episode because oh, it's, it's also so the issue where we good. find out that Kanan has the legacy virus. Yeah, it's a double reveal. It's X-Men Annual team. number two. It really is very good. Uh, but go ahead and, and talk about it. I'm well, just... maybe it's maybe we're going in the wrong order because before this is the scene we talked about a lot in the Exodus episode. That's right before this. There's yeah. an X-Men Unlimited story. It's the one where Fantasia is yes. on the boat in her bikini <laughs> reading a book called Astrophysics. <laughs> Iconic. And Pyro's in like a, like a Hawaiian red and yellow beautiful But like a gay shirt. Hawaiian yeah, Exactly. Shirt. Again, like it's always, it's always gay. In fact, in this annual where we find out he has legacy, he's drawn very old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of the panel in particular where he reveals the lesions yes, on yep, his neck. Yeah. He looks almost like, you know, Tab Hunter or Rock Hudson or like one of those. Well, guys. Rock Hudson is really the exact reference, right? You like, know, right. Rock well, Hudson. That's the is obvious what, reference. Yeah. He's just a blonde. So I'm thinking of like, yeah, yeah. It's sort of a mix of different matinee idols, but certainly the idea of like, look at this classically handsome secret Monty gay Clift. dude. Yeah, yes. Yeah. James Dean. Look at this classically yes. handsome, secretly gay dude who is about to die tragically. It's like very and who is hiding it, right? Like it's hidden, and who's under... hiding, yeah, hiding both his affliction and also his sexuality because it goes unspoken on the page. Mm-hmm. Although it is actually pretty much spoken in that issue because mm-hmm. that's the issue where because again he and Avalanche have had this fight and they haven't seen each other since Iraq. They haven't seen each other since Iraq, and Blob makes a comment. Yeah. There's a moment where Avalanche is basically coming out as uh, legacy positive on a balcony to Avalanche. Pyro is. Pyro is to Avalanche, who has not seen him. And it's really, the pathos is amazing because it's such, obviously there's also like, you can't have that scene on page because it's a gay scene. Well, because it's specifically, we were lovers who were together all the time, and then I did something bad, and you left me, and while you were gone, I got AIDS. Exactly. That's their story, which is, again, like... Exactly. That's exactly what it is, and so it has to be Hayes Code off page. Exactly. Because Comics Code is still going by those rules. So it cuts to the mansion, because they're in this rich guy's mansion, Jonathan Chambers, also incredibly Um, gay-coded. The Imperium? The Empyrean, the who is set up, <laughs> who is set up what he's calling, the story is called Blue Slice of Heaven. And I couldn't figure out why that was the title. So I actually messaged Joe Keenan, the Frasier, one of the Frasier executive producers, who wrote a book <laughs> called Blue Heaven. Oh, well, there you go. I was like, just apropos of nothing, just ask the guy. <laughs> I wanted to ask him, like, what is so gay about this title? Why is your book called Blue Heaven? Mm-hmm. Why does it come up in the 90s so much? And he was telling me that for him, Blue Heaven, if you, you want to listen, you can, it's a Frank Sinatra song, a Fats Domino song. There's a, a Smashing Pumpkins cover of it. There sure is, yeah. It's this song about longing for the white picket fence and the wife and child 
And for Joe, he was saying, like, that's the life in the 90s that gays knew they could never have. And that's what Jonathan Chambers is supposed to be setting up on this island, which is really a palliative care center. Well, yeah, for people with AIDS, legacy in this case, right. right. But also, like, specifically, the Empyrean's a fascinating character. I was just talking to someone in the Discord, I forget who it was, but they were like, I really thought the Empyrean was going to be an important character because that was one of the first, like, <laughs> X-Men issues I read. And he's such a big fucking deal. Yeah, he has and a big cape and then armor. ever comes back. He has a ponytail. <laughs> the Empyrean's deal that I think is really interesting is that he's a psychic vampire, like yep. Celine. Yeah. And M-Plate, like... And M-Plate, he's one of those. But it's not like M-Plate, because M-Plate's vampirism is not sexual in the same way. It's violent, you know what I mean? It has a sec- It has a, like a goth yeah. 90s yeah. vampire, the masquerade, slightly sexual edge to it. But it's more about the abuse. Like, he's feeding yes. on his sister. It's like a very specific, violent thing yeah. Celine is the seductive kind of vampire and Empyrean is also it's that. a it's a Dracula versus Nosferatu Exa- that's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying yeah 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 exactly or if you were doing a vampire the masquerade it's like again a Nosferatu versus yeah. like Turandor <laughs> yeah kind of Celine, right yeah. Celine could know like Lestat and you'd be like yeah that absolutely yeah. <laughs> right yeah no and so could Empyrean Empyrean has a very like Armand yes actually he's literally blonde Armand yeah yeah he also, though, like the way that he is soothing these dying mutants, because what Legacy does, I don't know if we've gone into detail on this on the show, but what it does as it kills you is it makes you more mutant progressively. Right. And you can't control it anymore. Your yeah. power goes out of control. And that is one way. It's funny. I was listening to an early episode of this show recently because someone reminded me of something and I went back to listen. I don't listen that frequently to old episodes just because mm. it feels weird to do. But one thing that's interesting, and I imagine for people who binge the show, which I know some people do, which is crazy because these episodes are long, but God love you. <laughs> one thing that's interesting, I'm sure, when you do that and binge it sort of in sequence quickly is that my opinions on certain stories change a lot over time. And I think I am much more receptive to the legacy of I remember distinctly now. you saying you hated it when I started talking, yeah. Now that I've reread pretty much every issue in which it features for various characters, but also, we talked at the beginning of this episode, like, Betsy and Rachel, still gay, but finally mm-hmm. gay. It took Rachel Summers 40 years to kiss a woman. Yep. Crazy. Like... <laughs> And I know in the 21st century how much one pushes to make something like that. Oh boy, people should be kissing Teeny's feet. (laughs) People don't, people simply don't know. They don't understand. They don't understand what it means not to own the characters. They don't understand what Mm -hmm. it means for the characters to be IP. They don't understand a lot of things and, and they come down really hard on these writers sometimes. And so when I... I'm looking now at a story like this. It helps that I know Fabian now. Yeah. To understand just how much they did get through mm-hmm. S&P in these issues yeah. is crazy. Because what Empyrean is doing is he drains mutant energy, not life force specifically the way that Selene does, but mutant energy. So in that way, more like M-Plate, who specifically has to drain right. mutants to survive. But in that case where it's parasitic, here he's using it in a symbiotic way with these people who are dying because their powers are going out of control. But the idea that Pyro 
was abandoned by Avalanche because he had taken the wrong path in life or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that Avalanche, the respectable partner, had left him and now you've returned and I'm sick. But it's also, I'm sick and I'm being taken care of by this older man with whom I am in an arrangement. Yeah, yeah. Where I am providing something that he needs physically and he is taking care of me while I die. Cyclops is disgusted by it. Like he thinks it's foul. Yeah. But the reason it's not because of the intimacy. It's because he's like, this guy is sucking you dry and you're letting him do it. He's using you. What I love about this issue. Well, we haven't gone back. We should go back and talk about the haze of it all. But I would say the one who's like, he's using you is actually Hank. And I think that that's. Of course it is. (laughs) But. Um. I'm like, you'd know a thing or two about that, Mr. Yeah. McCoy. God. Doctor, excuse me. Remember when you pretended to be gay? Um, <laughs> uh, but Pyro's rebuke is like, well, what are you doing? And it's a fair one. Like, Xavier has done nothing about legacy. No. He owns a mansion. Like, where is your palliative care center, right? Well, right. And that's the thing is, like, we think of him as doing a lot because he provides the facilities for Moira and Hank to work mm-hmm. on synthesizing a cure. But they're not taking anybody in. No, exactly. And people are dying in the streets. And he lives in a mansion. It's a far cry from the mutant massacre when Magneto brought those people into the mansion and turned it into a wartime hospital for refugees. Yeah. Just putting that out there. And the other... We should talk about the haze of it. Like, so Avalanche, just to go back, because it is, I think, really one of the most important pyro scenes. Avalanche and Pyro are talking, and the camera, quote unquote, cuts away to Fantasia and the other Brotherhood members watching this from a window, like Mm -hmm. a big bay window. And Blob, who is not looking, is sitting on the couch, says, are they kissing yet? Are they kissing yet? And Fantasia loses her mind, like, at how disgusting, like, Blob is being. She's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that's when, that's when Empyrean comes in in his robe and says, I am here to provide a blue slice of heaven for these people who are dying. And it really is the turning point. And then Pyro spends the 90s basically dying of legacy from then on. Yes, and desperately trying to find any way it can be cured, stopped, just to make the pain stop yeah. because clearly whatever happened with Empyrean didn't work out. Cause he ends up. Well, we never see Empyrean again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and the implication in Nicias's Empyrean story is that Pyro is going to stay there and die. Yeah. It, I mean, it really ought to be the last appearance of the character, but <sighs> I get why it's not because you've got, the, well, no, but I'm not, and I don't mean ever, but I mean like, you know, yeah. It's written as, please respect my choice to die in this facility. And then we see him on the street again without really any explanation the next time he pops up. He's stuck in a real loop where, like, he literally... There were moments when I was reading where I was like, did I read this one already this week? Like, Mm -hmm. because it really is, he's running through various cornfields and, like, he's in a church. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's very, like, where will I find sanctuary? But it's, like... It's the same story several times. Yeah. The story in the hospital with Cecilia Reyes and Daredevil. Yeah. He fights Daredevil a few times. By the way, the Daredevil issues, it's a shame. There's one where he and Blob team up fighting Daredevil, and it's uh, it's a John Romita Jr. issue, so it looks gorgeous. Yeah, it's Annie Nascenti. Yeah, but it's Annie Nascenti, and there's this... She's obviously a genius, but it has this 
to be honest, very nascenti thing where Pyro and Blob are like a sexual threat to the little yeah, girl. Yeah, to the women, right. Which is like... It feels off to me. Yeah. It's your usual thing where it's like, if it's not our next book, it doesn't count. Like, to well, me. Right. It's, I read it more as just like, she didn't edit those early issues where Pyro is so faggy. And right. so like, maybe she just didn't register that he was gay. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it's, they're very fair. much guest star villains and it's more about... <laughs> Yeah, and to be fair, it seems like a lot of people didn't get that. <laughs> exactly. But also, it's like, the big thing is, that story is more about, like, she gets to write Spiral again, which is fun for her. Yeah, yeah. She created Spiral, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not, uh, it's not really a, it doesn't really matter which mooks Spiral yeah. dispatches, you know? But anyway, so in this period, he fights Daredevil again, and he's coughing and dying, and then Cecilia Reyes has, like, a day in the life where she decides to be an X-Man because mm-hmm. she saves Pyro at the hospital. And she encounters in that, it's really kind of worth checking out because... It's a little well. Clumsy, she gets but... fired for helping him escape by accident. Let and again, you. it's very much a like, how do you treat AIDS patients, right? Because well, right. none of the doctors will touch him. And yeah. she's the mutant doctor exactly. who, amid legacy, is outed as a mutant. Exactly. And now is a danger. And she gets fired from her job because she helps the mutant with legacy. And nobody wants her to touch her them after she's touched The patients him. literally won't exactly. let her touch them. It's very much the subtext throughout. Yeah. yeah. And then his final arc really is, I think, elegant in design, if not in execution. His first issue is his attempt to murder Robert Kelly in Days of Future Past, and now he's trying to stop the murder his final issue is trying to stop Mystique from a new assassination attempt on Kelly because Kelly's running for president. Yeah, and he dies in Kelly's arms after killing Post, which, thank you. <laughs> thank you for killing Post. <laughs> but he's basically like, I'm not going to let us do this. I'm not going to let you do it. And, you know, he, <laughs> he saves Senator Kelly's life. Mm-hmm. Then he dies while, like, making Senator Kelly promise, help the mutants, please, Senator Kelly. Yeah, it is, along with some sage advice from Tessa, what convinces Kelly to flip basically his entire worldview on Mm -hmm. mutants. And then, of course, he's assassinated for loving mutants too much. But, you know, we'll revisit that on a Senator Robert Kelly episode. Oh, that's a good episode. Wouldn't that be a good episode? Yeah, that's a good one. It's. I've discussed it with someone. He has the wife who dies, right? She she sure does. Yeah, in the limo. She sure does. Do you want to know what that character's name is? Her first name. Mm, I don't remember. What is it? Sharon, which is the name of Claremont's mother. Oh. Characters that Chris Claremont names Sharon are something to keep track of. Sharon Friedlander, the nurse, is also named Sharon. It's a coincidence, but Xavier's mother is also named Sharon. She's a... A, like bizarrely sympathetic character, like outsizedly sympathetic in that issue. Yeah, no, <laughs> Sharon Kelly, the wife of yeah, exactly. Yeah, married to a monster, but she's. I, I mean, I, you know what? Here's the thing. I don't want to go too much into it because the person I did talk to about doing a Senator Robert Kelly episode, it's because they reached out to me and said, "Can I do an episode about Sharon Kelly?" And I said, <laughs> "Sharon does not have a full validation, <laughs> but we could do a Robert Kelly episode where we yeah. talk about Sharon." But yeah, no, that character's that girl's, fascinating. That girl's a fun time. She, yeah. she also she does for it. so much coke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, long after his wife's been killed, Senator Kelly is killed during his presidential campaign because 
he, and there was someone in the Discord reading this stuff recently who was just like, this feels a little contrived. And I said, here's the thing you have to remember about the 90s if you were not there, because <laughs> a lot of you were not now, they which is terrifying. There were, at the time, senators and members of Congress, people who had been active segregationists, who in the 90s were like, I have changed my mind on those issues and I yeah. support the African-American community. That was like a thing that yep. was happening, not as frequently as, you know, people who didn't change their minds at all, but there were a number of political figures. Who I have evolved identify. on this issue. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Evolving on that issue was basically the core tone of the late 90s, early <laughs> aughts on any number of things. Well, anyway, that's the end of the 90s period. And then he's dead for a long time. I don't know if you want to, mm-hmm. do you want to take a break before we do the? Yeah, I think that's probably a good, okay. so uh, <laughs> he dies of Kaposi sarcoma while saving a presidential candidate from assassination. Uh, and then we'll go to 2019. <laughs> so, no, actually there's some weird stuff in the middle that we'll get to. Oh, are you going to talk about Necrotia? <laughs> What podcast is this where we're yeah. going to skip Necrotia? It's not that Necrotia is good, but it's that it's about Selene. Right. So I'm going to take you through Pyro's complete character history from Days of Future Past up through Jerry Duggan's Marauders. And then we will return for more with Anthony Oliveira. We will uh, probably get into the questions pretty quick because we've talked about our favorite Pyro stories because we've talked about all of them. <laughs> This character is one of those characters who's mostly a henchman. He's like around, he does stuff. One of my favorite issues is the X Factor one where he's on the cover burning havoc and he is literally in two panels in the distance <laughs> in the issue and occasionally there's fire on panel and they're like that must be Pyro and it's like where is he? Where is Pyro? Right. His <laughs> only significant story arc is his death. Yeah. He doesn't have any real focus before Legacy. He's just kind of, you know, Mystique's pal who does crimes with her. And we love that for them. But, you know, not a character who was ever as big in the comic as you might think based on his role in adaptations. Anyway, we'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. And now, Miss Candy Southern and me, your host, with a message from our sponsors. Long time no see, beautiful boys and groovy gals. The summer's just beginning, and I, for one... (laughs) Oh my, that one was a whopper. What's the matter, Candy? Sorry, Connor, old sport. My allergies are just the pits this year. I'm afraid any ad for me is going to sound like it was recorded underwater. Have you tried Astapro over-the-counter nasal spray? It's the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray and starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, delivering full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. I've had terrible allergies this year, which is a bummer when you record a podcast for a living, but Astapro has kept me sounding crystal clear. It's got your back and your nose. And thank heavens for that. If you've got allergies like me and Candy, get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O, allergy.com. X-Men, X-Men. Sinjin Allardyce, best known by the codename Pyro, is an iconic X-Men villain with a relatively short history. 
created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne and designed by Byrne, like the hero Northstar, as a coded gay character, Sinjin debuts as part of Mystique's new brotherhood of evil mutants in the iconic 1980s storyline Days of Future Past. Initially implied to be British, the pyrokinetic henchman was later established as Australian. In the 90s, he became the primary face of the legacy virus storyline and would ultimately remain dead for about 20 years of publication until his triumphant return on Krakoa. The name Sinjin is spelled St. John, but I got to assume it's also a fire pun, right? Like, he's Sinjin people. We don't point that out in the rest of this episode, so I decided to put it here. Anyway, Sinjin Allardyce debuts in Uncanny X-Men 141 as part of Mystique's operation to assassinate Senator Robert Kelly, an anti-mutant politician who's the major force behind the proposed Mutant Registration Act. From the get-go, Sinjin is distinguished by his effete campy mannerisms. Marvel handbooks would establish that outside of his career as a terrorist, he's also a successful romance novelist. Thanks to a time-traveling future version of Kate Pride, the X-Men are able to foil the Brotherhood's assassination attempt, but not before Sinjin displays his interesting mutant power, the ability to shape and control, but not create, flame. He ends up arrested alongside all his comrades save Mystique, who tries but fails to free them from prison in that year's Avengers Annual. She's managed to break them out by 1983's Uncanny X-Men 177, in which the Brotherhood sets a trap for the X-Men, and we see Sinjin's clever teamwork with his teammate Dominikos Petrakis, a.k.a. Avalanche. Sinjin's defeated by Storm, but the Brotherhood manages to avoid arrest this time. The following year, in Uncanny X-Men 199, the Brotherhood takes the new name Freedom Force and apprehends Magneto on behalf of the United States government. In return, they receive a full pardon for their crimes, arranged by their new supervisor, Dr. Valerie Cooper. As part of Freedom Force, Sinjin spends the next few years battling the X-Men, Avengers, and other superhero teams. In the 1988 franchise-wide event Fall of the Mutants, Freedom Force and the X-Men join forces to battle the cosmic being called the Adversary in Dallas. Sinjin and his comrades witness the apparent deaths of the X-Men and their friend Madeline Pryor as part of the spell to banish the Adversary from Earth. The following year, Sinjin and his teammate The Blob appear in a Daredevil story by X-Men editor Anne Nesenti, in which they're dispatched to force a young mutant to register. He is curiously heterosexual in this story, but do not worry about it. Sinjin continues to serve in Freedom Force until a disastrous mission on Muir Island in 1989's Uncanny X-Men 255. He's able to use his powers to save the team from an explosion during a plane crash, but in the ensuing conflict with the Reavers and the Insane Mutant Legion, team members Stonewall and Destiny are killed. Sinjin and Mystique have a bonding moment before the Reavers advance on them, with Sinjin wistful that if he dies, he won't know how well his new novel does on the sales charts. But in the nick of time, the Muir Island X-Men are able to rescue them. After a battle with the Avengers, Freedom Force has one final mission following the apparent death of Mystique. In the 1991 backup crossover The Killing Stroke, the surviving members of Freedom Force are dispatched to Iraq to recover a hostage, a nuclear physicist named Dr. Kurtzman. Super Saber is killed, Crimson Commando is grievously injured, and Sinjin ends up murdering Kurtzman when they're unable to retrieve him, following orders from the U.S. government, but morally appalling his close companion Avalanche. To save Crimson Commando, Avalanche abandons Sinjin and the Blob to the Iraqi authorities. They return under writer Rob Liefeld as part of a new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, having been ransomed by the Toad. This new Brotherhood isn't especially impressive, but appears in a number of Marvel comics to fight whatever hero needs some mooks to punch that week. In 1993's X-Men Unlimited No. 2, a prelude to the franchise-wide event Fatal Attractions, the Brotherhood's approached by Exodus, Magneto's new herald, who's come to invite their member Fantasia to the new mutant haven Avalon in outer space. Exodus declares that Sinjin would have been invited as among the worthy, but he's become tainted and is no longer welcome. The following month, in an X-Men annual story written by Fabian Niciesa, Sinjin's among the mutants who've come to an island led by Jonathan Chambers, a.k.a. the Empyrean, who's established a palliative care center for those dying of the legacy virus, the taint that Exodus identified in Sinjin. 
The Empyrean's ability to drain mutant energies helps soothe the pain of those dying of legacy. Sinjin's reunited with Avalanche, who visits the island on behalf of the U.S. government, but their reconciliation occurs mostly off-panel. In this story, one of the clearest direct lines between the legacy virus and the AIDS crisis, it's heavily implied that Pyro and Avalanche were lovers, as the blob makes a homophobic comment about them that offends Fantasia. Sinjin begs the X-Men to leave him and the Empyrean's other patients alone, even if the Empyrean is also a psychic vampire who feeds on their energies. They're ultimately convinced by their teammate Kanon, a.k.a. Revanche, who reveals to the other X-Men that she too has contracted legacy. Three years later, Sinjin returns in Daredevil 355 by Carl Kessel and Carrie Nord, in which his legacy infections progressed out of control and he takes a criminal gig in an effort to die in battle. A few months later, in Uncanny X-Men 338 under writer Scott Lobdell, he's approached by the Brotherhood, now including Avalanche among their number once again. They intend to assassinate Senator Kelly, and hope Sinjin will do the deed as he has nothing to lose. Racked with guilt, Sinjin goes to take confession at church, and accidentally sets the building on fire as his powers surge out of control. He attempts to tell the X-Men what the Brotherhood is planning, but is apparently killed by Avalanche. He then pops up in X-Factor, where it turns out Avalanche faked his death so he could help Mystique protect another anti-mutant politician, presidential candidate Graydon Creed, who is secretly Mystique's child. Despite their efforts, an unknown assailant manages to kill Creed with a sniper rifle. In 1998's Uncanny X-Men 351 by Steve Siegel and Ed Bennis, Sinjin's once again desperately seeking a cure for legacy. When his powers yet again surge out of control, he winds up in the hospital where he's treated by Dr. Cecilia Reyes, a member of the X-Men. He tricks Cecilia into helping him escape. A few months later, he and Avalanche turn up in the Quicksilver solo series as part of a group working for Exodus. Exodus has promised them a cure for legacy if they bring him the High Evolutionary, which leads to a siege of Wondegore. Do not worry about this. Exodus is lying about having a cure, by the way, which is very rude. Sinjin then pops up in the Seagull Run on Uncanny again in issue 362, part of the Hunt for Xavier storyline, in which his disease progressed to the point of agony, and he fights the X-Men due to the manipulations of an evil robot. Do not worry about this story either. Three years later, Sinjin makes his final appearance for many years in 2001's Cable 87 by Robert Weinberg and Michael Ryan, part of the franchise-wide event Dream's End. Sinjin learns that Mystique and her latest iteration of the Brotherhood are again intended to assassinate Senator Kelly, who's running for president. Sinjin saves Kelly's life by murdering the Brotherhood member Post, but this final use of his powers taxes him beyond recovery, and he begins dying of his legacy infection. With his last words, he begs Senator Kelly to abandon bigotry against mutants and work toward peace. After appearing briefly during the House of M Reality Warp in 2005, Sinjin's one of many deceased characters resurrected by Selene in the 2009 franchise-wide event Necrotia. Under Selene's influence, Sinjin battles the X-Men. He presumably dies again at the end of the event. In 2017, in Mark Guggenheim's X-Men Gold, a young gay pyrokinetic named Simon Lasker is mesmerized by Mesmero into adopting the mantle of Pyro as part of a new brotherhood. He briefly joins the X-Men and has a one-night stand with Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman. Inexplicably, Sinjin Allardyce apparently turns up alive in both Greg Pak's Weapon X as a prisoner of William Stryker and in Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men as a member of Joseph's new brotherhood. It's possible both these appearances of Pyro are intended to be Simon Lasker, but they seem like continuity errors. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten, by writer Jonathan Hickman, Sinjin is one of the first mutants resurrected on the mutant sovereign nation Krakoa by the power of the circuit called the Five. He becomes a regular cast member in the new title Marauders, written by Jerry Duggan, in which he joins Kate Pride's pirate crew as they defend Krakoan trade routes and work to rescue mutant refugees. Emboldened by his resurrection, Sinjin gets a big skull tattoo on his face, assuming he'll be killed and resurrected again in short order. At the end of Duggan's run on Marauders, Sinjin decides to depart Hellfire Trading in order to launch a book tour for his newest novel. When last seen, he still had a big skull tattoo on his face. X-Men, X-Men. 
Now we're going to tell you about all the pirate stories that have happened between that one issue of Cable where he dies saving Senator Kelly and uh, the 2019 <laughs> soft reboot House of X and Powers of Tender or Jonathan Hickman. Because guess what, bitch? There's not a lot of them. So um, he's in Necrotia. When Yay, wakes everybody up. <laughs> he's like super evil in Necrotia. But that's fine because they're all possessed and evil. So, like, right. Their status is very. I saw someone complaining once about like Pyro's really out of character in Necrotia. And I was like, babe, they're zombies. Right. Celine would debate the term <laughs> zombie, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not even sure she would. She'd be like, they're very good zombies, aren't they? They're very effective zombies. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think it. Again, as we said, like some people miss because he was just a henchman. Right. A lot of people don't pick up, especially if you're not gay, it's possible to miss. If it weren't possible to miss, they wouldn't have printed it, right? Right. Like, that's the point. No, but also, <laughs> like, you look at Necrotia and there's characters like Risque actually has a really key moment where she's sent to, like, kill Jimmy Proudstar and she resists the conditioning for a second. It's like, Jimmy, you have to get out of here. I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think they're all being mind controlled. Right. But also, Pyro will roast a bitch. Like, he does murder. He will. He does. He does murder. (laughs) I mean, he does seem to kind of relish the Moira Flambe (laughs) in House of X 2. I can't lie. Now, that's technically not our Pyro, but it is, you know, a past life. Yeah, whatever you... But it's very in keeping, actually. It's the thing Avalanche is horrified by, right? Like, it's like, you burned that guy pretty fast, bro. (laughs) Yeah, wow, no hesitation, (laughs) huh? Yeah, (laughs) so... He is, and that's kind of a thing I like about him. He reads to me as slightly... Like, I would say he's older than, for example, Cyclops. But not much, but he's a little older. He's a little over it. He has oh, you tried... You know, you know what we skipped? I just realized. What did we skip? What did we skip? The Quicksilver thing. The Siege of Wondagore. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Notable only because Avalanche is trying really hard to make amends, right? Like that's... And it also seems like maybe Avalanche is now also infected, now that they're back together. Yeah, I... He's like, he's very much being like, we need to find a cure for you. So maybe he's just there as like a pause ally. Yeah, I think that's the, I I think they're zero discordant is the idea. Zero discordant couple. Thank you for using the actual term, what I was grasping for. (laughs) I think that that's the end. And Avalanche, again, we have no access to his interiority here because how. No, but in the sliding time scale, Avalanche is definitely on prep. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is kind of like an... And check that little box on the monkeypox line of why he was eligible for monkeypox vaccines. And other than the fact that undiscussed in it, I mean, that's really, really the most evil thing Exodus has ever done, is lied. Yeah. (laughs) It's Is lied about having a cure. A cure for AIDS? That he's going to give to Pyro, right? Yeah, after he told Pyro, Pyro wasn't welcome in paradise because he was tainted by fag cancer. It's really horrible that that Exodus, like, but again, like. You know what's actually tragic? You know what's actually tragic? I'm sorry that I'm just keep interrupting you. But Tony, we are recording this on August 1st. Mm -hmm. And on August 3rd. The Exodus spotlight issue of Immortal X-Men. Oh, I know. I know. And we're not, we haven't read it yet to talk (laughs) about it. Maybe we'll do something for the Patreon. I would do it. Yeah. That would be cute. Just like, like, like 15, 20 minutes, just like a little chit chat about the issue. That might be. Kieran is listening. So. (laughs) Kieran, if you're listening. No, I know Kieran is listening. Kieran is a loyal listener of the pod. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, Karen. Hi, Karen, my love. But he's very good at just like 15 seconds forwarding until I've stopped like giving an idea. <laughs> he's like, well, listen to that episode, but I skip ahead when you started talking about your ideas. Truly your worst accent work. Truly. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> Truly. so bad. Almost as bad as your one for me. <laughs> my one for you is really good. Actually. <laughs> I don't know. I'm here in Toronto. Oh, no. Oh, oh dear. Connor. Connor. No. Cut no. it out, man. Cut it out. Oh, Cut no. Out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, so I love, oh, that, no, you captured the ang- I love that you captured the anxiety of it, too. <laughs> well, the, oh, no. I'm like a little horse that needs to be shushed. <laughs> I'm just so anxious. What were oh, we talking about? Oh, you brought a little about? fan? You can't sleep without a little oh, fan? Oh, God. You got me abouting by accident. <laughs> abouting? Oh, where were we? Exodus. Yes, the truly worst thing he's ever done. Um, yeah, other than that, not... And I, I would characterize reading that one as a slog. Like, it's a tough... Oh, that book fucking eats. It's like 12 That whole Quicksilver maxi, it's fucking terrible. And guess what, bitch? I have to reread it because I'm doing a Quicksilver episode. And I read some of it for the Exodus episode that we did. And now I have to read it again because it's a Quicksilver solo. And I agreed to do a Quicksilver episode because Luke (sighs) wore me down for <laughs> the thing is, Quicksilver is a great character who has. A I'm lot like a corporate executive stories. being convinced to let Rachel Summers kiss a woman. It takes years, yeah. <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> someone bends. You got to get through a lot to get home. You get to read the amazing Salad and Ahmad book. That's a great one. That book's good. I read that because Saladin's great. But uh, man, that's a good one. Are you gonna? I, this is not a Quicksilver podcast. You this is really... not a Quicksilver podcast, and I am not reading Avengers. <laughs> I'm okay, not gonna do it. Can I extract this from not, you? Not gonna do it. You have to read way more fun than the Siege of Wondagore, the twelve-issue Vision and Scarlet Witch by. Oh, that Ingvar. I've read. No, 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 that so I've read. So fucking good. That I've read. So it's good. Funny. It's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh... I once referred to that as the only halfway decent Wanda comic that exists. <laughs> the Vision and Scarlet Witch twelve-issue. I mean, obviously, I referenced it a lot in the New Young Avengers. So fun. Magneto at Thanksgiving, where the old lady has a crush on him. I read that most recently for the Toad episode. Oh my God, that's right. That's the Toad Toad's mecca. abject horror <laughs> at her pregnancy. This disgusting right. creature has a being in her womb. It's like, like when the, John the reality Ruskin, of yeah. When he's faced by the reality of sex. It's like when John Ruskin saw his wife's pubic hair for the first time and he'd only seen women as sculptures and he was so horrified that mm-hmm. he, they never saw each other again. I mean, he was gay, but whatever. Yeah, there's that too. I think it was Ruskin. That's very Victor Frankenstein vibes, right? Where it's like, oh no, the bedclothes are full of maggots. And it's like, no, you're just <laughs> uh, fucking gay, yeah. Victor. Actually, Pyro has a bit of Dr. Pretorius from uh, uh, Bride of Frankenstein. He's a James Whaley kind of type, right? Like sure, that's another sure, one of the gays. Sure. Matt Baum was like, think about him. You and Matt Baum are just like all over each other today. What's that about? Well, I was just like, uh, if you're going to talk about mid-century gays, I was like, I'm just, this I'm is Jesus. the person. Um, you just mentioned it like four times. I Because I promised I would say his name. Because I, yeah, That's very I wanna, sweet of you. I didn't want to steal I was like, his this ideas. This is not a Matt Baum podcast. <laughs> I don't even know Matt Baum. I'm sure he's lovely. Hi, Matt, if you're listening. Yeah. 
So yeah, so so Pyro, Pyro's in Necrotia. Uh, he's yeah. a zombie. Then he's dead again. But then mysteriously, he's not. He pops sure. up a couple yeah. times. Are we going to talk about Simon Lasker? Do we have to talk oh, about we, the, we have, the Lasker we ha- of it all? Mm, yeah, we were, that was where I was going to segue next. So, does Lasker have a Zaladane? He probably no, he does. does not. What's he got? No, he does not. Does he have eleven? No, he does not. <laughs> no, he does not. And guess what, bitch? He's never going to get one. Never going to get one. <laughs> now, unless. Possibly, I suggested in last week's episode that he could come back as Flamer and just be like a gay fire guy. And that if the Anol stands are any indication, that's all it takes. Just be a fucking gay ass (laughs) twink. And you'll have, for no good reason. So, (laughs) Simon Simon Lasker. Well, hold on, hold on. First, there's a weird bit where, like, it seems like Pyro survived Necrotia and he's in a couple stories with the Brotherhood. And (laughs) And then someone was like, that fully don't worry about that because I think that's just a continuity error and it doesn't matter. Or maybe not, but it's very clear at this point that the Pyro we have now on Krakoa does not remember anything post, like, legacy virus death. He is very specific that he is one of the first brought back by like mm-hmm. the Krakoan resurrection. Yeah, so circuit, he was not right? brought back in Necrotia, so don't worry so, about it. So maybe all those other times is Simon Lasker. That's maybe. But possible. then old Mark Guggenheim decided. <laughs> oh, Marky Marky Goose. <laughs> I don't know Mark Guggenheim. I'm sorry, Mark. We've been drinking on this yeah. podcast. We've been having pyrogaritas. We've yeah. been having some pyrogaritas, honey. I make a if I ever made you a margarita, I make a fucking mean margarita. They're so you, I used I used to be a you, bartender, you know that, you, right? Like you, yeah. yeah, honey. <laughs> you've made me a margarita. <laughs> is this a euphemism? What is this a uh, euphemism uh, uh, for? I've, what is the reference done, for this metaphor? We've done we've done some mixology. Oh <laughs> right. No, you but you've done your little like I used to be a bartender, you yeah, know, yeah, thing uh, with me. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I'm not not the, this is my the first, this is my, oh, this is my no. first time at the Oliver Rodeo. Okay. <laughs> All my tricks exposed. I know yeah. your tricks. <laughs> um, anyway. So, I digress. A good, no, a good. I think we're, month. I think we're three digressions in. I don't even know what, what. Where we were. <laughs> Where we <laughs> Oh, Simon Lasker. Oh, yeah. Simon, okay. We do have fun, you and I, on this uh. show. Simon Lasker is a character that old Marky Goo Goobs created. Um, <laughs> it's because it's honestly, this is not about you, Mark Guggenheim, if you're listening. It's that the Guggenheim Museum, if you're from New York, people just come up with weird nicknames for it sometimes. So I'm just always like, you're down the Googs. Oh, but <laughs> it's just so that's my immediate like association. With Mark Guggenheim is with, with is like the name Guggenheim because I uh-huh. was an I was an MA student in right York, so. right checking uh, out anyway. the herring the Keith herrings that would be yeah bring it look at me looping it back look at you looping it back <laughs> together again I am hoping that the kids will discover Grace Jones now that she's on the new Beyonce record yep yep and I'm hoping she'll like have a little she'll Kate have Bush a Kate moment. Bush moment yeah because I mean Grace and Kate that's like truly the oh angel and devil on my shoulders so. She- on, uh, they need to look up all her music videos. What's that? The, ta- the there's that Italian music video where she just walks through that Italian like surrealist mm-hmm. set, touching chickens and like yep. <laughs> naked men. So fucking good. But also God. like the whole Hurricane album. I saw her do that live at the Roseanne Ballroom. And good lord. You want to talk about good. people with like Jesus trauma? Grace Jones. Oh yeah. Word. Have you read her memoir? 
I haven't read it, but it's I've called seen I'll Never it. Write My Memoirs. <laughs> Amazing. And it's great. <laughs> it's absolutely great. And it's all about growing up in like an insane fucking cult in Jamaica. Yeah. And yeah. It's, but like at the beginning, and then it's about her like rise to fame and all that. But it's actually fascinating because she talks about how much of her masculine photography persona she based on her like abusive male relatives. Oh, it's like yeah. it's very she's it's very much person. like I get it. Like you wear the skin of the bear that tried to kill you. Like that's been my I wear his sins like a shroud. Yeah, you wear his sins like a shroud. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that's the, that's another Fabian Niciesa line right there. <laughs> well, also a traumatized Catholic. Catholic. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like that's yeah, I'm like that's very whoo. Like, you know who would be like, I'm gonna call it the sun cloak and see if anybody gets it. Spiral would be all over that. Yeah. Like, get it? Wink. Ever heard of what? William Blake? <laughs> <laughs> Revelation. Oh, Ever heard of it? Fucking breathe. Okay. Uh, what are we doing? What is this oh show? Oh, God. Where are we? <laughs> Welcome to Cerebro. The Welcome podcast Cerebro. where a homo and his ex talk about Grace Jones and Catholic damage. Yeah, no, so um, Simon Lasker yes. is a so, character so, oh, Marky owned Mark. by Marvel Boobs. Comics. Mark, 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 it's called Markle Guggenheim. <laughs> Mark Guggenheim has a book called X-Men Gold. Yep. It's most famous for an anti-Semitism scandal. Yep. Yes. <laughs> that's not his fault. Not his fault at all. Like, truly <laughs> No, truly, Mark did Guggenheim. not. Truly, of all the people whose fault it's not, Mark yeah. Guggenheim. But, yeah. um, but unfortunately, yes. it unfortunately, is, yes. a racist artist drew the first issue yeah. and had had to be redrawn because there were lots of secret messages and yeah. evils of jewelry. Jesus Christ! <laughs> My favorite is that awning sign next to Kate Pride's head that just says "Jew." Oh my god. And, and it was like, mm, wow. Because I, I hadn't. I'm chewing I ice on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel writer Anthony Oliveira and Marvel contributor Connor Goldsmith got, you know. Too tanked. And uh, yeah. Okay. Simon Lasker, X Men Gold. Simon Lasker is the twink that Bobby fucks in X Men Gold. Yes. On, on Kate's wedding day, like the night before the wedding. Yes. The, well, the yeah. boarded wedding. Yes, well, the stolen I mean, wedding. There's, yeah, well, there's two mitzvahs. One is that Kitty and Piotr don't get married, and yeah. one is that Bobby fucks a twink. It's the first yeah. time Bobby's ever topped, and <laughs> yeah. uh, it's... <laughs> is that explicit? I'm trying... Think about it. I don't know. Last Who else? Me, um, but you think in that situation, like, I... Lasker? Simon Lasker gives is me very... yes. He gives me very specifically, like, has a drag persona but doesn't actually do drag, is oh. at the club on a Wednesday, tweaking out a little bit because I just got my mutant powers vibes. Oh, really? Because to me, I get a very, like, well, that was fun by, like, well, no, but that's Bobby what I'm catches saying is, feelings. But that's, because, but that's because Bobby can't lay pipe. <laughs> Bobby can't put it down. Yeah. He has never taught before. Interesting. And he takes this 18-year-old home. Is he young? Yes. This is not an age discourse podcast. Lasker is definitely significantly younger than Bobby. I think we have very different reads on these characters then. Maybe. I to, to me, Simon Lasker is, and what I like about the story, and we can talk about what doesn't work about the pyro overlap, but what I like about it is it's very much like, 
Bobby makes the mistake that I think a lot of gay men make and a lot of fans of gay characters make where it's like he hooks up with somebody and everyone thinks it's going to be the happily ever after. Oh, absolutely. And to me, he's a slightly older, more jaded top, actually. To me. No, see, that's so funny because that's... It's interesting how you and I read this scene differently <laughs> because... <laughs> Let me roll under the couch for a minute. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why you and I, identifying with the more familiar character in the scene, might yeah. relate to this scene hmm. in different ways. Hmm. But one reason might be that we have had different experiences of one night stands. Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's maybe so that's what's happening. What I theorize, perhaps, <laughs> is that we're just coming at this from, from two different perspectives. Yeah. Let me turn upside down for a second. Yeah, you love that. Um, so, anyway. They fuck the night before. Regardless of how they fuck, they fuck. Yeah. And then... Bobby's and do we ever like, see him again? Like, is that... I don't think we do. Is that... Ex, that's exits. <laughs> yeah, and we meet we meet this guy because he's part of Mesmero's Brotherhood, <laughs> which you'll remember yeah. from last week because Magma was mesmerized into being part of Mesmero's Brotherhood and kidnapped Bill de Blasio. <laughs> and then... <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's the one said, cool thing she's a, ever done. No, I know. The coolest <laughs> thing Magnus ever done besides fuck the devil is kidnap Bill de Blasio. I forgot she fucked the devil. Oh, you should listen to the episode. It's fun. But uh, yeah, no, it's fun in spite of magma. We, we, did, we did our level <laughs> To best. be fair, it, it dropped six hours ago. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's fine. I wasn't upset that you hadn't heard it yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> you should listen to it. What are we oh, yes. Mesmero's Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they cannot build a Blasio, which, like, Alex Abbasadis and I were saying, like, that's not a very nefarious scheme because no one in New York is going to be particularly upset about it. Like, we would all be like, keep him, please. You know, like, take my wife. You know, like, that's really how we feel about <laughs> Take my mayor, please. You should have just joined their team. <laughs> so the new pyro. Mm-hmm is part of that squad and Amara and everybody assume once they've been like deprogrammed, like, well, you were also, and he's like, oh no, I'm joined for <laughs> I'm fun. just an evil twink. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I cause problems on purpose. I am just a chaos. Yeah. He ends up with Magma on, which like feels a little bit like Guild and the Lily Firewise to me because, oh, by the way, the new gay pyro can make his own fire. I'm like, okay, bitch. Like, Can he? Know. Is he wearing the yes. hoses? I did not read the. Fire. I did not reread the Lasker stuff. He this. makes his own. All oh, right, everyone. Okay. Gen Z always like. Well, now we can be prom yeah. king or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, Shut yeah. the fuck up, Gen Z. I didn't ask. <laughs> yeah. So they have sex, and Bobby's like, "So, like, are we gonna hang out?" And it's like, "No, we're not. absolutely not. <laughs> we're I actually now never gonna you. speak again." Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I have had a conversation with Bobby Drake, and it will be the last. And again, my read of the situation is Bobby Drake's like, watch a Mex girlfriend get married. Now I'm going to take this guy home and fuck the shit out of this twink. And uh, does a really piss poor job of it. And Mm. Simon Lasker is like, I am going to go. That was fine. (laughs) Find someone else to hang out with. Where is Avalanche? Yeah. Yeah. I need an Avalanche of my very own. And that's it. And that's the whole story of Simon. That's Lasker. the whole story. And God willing, we'll never see him again. 
But it does create a problem in that he has absorbed Pyro's Which is that Pyro's that's the gayness. gay Pyro. And yeah. so when regular Pyro came back, he wasn't gay anymore because yeah. there was a gay Pyro. And now this is the original Pyro who's not gay Pyro, except the original Pyro was also gay Pyro. Yeah, yeah. So Simon Lasker, among his various crimes. <laughs> many crimes. Number one two, of them kidnapped is retroactively <laughs> defagatizing. <laughs> Paul Lind. Yeah, yeah. And it is truly... I mean, it, it's not impossible to do still, right? No. Like is, there is nothing I that actually directly... think, and we'll get that, we, we should get to the questions because there's like 50 questions about like, what do you two think about like Pyro's sex life? So... Sure. We'll get to the how can Pyro's sexuality okay. be reconciled now yeah, in a yeah, bigger yeah. way, in a more expansive way. So in the 2019 soft reboot, <laughs> House of X and Powers of 10 by writer John Hickman, Pyro's back. Pyro is part of Jerry Duggan's Marauders crew. He and Iceman are fun little buddies in this, which does uh-huh. also feel like it references the like fandom perception of them. Sure. As echoes of each other. Pretty, it's pretty also like, very... explicitly they talk about being the two and being ice and fire and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. it's very um, old school, amazing friends, kind of like yeah. Iceman and Human Torch or then Iceman They have and a cover where they're like, like they spiraling like around be... each other. They make yeah. the Beastie Boys dick in the sky exactly it's very bobby and johnny in the 60s yeah Yeah. personally i kind of dig it as a vibe between them because i feel like old school pyro was a bottom and this pyro now is more of a top he has um okay so what i like about the possibility of pyro coming back is kind of the flip side of the somnus of it all. Where mm-hmm. like somnus was like a gay man who couldn't come out, who right. had to live in the closet and died and now gets a second chance. Mm-hmm. And what I like about Pyro is that he is a very out gay man to the extent that you could be out. To the extent that you could be in an 80s comic, right. Like fucking whoever. He was a victim of the AIDS crisis in the 90s. And what would it be like to have a if figure like that? If we could like bring that? Keith Haring back, exactly. what would that be like? What would he be like? And he would kind of be like this. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like, you know, Jerry Duggan and I have become really good friends on this show. So it's not to criticize Jerry at all for not developing that out. But I do think that the way Jerry got at that theme was with Jumbo Carnation. Mm. Yeah. And I could see the idea of like that being redundant. You know what I mean? Because Jumbo is like Gianni Versace, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, brought yeah. back from the dead. And so it's not the AIDS crisis, but it's the similar like what if. Or like an Alexander McQueen. Yeah, right. Yeah. What if an iconic gay artist cut down before their time by circumstance was back mm-hmm. in a time when gay people could thrive? That's the Jumbo Carnation story. Yeah. And I can appreciate this character taking a victory lap. Like I could imagine just like, I'm going to have fun. Yeah. And I also, and like, again, we'll get there in the questions, but like the big thing is that he has a sexual fantasy about Jean Grey. Okay. Does he though? It's more that he has a fantasy about being the protagonist of a like beach movie. Well, here's my thing. You know what I mean? Here's my, here's my, um, here's my fix. Here's my no prize on this. We see the fantasy of Jean with a convertible. And then we see Emma feeding that fantasy. True. And Emma says, Emma says that she's just replaying scenes from a reality TV show she watched the previous weekend. And when Pyro comes out of it, 
he says, you've hum- humiliated me in front of my friends. So it is possible to no prize that Ooh. as what's horrifying to him is this like being used as a puppet, which he lit like Emma is literally. Well, and because she was using him to fool the guy who he did, the straight guy who had yeah. invaded his body. Exactly. She's entertaining Yellow Jacket. Like she's, right. she's titillating Yellow Jacket. The show is for him, not yeah, for Yeah, no, Pyro. you're right. That's absolutely true. And you know what? Accepted. But I yeah. also <laughs> was going to say that if we're, if we do accept that that was his actual fantasy, how many of us listeners do you know a guy who's like, he's Australian and he's bisexual? Because I do. I know like 20 of those guys. I'm Australian. I'm bisexual. I'm a swimwear model. Actually. And like we've taken, you know, we, we went on a tangent about how, yes, Bobby Drake could be bisexual, but he ain't. Uh-huh. I would give the bisexuals pyro. In the sense of like, you know what one of the references I think about when I think about pyro is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Specifically uh-huh. like Guy Pierce's character in yeah, that. Well, certainly, yeah. Yeah, like this kind of like, again, gay, but like Priscilla, one of the plot points is these one of these act one of these characters has a child, right? Like Yes. He's bisexual, darling. <laughs> so it's possible Kinsey scale. I get in the bush <laughs> as much as I get around the mites. But I do think there's like interesting like the thing i want to see next is well what is his critique he's a smart person and the thing i feel like is missing and the thing i would if i ever got my hands on this character is like you died of legacy and are resurrected in the xavier pharmaceutical industry hive you know Mm -hmm. like what does pyro think about this what is what does it mean for this character who died amidst a crisis to emerge post-crisis and see the way that xavier's neoliberalism has co-opted the way like we keep hearing about these drugs that krakoa is distributing what drugs what is the effect of those drugs what does it look like to distribute those drugs and putting him in the marauders book is an interesting place to think about that but he's having fun instead (laughs) i do think it's relevant that the character in charge of distributing those drugs is not charles or eric it's emma Mm-hmm. And I think that Emma's adjacency to the queer trans underground New York vibe mm-hmm. in those 80s comics is also very much relevant there. Yeah. And the way that Christian's been used to literalize her connection to the LGBTQIA mm-hmm. community without needing her to be textually yeah. has been clever in that respect. Mm. Because it's always been there. I mean, Anna Nascente alluded to that when she was on this show. So pyro being on emma's crew of people distributing miracle drugs when he died of the aids crisis is interesting yeah but you know he's not a main character in the book so we don't get like he is he's a still a henchman he member. just happens to be a henchman <laughs> right the- he's a henchman for good guys <laughs> now <laughs> right he's not a character who's gonna get introspective in that book a character's gonna get like introspective yeah. monologues and so i again it would be nice to have, we'd have to process that gene thing. We'd have to process the Lasker of it all, but it would be nice to get him back because he really is. I think the Lasker thing is easy. You just say that Simon Lasker as a young gay supervillain was inspired by a fallen gay supervillain of the nineties. Who has not 
who has not been at the gay club and seen the twink walk in and be like, that was me 10 years ago. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. Or like, but you know, it's also just like very, I was never a twink, but you know, neither was I, honey. (laughs) I stayed home and read comics. Oh, I did not stay home. I was just too fat to be a twink. And to have suit, even as a young mm, man. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing to think about is, like, how many twinks on Fire Island have a Keith Haring tattoo? Yep. Oh, yes, that's interesting to go in the direction of, like, a hero worship thing. Of, like, this gay icon of his childhood. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. could be, like, a fun way to do it. Yeah, that's kind of the way you got to think about it. Unless you just never address Simon Lasker again, which would also be fine. Not the worst it, thing, it but It can worth, just be a yeah. joke that Bobby fucked Pyro and Pyro quit he it. Fuck two Pyros? That would be why well, he hasn't. Well, that it. would be, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bobby's single, thank God, again. No disrespect to Christian, I just think that gays should be allowed to be single in comic books. Especially Christian, almost like... Well, with Christian, I, I, I actually think that what... Luciano has set up as the status quo for them now is essentially perfect because it's what mm-hmm. we said in the episode that their relationship should be, which is that Christian is like his friend slash sugar daddy who he hangs out with sometimes, yeah. but not his boyfriend. That's yeah. just like not the vibe. Yeah. Them, in my opinion. Yeah, I really agree. I think it's a good, there's a lot that got nicely cleared in that book, and that's one of them. Bobby's dad, for example, just him <laughs> right out with last week's trash. Similarly, I there's things I like about the tattoo. Yeah, I was going to say, what are your thoughts on the big old face tattoo? Obviously, I hate it. <laughs> the, the fact <laughs> we're supposed to hate it, like it's it's yes, tacky and stupid. It's tacky like, that's and the horrible. Also, the funniest thing about it is he gets it because he assumes he's going to die on one of the early missions <laughs> he and reincarnate it, Magnum, yeah. resurrect. And he doesn't ever, he hasn't died since. And so he's just still got the face tattoo, which is funny. But what I like about it is that, and I was talking to some HIV positive friends about this, is it actually does reflect a kind of community practice where you do actually mark yourself as being, you can do the- Like the biohazard tattoo? Biohazard tattoo, the radioactivity tattoo, the Mm -hmm. scorpion tattoo, even a skull. Like a lot of people get tattoos. William F. Buckley was like, we should tattoo these people. And a lot of people... And then a lot of people were like, like, yeah, fuck fuck you, I'm going to do it. Yeah, we will. And it also... I was talking to friends and it's like, it actually facilitates, first of all, like owning it and being like, yeah, this is the culture that I'm part of. This is my community. And it also facilitates a lot of coming outs where it's like, you're about to have sex with somebody and they see the tattoo and you can break the conversation. And then it's like, well, yeah, you need to talk about now your HIV says. And if anybody... Like, as you were saying, like, Pyro really is the face of legacy in the 90s, up to and including his death. And, like, I kind of like it. I also think, though, it, in addition to being, like, he's very much like Junkrat from Overwatch now, where it's, like, just kind of this, like, <laughs> screaming. Wacky Australian, right, yeah. Um, as an artistic choice, I think it's difficult, especially for artists. Like, if it were me, I might, like have him resurrect and then move it to his shoulder move it to a shoulder or something sure yeah something you can see and maybe give him a sleeveless moment like something you can see Mm -hmm. that's legible but but it's not on his face and isn't exhausting an artist to draw right it is (laughs) uh it's like that's a lot of ink yeah (laughs) no i i do think that it could be seen as like a pause tattoo that makes a lot of sense to me 
especially now that his body is not legacy positive anymore, he might feel the need to demarcate it in some way, right? Yeah, it's it it's a lot like the conversations that people have about mutancy and transness or mutancy and disability where it's like it is actually a conversation you have to have like are people yeah, to bring him back without legacy this, exactly. because legacy's been cured and it's like well it's like well if someone had hiv and you bring them back on Krakoa, do they still have hiv is the question and some the disability people would say yes question. and some people would say some people no. would say yes and some people would say no yeah. And different people would feel different ways. And it would be like Charles wanting to walk and Karma wanting to still yeah. have an amputation. And there is something here about the um, haphazardness of his resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the first, we see him like slurring his speech when he's first resurrected. Like, he is their experiment character. He's one of the like prototypes. Yeah. He's disposable like- to this community in a way that is played as a joke but is kind of horrifying in the way that I it also though about I, I read it also though as if you look at who the first people to come back are they're people who are very important to members of the quiet council and I do think that he if, if Mystique gets to pick one and they said no to, to Irene, Destiny she's number he's then number I feel two. like Pyro's number two right yeah it's true yeah yeah that's true yeah I like them a lot yeah, I'd like to see them interact now, actually. Because, yeah, we skipped over in, in House of X, as we alluded to previously, in Moira's third life, Pyro is with Mystique and Destiny when they confront Moira at her cure lab. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And after Irene tells her what's what, she instructs Pyro to burn Moira to death slowly so that she remembers <laughs> what it feels like. And uh, we see that twice, first in, in House of X and then in Inferno, the Inferno in that title, it's a reference back to Inferno 1988, but it's also, it's Pyro's fire. Yeah. That is seared into Moira's memory. And that's interesting with Moira as, ooh, now I have a conspiracy theory. Moira was the leading researcher on the legacy virus in oh. the 90s and did not do anything to help Pyro, who was publicly Oof, running around in the streets. That's a dark... That would be the darkest thing she ever did, if that's true. Well, there, I've, she's done some really dark things. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to let him suffer and die because he killed me once. I it's true. That. You, she. I mean, it's kind of refreshing in some ways to have the male character be complete. Like, he is just a henchman. But yeah. it's true. Like, her, her, av- her um, malice for destiny, for some reason, at least on the page, has not transferred to Pyro, even though he's the instrument but I'm saying maybe burning. it did. Maybe she let him mm. suffer in the 90s. Can I, in return, give you my head cannon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also entirely possible that the Moira who was dealing with the legacy virus was the golem. Because the golem. Because Moira, <laughs> Moira got the legacy virus and put herself in stasis until yes. they could figure it out. I mean, that yeah. is the other obvious moment for Moira to swap out with the golem. But So here's my thing. And if I ever got to write him, this is 100% what I would do. So whatever. Here's a preview. Not, but... Um, because what I like is, and he's Australian, so it's not it maybe sure nothing. It maybe it means nothing, but he says yes, mother to destiny, and that's very that's very Australian. But like, I would while Mystique is off fucking German counts slash the devil and giving birth to Nightcrawler, you would establish a relationship between him and Irene. I would have him brotherhood. Be, yeah, she saves this kid, this like, this mm-hmm. like. Um, 
gay street kid. He's a street kid. He's a hustler. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like he is again, like make him a rent boy on the streets of Melbourne or whatever. Which is a hundred percent. Or oh no, he's from Sydney. He's like hustling outside the opera house. Well, here's the other thing. He keeps being mistaken for British. So maybe he's putting on a posh accent. Exactly. To hook John. That's why Blob thinks he's a limey is because he's he slips into a British sound sometimes because he was raised. Because he has an affect where he's like, I'm going to go to the piers and do this. Exactly. Shtick. And that's also why his look is weirdly retro because he was raised by a person who fucking knew Oscar Wilde. <laughs> like, right, yeah. <laughs> Destiny and Oscar Wilde were probably buddies. Now that we know Oscar Wilde in 616 was a mutant per Nathaniel Essex. He's <laughs> a feral mutant, yeah. Yeah, he was a feral <laughs> mutant. You know who he was probably friends with if Essex knew him? Irene, because Irene and Essex knew each other as early is 1919. So I bet they knew each other in the 1800s too. So I could imagine like her bringing in this kid and being like, here's James Joyce, here's Oscar Wilde, here's Algernon Swinburne. We're going to be friends for the rest of both of our lives. So you better read these. So you better I better fucking to, read. I need yeah. someone to talk to. <laughs> exactly. And he was her like quiet indoor boy while, mm-hmm. while Mystique was working her way through the aristocracy. Of and that life. would track with the line about how Destiny is the only one Mystique would call friend. Yes. Yeah. Because maybe that means Irene brought in the boys. I like the idea that, yeah, Mystique is like, kind of newish to him and they have become friends over the brotherhood because that moment where they bond when the reavers are attacking them, exactly it feels like a new thing in their relationship it doesn't yeah, feel like they figure that out as they go she yeah he he's never a problem for mystique the way blob and avalanche and all these fuckers like can be yeah she's always like pyro can you separate these fucking idiots and he always does yes ma'am I think they bonded slowly. Like when Mystique was like, I'm putting together a team. Destiny was like, you know who's perfect is this little dandy I raised. (laughs) Yeah, like, no, I've got this guy. Right. (laughs) Who's now on his latest book tour. Because that's why he's doing it, right? Like, why would he in his 30s be like, now it's time to become an international terrorist? No, it's true. The woman who saved me once. Yeah. My grandmama asked me to come be part of her terrorist organization. So that's my that's my secret thing. I've been. I love that. And uh, if anyone's listening, they should let you write that city <laughs> comic, probably, right? Uh, I would love to do his like. I just like the idea that everyone thinks he's stupid and he has this like thriving literary career. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, and I liked that Jerry. I mean, I will say like Jerry playing him is like you know the himbo character at the beginning. It made it fun when the romance novels came back yeah. into the end it was and like, he's no, like no i right. didn't forget that this character <laughs> is like a published author and he's writing cover stories for all of them yeah one of, many of his novels are published under a female pen name which that's I think so is, i was trying to remember where that's from did you find where that's from uh oh, is it a handbook it might have been a handbook thing because the but handbook I is definitely that has lived in my memory forever because yeah. the handbook also establishes it's not in anything that I can find. But the handbook also says he was a journalist in Vietnam. Yes. Which is crazy. Yeah. But sure. Journalist turned novelist turned international terrorist is a career path. I completely understand. Yeah. That'll <laughs> happen. And again, it's like like that's not even in the books. Like that's he's such an off screen character. What's fun now about the direction Jerry took the character for the next writer is he is back on Krakoa and living maybe 
in that same way that Somnus is the life mm. that he didn't have and mm-hmm. having kind of a second adolescence, but you can find a way to marry that to the older characterization that's a little more reserved and intellectual. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, once that rush of like, I'm alive again in a healthy body wears off a little. Well, now... And you're not on the boat anymore. What are you up to? As of like a week ago, basically, now that Mutant Resurrection is out. Mm-hmm. Now he can go public. What is he saying on that book tour? Right. You know, like, that's interesting to me. Like... Because now he can be the legacy patient who's back. Exactly. And that is a thing that, I mean, can you imagine in real life if the victim of the AIDS crisis... Exactly. What would Keith Haring say to us, to us now? About like, it? How furious yeah. would he be? And I also think... This is a rare kind of character. Actually, Jumbo Carnation is another one. Maybe Vivisector is another. Like, I'm interested in characters who participate and are contributors to mutant culture. Mm-hmm. There's a question about that. Oh, really? We're gonna get into the questions in okay. a second right. because okay. I think we're I think sure, we're yeah. I think we're okay. edging up. We're getting really speculative now, and I feel like we should let the questioners direct us because sure. yes, I'm also very interested in that. But there's a question. Okay. Cool. So first, Harini Marchati writes, hello, Connor and Anthony. Hi. Okay, I'm just going to jump straight into the question because as soon as I heard the character announcement, I was extremely confused because Pyro's name is St. John? That's his first name? <laughs> was he sainted or did he just have really optimistic parents? Is this a normal Catholic thing that I just don't know about? Thanks, Harini. So Sinjin mm. is a name that people have, particularly like it's a Commonwealth nation's Catholic kind of name is my understanding. I think his name is another gay coding thing. I think he's John the Beloved. He's St. John the Beloved, mm. who is Jesus's little twink, right? Like that's... <laughs> well, I know it's you a... are, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, speaking of novels, you can pick that up Speaking of year. authors, uh... <laughs> Johnny's novel on that very subject will But be I also know... Is it still called Dayspring? Book is called Dayspring. It is, yeah, and it is from the perspective. I love that you of got that X Men biblical moment. Cable's name is a Jesus reference. It just you know, is. I know. <laughs> I wasn't pretending Cable. But made yes, it up, absolutely. But let's not pretend I didn't. Let's not pretend You're a I didn't 90s learn X-Men it. Fan. From I feel cable like you read it. 12, in, yeah. I was about to say before you ever read it <laughs> pertaining to Jesus. Yeah, I mean. You're right. Like, I have cousins named Santo. Like, it's just a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, it, it is just a thing, kind of. Or it's like being named, like, Magdalena. Like, it's just one of those yeah. things. You get the title as a name. All my aunts are named Maria. But it is specifically, like, Sinjin St. John is, like, the only one I feel like you really see that way. In I don't English, feel like, yeah. Yeah, like, you don't see, like, some Peter. Like, it's not, like, a thing that's that. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of... Otherwise uh, common. I think it comes from a surname originally is the thing. It's one of those things where it's like, your name's Sinjin because your mother's maiden name was Sinjin or whatever, you know? Yeah. But yes, it is It is odd, isn't it? Especially because he's not a character who otherwise has like religious significance sure. to him particularly. It's sort not like of he's like, defiantly doesn't, right? In like Yeah, a very, like he's yeah. a very secular character. He, yeah. he represents He wears ascots and mixes his drinks. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he's a very like intelligentsia kind of Beaumont character in that aesthetic sense. And not to get not... too linguistic about it, but the fact that it gets elided to Sinjin kind of tells you why it's a it's an uncommon name because it's hard to say. Right. right like, exactly. If people are collapsing it, it means it's not a very because no one word on wants to be like yeah. Saint John, Saint John, Saint John. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> you got to put a glottal stop in it. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So. And then Allardyce, 
I'm not sure what that, if that has any kind of relevance, but I think it's just like, it's British sounding. Like, it's I don't British think sounding in a very dandyish kind of way, like Algernon Swinburne, right? Like, yeah. Kind of- <laughs> and like, it has kind of, but particularly it has like a kind of like a Scots sound to it. A little bit like it, it feels northern to me you know claremont is never he never names characters accidentally so it's worth yeah. thinking about what's happening there it's not an anglican sounding sinjin allardyce is clearly if he was supposed to be british he was catholic british and that's like its own specific well that's um fucking what's it called um uh, oh my god how am i blanking on this uh, the novel, the gay novel, uh, Jeremy Irons in the movie, uh, uh, Brideshead Revisited, right? Brideshead I was just going to Re- let you do it. Yeah. I was letting you go. I was like, like it's Brideshead Revisited, but I'm going to let you keep going. Catholicism in Britain is kind of in a strange way sometimes classed. Oh, it's very classed. That's why the Braddocks are Catholic. Yeah, Betsy exactly. and Brian, because yeah, 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 yeah. they're nobility, but they're weird Catholic nobility. Weird and then it Catholic. turns out they're literally fairy people, but it's yeah, like, yes, exactly. they're like pagan beings from old Britain before yeah. the Christians came. Because if you're, you have to be, you actually have to be powerful enough to be Catholic, to defy yes, the Anglican to church. To defy the Anglican church. Means you have to turn into a fucking weird Gothic. Right. Yeah. You have to be a weird old family and yeah. like you're not going to be seen as like part of the Bonton in a normal way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Braddocks being like nobles from Essex who are Catholic is like a very deliberate set of choices. Yeah, yeah. That marginalize them among the aristocracy in an interesting way. Exactly, yeah. Britain is weird, guys. There's like, <laughs> like, like, see also all of Captain Britain. Yeah, yeah the phrase "marginalized among the aristocracy" <laughs> is a psychotic phrase, but the English listeners are like that makes total sense. To in me. specific, like in the sense of like literal decadence, right? Like, right. Like you're in, you're like wearing a carnation on your lapel. You're not invited to the right party. So you're hosting your own weird party. You're hosting your own weird garden yeah. party with like the other like poor relations of yeah. the aristocracy. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, yeah, no. So his name is curious. But the, the thing about Pyro is we just know nothing about his life before the Brotherhood at all. So again, a Claremont character with no backstory is kind of bizarre, right? Like it's more common than you would think think with henchmen is the thing like if you think about like the marauders don't have backstories i just mean in the sense that it hasn't been filled in since the fact that no one has filled it in yeah that's that's what i mean but i think it's because he was dead for 20 years yeah 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 you know but now that i'm thinking about it avalanche wasn't dead for 20 years nobody's filled him in either i mean I, and I would love to fill in Avalanche. Let me tell you I don't know if Avalanche lets people fill anybody. I don't think. I think he's a filler. When they're uh, on Mykonos? I don't know. <laughs> I think maybe. Yeah, you get into a bottle of olive oil and who knows what happens. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when it's the summertime at the beach club. When know. is the Avalanche episode? That's a. I don't know, but I'm now. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. The problem is, I've actually, I've thought about that character. The problem is there's not much to him. Like, there, even you don't even He doesn't get... open up until you think about the pyro of it. And I mean, that's not canon, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the stuff that we're talking about with that storyline, the interesting stuff is pyro because he's the one who's dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like he's Satine. He he's Pyro the wilting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like, you know. Or in the Angels in America, he's like Pyro is Prior Walt. 
Exactly. Like, or Angel from Rent. It's the more interesting yeah. character is usually the one who Whereas is Lewis has to and who is dying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The thing I was going to say earlier, by the way, about Angels in America is um, there's the film with Justin Kirk playing Pryor. Um, it's very hard to talk with Pryor and Pyro. Yes. Justin Kirk, I think he's a straight actor. He plays him very straight. Andrew Garfield played him recently. Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield is not an out. Uh, Andrew Garfield is straight. Um, as far as we know. I'm just yeah, going yeah. to like. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Um, Heterosexual. Allegedly. Yeah. He's played a lot of gay characters. He sure has. He's, he's been a judge on Drag Race. Like, there's something interesting happening. Um, he loves the community. Let's just sure. And he played Pryor as kind of a snaggle pussy kind of mm-hmm. character. And a lot of people were like, this is, like, offensive. <laughs> right. It's like you're doing, like, gay drag. But that's the thing. Pryor Walter is an ex-drag queen. Like, that is established no, makes- in the script. It makes and I perfect sense, like but it. if you're assuming the posture of, I'm an ally, I'm completely heterosexual, I'm going to do Angels in America and play him as a real fag, <laughs> it has a certain, like, <laughs> there's a certain, like, mm. yeah. I, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's a bad choice, I'm just saying I understand why some people were like, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, but that to me, like, Snagglepuss, like, that kind of energy is where I'm at with Pyro, especially in oh, the burn. Oh, Pyro should be Snagglepussing yeah. it all day yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> flames erupting on the right because yeah yeah i mean they put i actually it's funny jerry is it jerry who put iceman as a judge on drag race yes pyro is the one who should be a judge on drag race pyro should be but iceman would be that's exactly correct Mm, yeah okay yeah (laughs) no disrespect to world of wonder but you know i'm right It's like how Dazzler will have a season premiere episode of Drag Race and Lila Cheney will never have a season premiere episode of Drag Race. Yeah. Oh, I'm wearing my Lila Cheney shirt. You are. And my sister thought it was a Dick Cheney shirt. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh, yikes. <laughs> well, Lila Cheney will be featured here on Cerebro in just two weeks' time. Ooh. So about that. Yeah. Who's doing that one? Marco Mutter, Pearl Snapped on Twitter. Oh, That's perfect. Yep, 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 yeah. yep, 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 That's exactly right. You will talk yep. about all the things that I think I would also say. About yep. It's, yeah, no, don't worry. I wouldn't take Lila Cheney away from you unless I knew that the guest was like the right person to do Lila Cheney with. Also, we have like seven characters set aside for you and I do have to let other people claim a few characters. No, I didn't mean, I just, just, I didn't mean like. You didn't actually want to do Lila Cheney, but you're just saying you have a couple thoughts that you're sure Margot will cover. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm yeah, saying. No, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I think that, like, specifically the femdom energy of Lila Cheney requires a female guest. I was trying to explain to my sister that she owns a Dyson Sphere. <laughs> she lives in a Dyson Sphere, and she takes her teenage boyfriend there to dress him in bondage gear. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, who else lives in this Dyson Sphere? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, do you think I'm like, what, the fucking landlady? <laughs> <laughs> Gina writes Hello Mr. Cerebro and guest As an Australian I took an instant liking to Pyro And find his excessive use of Aussie slang Absolutely hilarious Especially since I have to look up half the stuff he says <laughs> Do you think his American teammates also struggle Understanding half the shit he's saying Do you think he got cancelled for calling someone a cunt <laughs> Even if you meant it as a compliment Or has he gotten his ass beat by Raven For calling her a ranger? That's a redhead, I looked it up It's short for orangutan <laughs> Oh no 
Also, he was originally British. Did he think a British accent would make him sound cooler? Or did he just do it because he thought it would be funny? Thanks, Gina. So we've speculated that he did it to get higher class clientele as a prostitute. But Also, though, it's also possible, you can also retcon it that Blob is just so stupid he doesn't Blob's understand. Blob's just an that, idiot. Yeah, he also, I, I've always, I actually, because I knew the character was Australian, I, it never, as a kid, occurred to me that it was a continuity error, and I just assumed that Blob was dumb. Right. And thought right. that the Australian was British because he doesn't know the difference. Yeah. That's an easy way to wave that off. Yeah. Um, but yes, I do think that he said cunt like 50 times on the water, <laughs> and Kate had to be like, listen. I don't, that conversation happened with Mystique and Destiny, surely, before it got to, yeah. No, because they say cunt too, they're European. <laughs> oh, God. Do you think Destiny still has an accent? No. And Raven certainly doesn't have an accent anymore. My evidence for Destiny not having an accent is that when Arthur Conan Doyle adapted them into a scandal in Bohemia. Oh, that's right. He wrote Irene as an American, and maybe he just assumed that because she had killed the shit out of her accent. Right. And similarly, Mystique has to work in Washington. Like, she can't. Yeah, no, she's deputy DARPA director Raven (laughs) She's got an umlaut in her name, but she's not a fucking kraut. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Like, she and Val Cooper are going to aerobics class together because they're good. Good all American gals. <laughs> it was the eighties. There were umlauts everywhere anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Um, we talked about this in the Patreon episode, but my favorite factoid about Pyro's accent is that a misunderstanding in the recording booth during Pride of the X-Men is why Wolverine has an Australian accent in that. Because Right, because there's a line about a dingo. <laughs> yeah, he calls pyro a dingo or because like pyro's father. australian and they were like i guess wolverine's australian so they did the whole thing that way because they thought because australia was he cool was making a dingo reference yeah. and yes it was cool crocodile yeah. dundee and all that then right. the x-men go off to the outback and all that yeah so, um, mad max notably yeah. was yes right exactly did we answer the question <laughs> uh we're moving on sure. josh wolf writes <laughs> Hey, Connor and Anthony. So excited to see Anthony as a returning guest. Connor, the pod's always stunning, but the episodes Anthony's on always have a special place in my heart. The 90s are about a vibe. Yes. Anyway, long-time <laughs> listener, first-time caller, the whole shebang. My question's about Pyro's power set. I was going to ask about his sexuality, but I'm sure you guys have covered that enough <laughs> as it is. Clocked. I love when the listeners just, like, know what the fuck we're yeah, going to do. Yeah. They're like, I bet you've all been showing off your classics education. Like, wow. Okay. That was but- the Exodus episode, and it was like, <laughs> you're absolutely right. We just did it for two hours. Can I just say, because I haven't said it yet, I love that Pyro hates James Joyce. I think that's very funny. Because <laughs> when he's flirting with Stonewall, he's like, it's just nonsense. And, like... I like an early James Joyce, but Ulysses is a rough one, kids. Like, don't do that to yourself till you're older. I just feel like that threw me when I saw that in my reread because I just feel like Pyro would be really into the last part, the Molly Bloom part of Ulysses. The thing is that Pyro is a sentimentalist. Like, he's writing romance novels. That's true. It's too cynical. He would like Dubliners. He would like Portrait of the Artist. He's not going to be into Ulysses. He's going to find it pompous. He's going to, like, he's going to read it the way Gore Vidal would read it, where it's like, what the fuck is the point? Like, you're just jacking off. Which, by the way, I assure you, James Joyce was. (laughs) Well, we don't, we can't, this is not a James Joyce podcast. (laughs) 
Um, but he like okay, like the other thing is like Pyro reads Web of Spider Man on the plane. Like he's reading comic sure. books. Like yeah, 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 he is not to project, but he is all about bringing high class and low class together. Like that. No, you're his... right. He'd be more if he was gonna do Joyce. It would be Dubliners. You're absolutely. Yeah. Right. Oh God, the dead. He would love the dead. Mm-hmm. That's a very Pyro vibe. <laughs> what was the honestly. question about? Uh, we didn't fire. get to it because you stopped me. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Wow. Oh my God. Ugh. The cartoon moose is coming out <laughs> right at that hour of the evening. Smashed fucking car. I don't have a ton of knowledge about Pyro, mostly from X-Men Evolution. I guess he was in that. I, you know what I have not done is we rewatch X-Men Evolution. The, yeah, I... I never not spoke Wolverine to me. in the X-Men, but it's... It's not the animated series either. It's neither, really, is the problem. Mm. Anyway, but it has its it has a vibe. It has its like it has its charms. Thing. It's very weird that Mystique poses as a British girl with purple hair named Ritzy, who is not Betsy Braddock. That's very strange to me. Goth rogue, goth rogue's pretty good. Goth rogue's fine. I don't have a ton of knowledge about Pyro. Most of X Men Evolution and the new Marauders books I'm working through, but it really seems like he got one of the shorter ends of the stick when it came to mutant abilities. He can manipulate fire, but can't create it naturally. That's some bullshit. Bobby's <laughs> over here being a walking ice machine. Amara can turn completely into magma, but Pyro needs a flamethrower glove or something to do anything cool. So what gives? Is it just so he can be differentiated from other similarly fire-based mutants like Sunspot or Sunfire? Am I totally missing the point, or is this guy's power not that impressive? Anyway, love the pod, love the Discord. Thanks for being a great resource for under understanding this wild franchise much love joshi so i think that part of the point is that his power is something that charles xavier wouldn't really care skip about. yeah yeah it i like the idea that he figured it out when he was like 16 and he's like well this is fucking sucks and did it for like prestidigitation when he exactly. was exactly like he uses it to impress whatever, you know uses it to impress guys at the bar and that's about it that's all it was for right and then Destiny was like, actually, you what if you strapped this on, on there? Big fire, <laughs> if you wanted to. You could flame all over town. I similarly think that, again, there is kind of something queer and decadent about it. He literally is impotent, right? Like, he He's literally. He's a sculptor. He doesn't yeah. create, he shapes. Exactly. And that is, yeah, it is impotent. It is inverted in some way. Exactly. Right? Like, there, there is, is something... that to it. They're all a little bit backwards, these mm-hmm. like, queer-coded villains in some way. Yeah. They're doing it from the side in some sense. The application of his power, I thought, was really cool and amazing in, um, is in the Muir Island saga when their helicopter crashes mm, yeah. and Forge is trying to run away from the explosion. And he's like, wait, what happened? And Pyro's like, you don't have to worry about explosions when I'm around. Yeah, just kind I can of like, contain them. He just kind of swallows it up. And it's like, oh, that's amazing. Like, there's actually an incredibly defensive, protective element to his power. He takes loads. Yeah. <laughs> he just swallows them up. Yeah. He just takes loads, just <laughs> takes explosion after explosion after burst after... <laughs> <laughs> pulse and you just you know that's just his problem yeah, to deal with not yeah, yours exactly. you know what i mean i like that i like that there is some yeah there's something inverted about him that is appealing and of course that's that's what makes simon lasker more boring right he's like yeah oh, as simon like, lasker's just like i'm just making he fire can do more feats gay. and it's like pyro's not about the feats pyro wants well, to make a cool this is the Phoenix problem <laughs> like, this is the problem i have with a significant contingent of like superhero fan is like yeah, it doesn't matter how powerful the character is. It matters what the character's power says about the character. Yeah. Stan Lee has that clip where he's like, stop fucking asking me who would win in a fight. 
Yeah, because the answer is whoever needs to win for the story to continue. Yeah. And it's like, why didn't this character, who conceivably could have done this feat to save the day in this instance, why didn't she do it? It's like, because... That's not the story. Right. Yeah. And because, like, you don't always do the most optimal <laughs> right, yeah. thing in any situation L'esprit either. d'escalier. You always wear like, oh, I should have done this. <laughs> it's such theory crafting. It's like, you know, play the game, bitch. Like, you know. Um, yeah, but I like it. I like the thing. I like it weird... too. I do think that he is overlooked because of it. And I think that that's also, I mean, one thing that's notable is that once he has legacy and his power starts growing out of control, he does generate his own fire. Yeah. And That's so, so maybe it's, it's a something that was within yeah. him, but psychologically he can't do it. Well, like I said at the beginning, he hasn't developed anything. Like he, he hasn't learned. He can't throw a punch. Like he right. makes. He in, makes. I will beautiful... say in Marauders, he's he seems to have leveled up a little in terms of like he can get in the mix. You know. Oh yeah, but he's still like he's in it for the flair of it, right? Yes, like... it's about being flashy. It's not about being super powerful. Yeah, I do think it. One of his big. It, it is notable that one of his big feats in Marauders is making a giant dick, like yeah, the, with with Bobby with Bobby <laughs> that like shoots fireballs or yeah. whatever. <laughs> we don't see this, by the way, on panel, right. but it's, it's we, just you, loving. You know, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan Rains writes, hello, Connor and Anthony. First, I'd like to congratulate Connor on going two years strong on this amazing podcast. Hey. God, we are about to hit year two. That's crazy. I look forward to each and every Cerebro episode and always learn something new about my favorite comic book franchise full of queer weirdos. Speaking of queer weirdos, hmm. that brings me to my question about Sinjin Allardyce. I've always <laughs> felt a weird kinship with him through my personal reading of the character. Despite having this ferocious and dangerous exterior via his pyrokinesis, I find it fascinating that he's not generally characterized as your stereotypical angry or brooding person with fire powers. Why do y'all think that is? I like to think it's because he gets to exercise his agency, despite up till recently always being someone's subordinate, through his writing as a gothic romance author or getting a trashy yet endearing face tattoo. I always appreciated the character arc given to Pyre from adversary to hero, which is why it irked me that in Necrotia he was resurrected and suddenly eager to start killing the X-Men again. Should Pyre and Blob date? Yes, yes, or yes. Thank you so much for taking the time to read, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Thank you, Ryan Rains. P.S. Thank you, Anthony, for the Devil's Party podcast. It's super uh... educational, and it's weirdly helping me in my deconstructing journey. Oh, thank you so much. That makes me very happy. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh... We commented on Akrosia. He's being mind-controlled. Don't worry about that too much. Also, he should kind of hate them. They let him die. You know, like, that's... Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he should date Blob because I think Blob was weirdly homophobic to him in Avalanche. Bob is... But also, Blob is in a committed down-low relationship with Unis the Untouchable. Unis the Untouchable, so I was going to say. he's spoken for. Blob is one of those odd characters where he is actually kind of weirdly gay-coded understand Lee. And, and then, then isn't and really then ever is... again. Yeah, when it's Chris Claremont peculiar. gets him, he's like, no, right. this is just a bully. He's like, no, this is just a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> often blob is almost like the annoyed heterosexual in that group he right? serves sort of the strong guy role where it's yeah. like this big fat guy is gonna be homophobic because he's a dude who's a bro yeah. you know um i don't i can't think of too many moments they were kind of working together yeah like in the daredevil story they've one-on-one a few times but it does I said earlier, and I do. I said it as a joke, but I do kind of think it's true. I think that Pyro has had sex with most of the Brotherhood. Yeah, no, they've probably hooked up. You and I can speak to the fact that people sometimes hook up and are friends, and then like that's just kind of how it goes, right? Yes, like, that's a thing. Like I don't sometimes need him you just to fuck be... your friends. Yeah, you don't exactly. Need to be dating. Like, 
Like, had he already fucked Stonewall? Was he about to fuck Stonewall? I don't know. He hadn't know, fucked Stonewall yet when they were talking about Joyce. You but think, he yeah. Did shortly thereafter, I think. Well, Stonewall's dead pretty much right away after that. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> and that's kind of what, yeah, like, I don't know if that's early in there, but certainly it starts to clarify that Avalanche does become his primary, his plot's in the 90s kind of bounce off Avalanche as of the Empyrean stuff. The legacy virus stuff doesn't really make sense unless he and Avalanche are a couple. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, what are... It's a lot like Black Tom and Juggernaut that way, where it's like, this is about AIDS. Yes, exactly. That's really the coding of the scenes. Exactly. And it makes... It's nonsense without it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense otherwise. But I don't know if they've fucked since. Like, I don't know if they've fucked on... I actually, I don't think, I think Avalanche's only appearance is the one I wrote, actually. Yeah, I believe that's true. <laughs> so, Where he blames it on Richter. He's alive, but that's all we have so yeah, far. Yeah, right. We skipped over the actual question, which is about his personality. I think that he is not portrayed as, like, fiery in that way for sort of two reasons. And one is that it's because it's part of the, like, artist... Yeah, uh, he's kind of, he's like Zoisite from Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. but he's not bratty in that way. That character is often like the the effete male villain on the team is often like the brat. Yeah, that's not really how he's characterized because no. he's given that kind of worldly, older Oscar Wilde, yeah. it all gay kind of energy. He will say something withering. He won't. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't have to impress you. He's not interested in impressing you. He thinks he's better than you. He is Gore Vidal. Yeah. Or a George Sanders character. Like, yes, he has exactly. That vibe to it. And I think that the fire is on some level meant to contrast it. Like it underlines the camp that he's doing these big fire things, but they're like little ghosts and ghoulies and goblins. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's not not Johnny Storm. Yeah. You know, he also reminds me of a lot is um, the lead from Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yes, that's a good, yeah, that's a good reference for sure. Yeah. I mean, he and Avalanche are literally Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yes, it's true. Yeah, yeah. They just are. Um, you know what else? And this is actually kind of a parallel of the same thing. It's like the Truman Capote thing of like this effete man who becomes obsessed with this like rough with trade. With the like hyper masculine rough exactly. trade guy. Yeah. yeah. Or like there is kind of a Quentin Crisp of it all. Sure. Where it's just like you have seen it all. Now you're watching this next generation come up and you will say the withering thing. But you don't need to. You don't need to show off anymore. You live that life. Quentin Crisp was also a hustler, I think, actually, now that I think about yeah. it. He was. I mean, so many were. And I mean, we're using, I should just say, because some people, we're using he pronouns for Quentin Crisp. Quentin Crisp said, uh, I have been informed that I'm transgender, <laughs> which like tells <laughs> me something about Quentin Crisp's relationship yeah. to all of this. Well, which and actually, also I think the way that like Pyro's these identities <laughs> shifted over time. Exactly. You know I mean? This is why RuPaul doesn't get it, to go take it back to RuPaul. That's, because yeah. RuPaul is someone for whom those identities were not distinct. Which back to the Simon Lasker of it all, like that's one of the cool stories to do with Pyro is like you've been dead. Well, he hasn't obviously in in world been dead for 25 years, but like the culture has shifted. Much like Betsy wasn't actually in Conan's body and universe for 30 years, but we refer to your decades (laughs) of mess. You know exactly what we're talking about because she was in reality. Sometimes the time dilation is something you can acknowledge. Right, right. But, you know, I'm thinking of specifically, like, Melina in Kiss of the Spider-Woman also has these, like, elaborate fantasy worlds, and he ends up caught up in the criminal excitement 
because of his effete gay sexuality. To your point, and a thing we've under-talked about, is Pyro's complicity in the machine, right? Like, Mm -hmm. this is a person who gets... He's in the Brotherhood, but that becomes Freedom Force. He works for the Reagan government. Right, yeah. And the sellout of it all is important. Like, there is kind of a... There's that new book, Bad Gays, about these, like... Mm-hmm. queer figures throughout history. There's Alexander. a podcast too that's cool. Yes, the, the, yes, the, the book is based on the podcast. Right, no, I know. I'm just for people who are listening who aren't aware. And there is something about these these figures in gay history who end up betraying what you would hope, like there's this fantasy in queer culture that like you will be self-liberated and understand the struggles of others. And in fact, a lot of these figures from Alexander the Great to like Edward II to like... No, I mean, Pyro's story on some level is about a disenfranchised gay radical who sells out, becomes part of the machine in exchange for a pardon. Exactly. Arrests other people in marginalized positions. And, oh, by the way, once he gets AIDS, the government doesn't want him anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's like a little bit of a Roy Cohn story, too, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I just realized Nathan Lane plays Roy Cohn in that Angels in America, mm-hmm. and he plays Alexander Wolcott, the character based on Alexander Wolcott in uh, The Man Who Came to Dinner. Yes. Which, if you guys haven't seen Man Who Came to Dinner, it's just like two hours of the meanest insults you've ever seen in your life <laughs> as this like older gay man is trapped in this like bourgeois suburban house because his leg is broken, and he's like fucking with the family. It's so good. You can watch the version on YouTube that has Nathan Lane and what's her name who plays B.B. Glazer on Frasier on YouTube. But there's also like a 1940s version. It's so smart, so funny. 100% is Pyro's energy. That's Harriet Sansom Harris, by the way, who plays B.B. Glazer. Oh, God. So amazing. Really did not She's one of the very best. She also, for the sci-fi fantasy fans out there, very memorably, she's a famous Broadway actress, but she's also Eve Eve Six, like in uh, X Files. Yes, that's right. She is. <laughs> she's so scary in that. <laughs> she has a great part in Phantom Thread. Yeah, the role you really should see her in while we're talking about Joe Keenan is um, Gloria Vane. Have you ever seen the pilot for mm. Gloria Vane? The script that got him the Fraser role. It's on YouTube. It's like a 1940s film star as a sitcom. It's so fucking good. She's also, um, she's the wife in Memento in those flashbacks. Oh. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Wild. Oh my God. Okay. And that's like a silent part as far as I can remember. And she fucking kills that. Fucking amazing. So good. I could watch her do anything. Uh, Yeah. Phoebe Glazer, one of the great characters of the night. Wow. This has gotten very faggy. We've, Uh, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, Harriet Sansom Harris heads, put your hands up. We don't have to talk about Thoroughly Modern Millie. Uh, the, uh, she did win the Tony for it, but she did play the white slaver. Well, she's good at being evil. That's Yeah, why she's, she's she plays good. a lot of bad guys. That's why she's so good as Eve. I mean, B.B. Glazer is demonic on Frasier, right? Like that's. <laughs> I'm not a big Frasier person because Kelsey Grammer gives me the willies. Oh, you're right. You're that's... coming at it from the real housewives of it all. I yeah. sure am. Mm. But even back in the day, I knew he was like a weird Republican. So Yeah. Never... Great casting is Beast for that reason, actually. Sure is, yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say, actually, before we get to the next question, is this makes Pyro a lot like Wolfsbane. In that he's a character who does not make sense unless you say that he's gay. Yeah. If you look at his character history. And so it's a little bit hard to say, like, what should be done with this character? 
unless that's a story that's going to be allowed to be told. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel even more strongly about it than the Iceman of it all, where the Iceman stuff is, until 1985, it's like, that's that's neat, the way it locks together. Pyro but is this literally is very, this is intentional. It's yeah. like North Star. It's yeah, not exactly. like Iceman. Yeah, It's exactly. intentional. It's the same creator, even. Yeah, it's intentional yeah. from the beginning. With, with even the same homophobic vibe. With the same homophobic <laughs> yeah. vibes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I still love that John Byrne blames the inkers for making his characters look saggy. <laughs> I think they made them so appealing to homosexuals. Faggy. No, but, but he's but but no, he means like he means like the chest hair and the muscles. He's like the oh. inkers really went overboard on those men. They made them look like gay guys. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, well, uh, you I mean, you put that hellfire your art in those powdered wigs. So, well, that Sebastian, was no, Sebastian that was Shaw. Let's be real. That was a that was in the script. You know that was in the script. Okay, that's right but Sebastian Shaw was pretty gay before the chest hair got inked oh, in there. <laughs> did you? By the way, it was pointed out to me. I missed this entirely because in the horticulture issue, which I hadn't gone back and read, but I got the Hickman stuff in the omnibus that they just put out. And someone pointed out to me, Sebastian Shaw in the horticulture issue is like, I fuck men and women. Guess what? I, obviously. but he said, but he's, but, yeah, he's, but, but he, he says say it, it, which is cool. Yeah. I had, I had just my eyes completely skipped over that. Now, like diversity wins, Sebastian Shaw. <laughs> I don't know, but I was, I was pleased. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, another, uh, I mean, really the ultimate bad gay, right? Like, I will literally oh, manufacture yeah. sentinels. Like, that's yeah. like... <laughs> and, like, abuse women because I'm yeah. actually bisexual. It's, again, it's an Addison DeWitt Yeah, vibe. I think that's very much a, like, I mean, eventually, if you're at the Eyes Wide Shut orgy, your hand's gonna touch another man's butt. Shit gets like, weird, right? Yeah, yeah no, it's, yeah. well, that's now, I mean, like, Shinobi Shaw's birth now appears to be explicitly from... Uh, yeah, right, exactly. My like, boyfriend and I were fucking this woman together. As so, much as they like, could say it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> the uh, phrasing's like, there was an occasion where the two of us might have been your father. She was very dear to both of yeah, us, right. and we weren't sure exactly which one of us was your father, but... <laughs> so James McNeil writes, Hello, Cotter and Anthony. Hope you're doing well, and happy Pride Month. My God, these questions have been open for a long time. I, I did kind of almost die. Did whatever. You like, did mm. almost die, but you're fine now. <laughs> Since Sinjin's return to his romance novelist roots, do you think he takes inspiration from the years of ex-relationship drama? Who else in Krakoa writes romance novels? And what is the Krakoan romance publishing imprint called? Thanks for the fantastic word you do. Stay Oof. fabulous, James McNeil. Wait. There were like a lot of questions there. Well, yeah, we're, we're... so the ex-relationships one, there's other people who are like, who does okay. Pyro ship? So we'll get to that yeah. later. But who else on Krakoa do you think writes romance novels? Um, so we know for a fact that Vivisector is a... But are they... Is Are the ecstatics really canon? I... I... I would we like... haven't seen them on Krakoa, is that what I'm saying. Is... Well, have we seen none of them? None of them. Oh, interesting. In part, I think, because the excellent is ongoing, and they started that before Krakoa, and so you... Like the timing of like, when is this taking place is very yeah. confusing. And I think yeah. they're keeping them separate, but I like them separate. So I don't have a problem with that. But yes, Vivisector. I mean, you will not be surprised that I'm very interested in the hirsute anxious. The little hairy anxious gay. Yeah. <laughs> but he studies literature and I think he could turn to writing. We know Doug Ramsey writes poetry. Not very good poetry though. 
Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> it was the question wasn't who's good, is it? No, um, no, it's true. Um, but romance, romance novels like Pyro, who else would be? I think Rogue reads them. I think Rogue. Oh, Rogue absolutely <laughs> Rogue, reads them. She married Rogue, Gambit. Rogue has read every Pyro novel. I think. Yeah. Rogue was like, I did not even realize that Mama's friend Pyro <laughs> was my favorite author. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what his alias is, because again, we're not even sure where that came from, if it's just from a handbook. My vibe on that is, I think that he probably, and this is just like me coming at it from a publishing professional perspective. Right. We know that some of his novels are under his actual name. Mm. I think that the female pen name novels are probably like historicals. Sure. Like he writes more contemporary romances as Sinjin Allardyce and then like Rosamund Stone or whatever is like his Regency romance alias or gothic romance alias. We do know as of Marauders that he's at least published, I wrote them down, The Secret Tides of Salt Wives, Mm -hmm. The Burning Within and Man Overboard are all under his own name. And those come across, I guess, as historicals. Those sound like pirate romances. Yeah, presumably. Yeah, yeah. I think he's due. Maybe he came up out of like a VC Andrews thing where he was like one of the VC Andrews ghostwriters. And he's like, I'm good at this. I'm going to use my own name from now on. Yeah. Or maybe like he uses the female pen name for erotica or something. Right. I mean, it's worth thinking about. We've been talking about like the Quentin Crisp of it all, right? Like there is a kind of. There is also a like, what does it mean to have a female pen name and be writing exactly. novels under it? Like, what are you exploring there? Is there exactly. a gender thing going on yeah. also? Yeah, and I would not be averse to, like, there is some, you could take, one of the cool things you could do is, like, Pyro has been in the ground for 30 years, and now it's like, oh, am I non-binary? Am I, like, what Sure, you could do all kinds of things. I think that at the very least, even if he is, like, comfortably a cis guy, there's clearly, like, a feminine side he's enjoying exploring. Like, get into, at the very least, give us, like, a Pyro drag moment. Sure, yeah, I mean, he could definitely, he would be a very, he'd be a very crunchy drag performer. He would be on Dragula, not on Dragula. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's the energy. I mean, can you imagine what a drag queen who could control and shape fire could do? (laughs) She could win Dragula, I'll tell you that for Yeah, she could win Dragula, that's for sure. Yeah. As for what the imprint is called, it's definitely like a subdivision of X Corp. Monet absolutely has set up Uh a publishing arm. And so it's probably called like... Uh, Children of the Atom, maybe? That would be the kids imprint. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um... That's X Corp Kids. It's Children of the Atom. It's like Coda on the spine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I feel like the X Corp branding is simply superior. So like, you know, superior books or something like that is probably the name. But mm. for the romance imprint, it would be like Superior Desire. Or like something, like it would have, it'd be like Harlequin. It would have like a, you yeah, know, like yeah. Harlequin Blaze and Harlequin... Thing is, he probably already has a publisher. Like he does like, already have a publisher, but I think that he I would, would like switch. to see that fight. I would like to see like, like over his yeah. contract. It's like yeah, exactly. my option agreement expired when I died. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. A lot of well, but it's like or did it because your literary estate is still bound to the publishing contract. There's a lot of like. Am I requesting a reversion on rights because I died? There's, there's a, a lot, lot of like legal, leftovers. Now that ask, resurrection is public, exactly. there's a lot of questions to be asked about property rights and things for people who were dead but are now. But you have to assume that the Marvel universe has legal precedence in place for that because people come back from the dead as a part of a storyline all mm. the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
She-Hulk would know. Like She-Hulk, I was going to say, She-Hulk and Daredevil have both <laughs> yeah. figured out. Yeah. <laughs> Gabby Holler famously got Magneto off of all That's the charges. True, because he because died. There's she legal argued precedent. that he turned into a yeah. baby. So United technically, Nations versus Eric Lencher would be a precedent for a lot of cases, probably. Yeah, the, the international oh, that's right. court it was, or whatever. What was it? UN. In well, not Paris. UN, it was not UN. real. It was a fake Hague. Right, right, exactly. But, you know. But that's international law then. Yes. Oh my God, we are in the weeds. We are in the weeds now. <laughs> Brian Houston writes, Hello, Connor, Steve Anthony. I'm fascinated by Paris' literary career and I have questions. What does Pyrus about the author section say? I could see why you might want to avoid mentioning his history of terrorism, but having a presidential pardon would look nice in a book flap. Would he even publish under his own name, or does he use a nom de plume? We know he does both. Mm -hmm. I think that at this point, being a former Brotherhood of Evil Mutants member is probably a draw. Oh, my God. He would tell everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, I, I feel like in the, like, we're we're 20 years of publication post Magneto was right t-shirts. I think that <laughs> the the Brotherhood is is doing fine. In well, public. I mean, really, this is, this has been determined since the saber tooth of it all, right? Like, we will handle it. The Krakoans would not let anyone touch him, right? Like, that's right. the point. Exactly. So. so he can say whatever he wants. And it would be a huge draw. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the press for that alone. The New York Post would be all over that every week of the press tour. Yeah. <laughs> a gay murderer? Yeah. Gay murderer? He's Leopold and Loeb. He's the rope. He's oh, Hannibal God. Lecter. Like, the thing that's funny about him is, like, despite Burns' most homophobic inclinations that might have happened, he's really not that. He's, like, of the Brotherhood, maybe the more pleasant. He's actually, you know, member. he's not Hannibal Lecter. He's Brian Fuller, actually. <laughs> Where it's just like, that's funny. <laughs> Where it's like, you're so charming. His shows only rubber run one season. Right. <laughs> because it's got a little too weird for us here at Buttoned Up Network oh, Incorporated. But, but Hannibal, as a TV show, is... In television, the same thing Pyro does with fire, right? It's like fussy and baroque, and like, why sure. are you doing this? Why don't you just shoot a fireball? And like the <laughs> Hugh Dancy character in that is like very much in the vein of like wilting Victorian yep. faggot, yeah, gothic so, heroine, exactly. Mm -hmm, yeah. But yeah. a boy, yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's that whole vibe. We know the titles of three of Sinjin's books, The Burning Within, Men Overboard, and The Secret Tides of Salt Wives. Not bad, but they could be better. Now that he's living his best and most hedonistic life on Krakoa, what kind of horny title should his next book have? Until FBI agent Fred Duncan's nephew Short Pack gets his own Max title, Make Mine, Cerebro, Brian, slash TD Mollusk on Discord. I forgot that Short Pack was related to Fred Duncan. That's Mystique's oh. little tiny friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Pyro is canny and he's a pop, like he is a popular writer. I think he's canny enough to know that your like orgy book probably won't sell. Like I do think he is yeah. kind of like a Gore Vidal. And that's Vidal. another reason to have, again, like you have multiple pen names yeah. because like one of them would be for more erotic stuff. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the, well, honestly, it's. You see comic book writers do it all the time, right? Like oh, Mike yeah. Carey versus MR Carey, right? Like Absolutely. You want to separate the brands because you want audiences to understand what they're getting, right? Yeah, well, our Nora Roberts writes her thrillers that are not romances is J.D. Robb. Exactly. Like, this is just... He's smart enough to know you can't move that book, so... Right. 
I think he like again I think of Gore Vidal where it's like yeah you fucking you work on Ben-Hur like you make the money and you put in the queer coding but you make the millions too right like he's yeah. a sellout he actually is right like that's No I learned. think he's writing straight romances specifically yeah, I agree. which is what's interesting like while the the gender of it all is interesting I could also imagine a version of him who hits find and replace on all the he's and changes them to she's once he's done the book right like he writes it gay and then just flips it to straight Mm -hmm. to make it sell in pharmacies right like and they're like did they have a cabin girl (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that seems unusual on the high seas (laughs) Oh, he would love Our Flag Means Death, now that I think about it. He like. sure would. <laughs> he had Avalanche watch that every week. Oh, yeah. Popcorn curled up on the couch, and Avalanche. Avalanche is it. like, bit weird. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. like, no, it's great. <laughs> Where's the You game? love it. Admit, yeah. <laughs> admit, admit, you love it. You love it, mate. Pyro wants to watch the soccer. Jesse Adkins writes, Hi, Connor and Dr. Oliveira. I'm so excited the two of you are doing an episode about another flaming homosexual. If you had to pick someone on Krakoa to be Pyro's literary agent, who do you think would excel at the job? As always, thanks for the podcast and the hours of laughs. I listen to the Strife episode whenever I'm sad because the wig reveal moment always leaves me (laughs) in stitches. Make mine cerebro. Jesse Adkins, Zahili on the Discord. Ah, that's very kind. That is very kind. Who is a good literary agent? I mean, Monet is an obvious place to go, but it's beneath yeah, her talents. Um, but, uh, yeah, and also, like, she is not talent-facing. Mm. Well, <laughs> she this is your the, field. She would not Who have the patience you? for that. No, I know. I'm thinking about it. I mean, I do think that if, like, we know that the ladies' mastermind in Age of X-Men were studio executives, <laughs> or at least Reagan was. I don't think they're agenting side. They're more like production. Honestly, actually, Mystique would kill at it. Like, that's the right energy. Like, when I have an agent, I want them to be like the bad mom where it's like, I'm just a dumb writer. Handle this for me. Right. Please. No, where it's like, <laughs> do you want to CC me in on this? Yeah. Like, that's exactly. the, right. <laughs> that is my job. My job is to get between you and your editor and be pleasant, but not nice. Right. Exactly. I think actually that Pyro's literary agent should be Destiny. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, literally. She should be the executor of his entire literary estate, frankly. She has been editing since, like, George Bernard Shaw. Like, she has... Yeah, like, she knows. And, like, he reads it aloud to her, and she's like, no, change that. Yeah. Actually, I kind of would love if, in reverse of this, I would like it if Pyro were, like, the steward of the Destiny Diaries. Like, because that's, like, that would be in his skill set. Well, she's writing a new one. He knows her, like now that I've headcanoned to the team now that you've decided, <laughs> right? That this, like their relationship. he he would know he her. Call he her mother get... in House of yeah, X, which I do you think yeah, is meant to be. There's a seed. Yeah, Destiny's right. Destiny is correct. The only problem might be like, is she up to date on her legal frameworks? But <laughs> right, and also like, how much reading does she really want to do? Right, right. That also, yeah. Hmm. But I feel like he would read it all aloud to her and would relish every moment. I like that. that. There is kind of a like John Milton and his daughter's in gender inversion there where it's like, all right, you fucking queer. What if he were her menu? (laughs) I like that he could be at her knee taking dictation. That sounds English gay, English major gay, (laughs) waxing poetic about John Milton's daughter. I can't help it. I'm such a cliche. Uh (laughs) I love it. Speaking of academia, Dr. Holly Schaefer Raymond writes, 
writes, Dear Connor and Anthony, I've been looking forward to a Pyro episode for ages because for better or worse, he is probably the most prominent mutant author, a persistently underexplored element of his character. One of my pet Marvel obsessions is one Anne Nascenti two-parter, Daredevil 248 to 249, in which Bushwhacker, a really stupid villain with a penis gun for an arm, is dispatched to go around killing, specifically, mutant artists, musicians, painters, etc. The implication that I've always taken from that story, already a fairly pointed little allegory in 1987, is that a lot of mutant-centric cultural production got foreclosed in this one horrible rampage, that a generation of mutant art and mutant literature just doesn't exist, which I think puts Pyro in a really interesting position. Do his readers know he's a mutant? Does he write about mutant characters or mutant issues? If he doesn't, does he have any anxiety or guilt about that? Did the critical neglect that his early work suffered from stem from anti-mutant prejudice in the literary world? Is this why he turned to torrid botulotop rippers? Or did he just need to pay the bills or whatever? Do you think he ever feels any pull to go back toward journalism and fill another much-needed niche as the world's premier mutant long-form journalist? To make a long story short, I'm extremely interested in pirating his capacity as a mutant author, but for the bigger questions about mutant literature could look like, and what sociopolitical functions it might fill, and also because I just like the thought of this little cravat maniac running around writing romance novels <laughs> and <laughs> What are your takes as two people pretty deeply immersed in the lit world on Pyro's literary output and his position as arguably the major mutant novelist? As a side note, do you think his novels are actually good? Best, Dr. Holly Schaefer-Raymond. Holly is incredible. That's a great letter. I think that he writes commercial fiction intentionally. Like, I mm -hmm. don't think that he's a literary writer, so it's good for a certain value of good. We do get an excerpt in Marauders at one point, and <laughs> it's very, like, bodice ripper romance novel. Yeah, I love the yeah. idea of a bachelor top ripper being the <laughs> mutant version of the yeah. bodice ripper. But that's an aesthetic choice he's making, to write in that Harlequin romance way. And it's not to suggest it's the only thing he can write. And we know he was a journalist, so yeah. I think he, I think he's mostly written bad novels, but he has a good one in him. And mm -hmm. we're wait, and I think Destiny knows he has a good one in him. She <laughs> definitely, well, she's yeah. seen it. She's read yeah. it in her brain, <laughs> exactly. At least and parts of it. So yeah, no. <laughs> I'm really drawn to this mutant culture. It's also a question I think about a lot. I think a lot about a scene. I can't remember the comic it's in where Husk is teaching kids about mutant art. From Wolverine and the X-Men, and there's this, yeah, and it's like, this is our class on, I've discussed it on the podcast because I'm like, how much is there out there that yeah. you could teach that class? One of the things you'd have to be teaching is Pyro's output. Novels, yeah. Because he's still dead at that point, and he would be like one of those lost gay artists whose like, trashy novels we read because they tell us something about a cultural moment that otherwise doesn't have enough of a footprint because it was so erased. Yeah. And I mean, to the point of one of the major themes we're talking about, of course, that is also what the AIDS crisis did. It wiped yes. out a generation. Well, that's what Holly is alluding to. Yeah. yeah. Of is artists, that, like the right? Bushwhackers story is like, here is this entire generation of minority artists being exterminated. Yeah. I do think it's a weak, I think it's a, a gap. I think it's a gap specifically that Grant Morrison was really interested in. In trying to fill. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. where Jumbo Carnation comes from. That's exactly. where a lot of the mutant town stuff spins out from that. I mean, actually, as of last week, one of the most famous mutant writers is Oscar Wilde. Although we don't. Well, right, that's but, but that's known. not publicly known. <laughs> but I, I think that Pyro now, especially, that resurrection is public and he can go public as the same guy who very publicly died back mm -hmm. then. 
Yeah. I think that now there's an opportunity for him to stake a claim as one of the preeminent mutant artists to achieve success. That leads kind of into the next question, which is Benjamin Rathbone writes, hello, Mr. Connor Goldsmith, an esteemed guest. When Magneto acknowledged that there weren't any famous mutant authors in X-Men 2019, number four, (laughs) was this an intentional sub to Pyro's work or is he just simply not aware? Thank you for hours and hours of entertainment and fascinating analysis. The three-hour spiral episode with Jordan Block is easily better paced and more captivating than most movies of the same length. Best, Ben of the Not a Hoax, Not a Dream podcast. Thank you. That's a funny to me. <laughs> there's a couple there's a couple little things that I'm going to read these sort of in sequence and then we'll talk about the writer thing generally okay. because a lot of people enjoy identified like little bits that I thought were great. Josh Schmidig writes, hi, Connor and Anthony. I'm so excited to listen to you both discuss Pyro. Your previous episodes are among my favorites, and I often find myself replaying them when I'm having a bad day because your intelligent insights and witty banter always put a smile on my face. It's my first time writing in, and I hope it's not too late to send this ah. question. That's very sweet. Thank you. I was recently reading the Mutant Empire novels by Christopher Goldman. Could love them. Oh, my God. And there's an interesting if somewhat unhinged scene featuring Pyro and Frenzy. When Magneto introduces Pyro to the Acolytes as a new member of his Manhattan nation, Frenzy enthusiastically steps forward and fully fangirls out, claiming that she's read all of Pyro's novels and is a huge fan. Who else in the X-Men universe or greater Marvel universe do you think would be a huge fan of Pyro's novels and have a similar reaction? Is anyone taking Pyro's characters and possibly writing their own fan fiction with them? Thanks, Joe. So to go back, it's like Magneto does say there is no famous mutant novelist yet but soon there will be. (laughs) I think that's because, to go back to Holly's question also, I think Sinjin Allardyce's audience did not know that he was a mutant. No. I also think, to go back to a scene that really has burned itself into my little chickadee brain as a child, like that scene of Exodus appearing to the Brotherhood on the boat and saying, Mm -hmm. you would have been invited he would have been invited because he's an artist, because exactly. he has value, cultural value. His power value. is useless to the Brotherhood, to the acolytes, to the acolytes. who are supremacists, right? Like they're picking yes, the best. Yes, and who of are specifically like eugenicists. Exactly. But he would have had value to them, cultural value. Exactly. That would have overcome his genetic limitations, except mm-hmm. he's tainted by the virus. Right. So he can't exactly. Come. I like the idea of Magneto, who honestly. Magneto doesn't know him because Exodus wouldn't take him to Avalon. But it's interesting. Sometimes Pyro <laughs> talks like he used to work for Magneto. They yeah, but that's very few scenes together. Yeah, writers just not understanding the video game. That he was in the <laughs> other. Yeah, that he was in the other Brotherhood that Magneto doesn't lead. So it's like how Mystique in adaptations is always working for Magneto, which never happened at all. Yeah. Like that's very pointedly not a thing because yeah. it's her taking up the mantle and doing her own thing with it. But I I think Magneto is established because he he basically reads the reading list Chris Claremont reads. Like mm-hmm. he reads high literary, but he reads like trash sci-fi too. Absolutely, and pulp and all of that. Yeah. yeah. He's like an Asimov guy when Asimov mm-hmm. was less cool and like <laughs> So sure. I don't hate the idea that he maybe Rogue left it on the bedside once in Savage Land and he picked up a an Allardyce novel and read it then. That's a possibility. And as for who would be fans, there's another question that gets into that. And and Mm -hmm. so hold that thought for now. But I love that so many people, this is what I love about this show is that people are like, 
I can't wait for you guys to talk about Pyro. What do you think his literary career is like in universe? And we got like seven questions along <laughs> those lines. It's like very oh. pleasing to me personally. Frenzy is an odd choice specifically because of the acolyte connection. But but I also think that it's a specific choice that Christopher Golden is making because it's funny that yeah. Frenzy, who is a seven foot tall butch Amazon, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> would love Pyro's trashy yeah. feminine romance novels. I think that's meant to be like a characterizing moment for her that's a surprise. By the way, every Everyone should read Mutant Empire. It's so good, especially if you love 90s X-Men. It is, I love that trilogy. We talk about Mutant Empire a bunch in the Val Cooper episode because Val Cooper is in that being evil as shit. (laughs) Which is weird because in the comics at the time, she was like our friend Val Cooper. Yeah, So it's like a very odd, it's very 80s Val. Which like, good to brush up on before X-Men 97 brings back the bitch Val Cooper (laughs) as a key villain per the San Diego Comic-Con preview, uh, which I'm pretty psyched about because... I am not one of those people who's super invested in the animated series, but if the Vitral Cooper is causing trouble, I will be very What does Val sound long. like? Who would you voice cast? I know you did acting cast, but who would you voice cast as Val? I would, well, it, dep- it depends on whether you are considering it canon that Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks is her brother. Right, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Which does kind of shake it up, you know? <laughs> Why? What is that? Who do you want to use then? Well, because my instinct would be to make her Southern, like Emily oh. Proctor on the West Wing. But if Dale Cooper's her brother, then she's not. You know what I mean? Mm. Honestly, you know who I might cast is like Portia de Rossi doing like a better off Ted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, vibe. yeah. 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 Portia de Rossi for a long time was, I thought, a great Emma, actually. Would have been yeah, yeah. I think circa she's... Allie McBeal, she was like a perfect oh well. I Emma. mean, yeah, she's basically as Emma in that show, actually. <laughs> Much like um, my Betsy Braddock, Naomi Watts, she's just aged out. Is the thing. yeah, like at yeah. a certain point, you know, you know. But as a voice, as a voice, they cast voice. a twenty-six-year-old as Carol Danvers. They're not casting. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Mutant Empire not canon. It's a prose novel, but like you know, it's fun. So who cares? Prose can be fun too. <laughs> No, it can. I just mean it's not like a 616 canon. I was just source, kidding. Right? I was bringing no. it back to the novelist of it all. I get it. Allardyce. Get it. Mike Chu writes, do you think Pyre has ever used his mutant ability to shape fire in order to elevate the eroticism of his romance novels? I'm picturing him using miniature flame people to choreograph a steamy sex scene. It's hard for me to imagine that an artist such as himself would not make use of every tool available to him. Love to you and Tony. I like the idea of him using them as like little artist figurines. Yeah. Like not necessarily like for erotic stuff, but just like (laughs) the idea of, I like the idea of him making like little dioramas when he's like blocking a scene in his head. Like, I think that's a cute notion. Yeah, that's, I do. I act out scenes when I'm writing. I could totally see. Yeah. Or like you say things in your head and I could see him making little fire people to like act out the stuff. I also think that making little fire people to like do a dance or whatever is absolutely like a faggy display of power that he would do to impress Avalanche. Oh, absolutely. Like it is truly one of the great, like it's like here's two men doing a Viennese waltz that I created with my powers, and I'm just showing them off for you because it's a thing I could do. Yeah, it's hard to imagine like in three dimension in the real world what like a dancing. I guess it would kind of speaking of Brian Fuller, it would look like that scene where the guy fucks the on fire gin from uh, American Whoa, Gods. That's so hot. hot. Yeah, that would be good. That's a hot scene. <laughs> you know, he made them reshoot it. I know, like, do you know this story? Because he was like, like, that's, he's like, unless he's not getting in at that angle. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, that's not how gay sex works. We gotta shoot that again. (laughs) King shit. Mm. 
Sam Felsenthal writes, Dear Mr. Goldsmith, an esteemed raccoon. As a longtime listener, I'm very excited to hear you discuss Pyro. I only know him from the movies as the young X-Man seduced oh. metaphorically by Magneto. So the idea that there's more to the character is something I didn't have until I heard you both make the case that he should be the man to steal Exodus's heart in the Exodus episode. Mm. I just love the idea of a mutant romance writer. Are there problematic Fifty Shades-esque romance novels written by non-mutant writers about flat skins falling in love with mutants? How many of them does Valerie Cooper have hidden in her house? With Krakoa positioned as a new start for all mutants, I feel like there's an enormous amount of potential for mutants with the desire to write or otherwise create art being actually allowed to do it in a safe place where they don't need to worry about sinister threats like sentinels or rent. Sorry for the length of this, but it just seems like such an untapped well of ideas, and I'd love to hear both your thoughts. Sincerely, Sam F. P.S. This is a little personal, but the Exodus episode is easily one of my favorites of the entire podcast. Hearing Anthony Oliveira discuss trauma and the experience of missing it really moved me, and I just wanted to assure him that I, for one, still want to hear about it. Oh, man. (laughs) I thought I was going to get through this one without crying. (laughs) I was waiting to read this letter because I knew this was the one that would make you cry. I went, (laughs) as I copy-pasted it into the document. (laughs) This is the one that would get the tears, and now there they go. They're rolling, screaming down his little Canadian face. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> Do we think there are like fetishistic romance novels about yes. mutants? And the answer is absolutely yes. In the same way that Janet Van Dyne's mutant themed fashion line oh my was entirely predictable. Hilarious, but it, like but so on brand for the supposed to be characters. hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Well, okay. Uncanny Avengers is like. <laughs> A weird book? <laughs> yeah, let's call it that. Let's um, just call it that. But like Stacey X tells us so, right? Like. Right, the existence of Stacey X. And the ranch. Go to yeah. episode 69 of this podcast <laughs> if you'd like to hear me and Josh Cornillon go long on Stacey X. But yes, the idea of mutants as exoticized fetish objects is also something that's really interesting and not explored a ton because it's such a charged topic. The other place I think about it is, what's her name? That horrible hilarious car- Briar something the one who's Briar Raleigh oh my whoa, god whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> psychosexually obsessed with Magneto yeah like there's shivering <laughs> we don't need to go there can't wait till you um, do her episode she has a Zaladin she definitely has a, she's all over that fucking cotton bun book god love him uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, yes, no, but people are being fetishized. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that in particular, like 616 Twitter explodes, like book Twitter explodes like once a month with like a problematic portrayal of a mutant in oh, a novel. Yeah. His powerful mutant muscles or something. Right. And it's like <laughs> this YA author who is a non mutant is, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know. Because like, please don't say flat scans. It's inflammatory. Yep, but yep. this non-mutant writer needs to accept their homo sapien <laughs> privilege and be yeah. more mindful when writing. You know, yeah, no, absolutely, that's happening all the time. Oh. Because yes, his thick mutant muscle, yeah, ravishing me and like all of that is absolutely happening. Which all I the also one hundred percent believe is in pyro's prose style (laughs) i believe that pyro himself writes fetishistic mutant novels on occasion but because he's been portraying himself as those are the ones under the female pen name probably is the like i was taken by a kind of book what's the alan ball vampire show called that's true blood true blood like it has that kind of energy yeah sure absolutely yeah but i would like to read it I think it'd be funny. I think, like, I actually, one thing, Marvel, if you're listening, 
I do think that there is a market that you could do like an in-universe romance novel and people yeah. would buy yeah. it. I think it would be funny. I also remember there was like a short story collection written by a bunch of the Marvel writers mm-hmm. introduced by Stan Lee. And I remember so distinctly, I must have been like, I was very young when I read it. And Anne Nascenti wrote a story about Spider-Man and he like looks in the mirror and thinks about how handsome he is. And I got a boner from that Spider-Man story. <laughs> like that thing ruled. <laughs> Why not? The lady knows how to make a man sexy. Like that is. Oh, she sure does. Underappreciated as a, as a talent in a comic book is <laughs> like a sexy man. A sexy, sexy man. It's true. It's very true. Her daredevil is hot. Oh God. So he's hot. hot. He's really hot. Anacenti's Matt Murdock is like one of, I mean, again, like she's not drawing him. It's just that. No, but it's the way she writes him. She appreciates the beauty of him. That's what's yeah. amazing about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. L- love you, Anne. <laughs> love you, Annie. I don't think I get to call her Annie. No, I do because we're friends. Her. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Jeez. I was just listening to the spiral episode where you did this too. <laughs> No, but when the New York Times article came out, she actually, she quote tweeted and was like, I love this podcast. It's always great. And I had no idea that she like listened to it at all. And I was just like, <sighs> the God and the Senti. Blew the brain out the back of my head. So if you listen to Annie, that made my day. She's like the only writer Chip Zdarsky talks about with awe in his voice. As he should. <laughs> As he should. Andrew Goldberg writes, hello, Connor, an esteemed guest, longtime listener, first-time writer. I'm a complete flat scan, but I love the pod so much, and it's really deep in my love and understanding of everyone's favorite Merry Mutants. I'm currently in law school, but I'm not busy with that. You can find me working at Challengers Comics and Conversation in Chicago. Do stop by if you're ever in the area. I've never been to Chicago. One year oh, I will do C2E2. I'll be there next month. What was the name of the place? Challengers? Uh, Challengers Comics and Conversation. Oh, okay. I've been to the Alley, Alley Cat or Alley Comics or something. It's a really cute little shop. Super queer. I've never been to the Windy City. I mean, I've been to O'Hare like a million times, but that doesn't count. No, it does not. If you don't leave <laughs> O'Hare, it doesn't really, like, You get not. trapped in O'Hare. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about Pyro. My first real exposure to the character outside of the animated series came from a Marvel Legends action figure I bought as a kid. Oof, the idea that anyone buys Marvel Legends action figures as a kid just made my bones. Oh, my God. I had the original. I had the old Toy yeah, Biz. Yeah, the Toy Pyro, Biz. Same, you, His obviously. arms, like, flipped, and he threw a little fireball. Uh-huh. And he had a cute little tush. He had the cutest mm-hmm. butt on that figure. He sure did. The only one that had a cuter butt was the Havoc figure. I I need you to know how important <laughs> it is that someone else recognizes the hot ass on that Toy Biz Havoc that figure. That Havoc had a tush. He was snatched, honey. Yes, That he was, was the waist to hip ratio <laughs> on that Havoc figure. <laughs> That was a man who yes. Maddie Pryor once dressed in that very a, tiny shorts. That was a broad that was a, boy. And I don't even mm-hmm. think of Havoc as particularly beefy, but that was a beefy boy. He is, boy. though. Hot bod. Remember that panel of him and Dazzler <sighs> jogging in the Outback? But she, he's not. He's pretty. He's lean there. He's not. Mm, but he's, I guess he's I'm, not I guess as lean whenever, as Scott. 
whenever you turn the page and Colossus is there, it, it's well, right? He's standing yeah. next to Piotr. That's not really, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that's not fair. Yeah, but that havoc had the best. But the second gambit, the light up gambit, not the one that had the awful the light up gambit. Problem. No, the light up butt. gambit. You had, had to lift butt. his dust for those. That was duster. the thing, though. Like you had to like yeah pull. Which the I did. <laughs> I bet you did. But havoc, it was just all hanging out. I like that Pyro's butt is super cute in the Marauders books. It always yeah in in Marauders his ass I feel like is featured a lot. Specifically the Pyro Garita panel where he hands Kitty a drink and his mm-hmm. cheeks are presented. To you. so cute so cute <laughs> where were we <laughs> uh oh the marvel legends action figure that andrew bought as a kid oh <laughs> god the legends figure. yeah okay okay <laughs> which included yeah. a copy of daredevil 355 pyro afflicted with the legacy virus tried to go out in a blaze of glory as opposed to dying in a bed the comic had mm-hmm. a profound impact on me as a kid for non-pyro related reasons this is not a daredevil podcast but the character has stuck out to me ever since I wanted to ask for your thoughts about Pyro's attempt at a jurist doctor assisted death. From my understanding, he doesn't actually die in that story and goes on to desperately seek a cure for the virus in other comics, whereas here he seems content with his fate. He goes from acceptance to bargaining instead of the other way around. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that arc for him? Does the text ever say what changed his mind? What do you think might have motivated him? Does his death ultimately feel satisfying to you? And most importantly, how do you think his transition from accepting a dignified death to looking for a cure fits into the larger HIV AIDS metaphor behind the legacy virus? Thanks for all the work you do for this wonderful podcast. I love it dearly. All the best, Andrew Goldberg, he, him. So even before that story, there's the arc with Empyrean in the annual yep. where he literally is like, leave me here to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then he changes his mind because it's different writers. I mean, people... I think when someone is young and is terminally ill, mm-hmm. their response to that is going to change day to day, right? Exactly. And I don't think it's unreasonable for a character who's like, yeah, fuck it, I'll just die then to a week later be like, no, I'm going to fight. You know, like that... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is logical to me, even if it, it doesn't narratively always make a ton of sense going issue to issue. Well, it, to me, it even does still make sense. Like, he can't have a peaceful death, mm-hmm. so he'll go out on his own terms, right? There is kind of something... Um, what's funny to me about this, specifically, this Daredevil thing is, it happens twice, Like, that's literally exactly the plot that happens to Mysterio. Mysterio tries to kill himself while he's dying by fighting Daredevil. Mm -hmm. And Mysterio... Well, it's very Catholic, right? Because it's like, it it ties into the Daredevil mythos. Because suicide is a sin in Catholicism. You go to the devil to get... And so, Sinjin Allardyce, who is presumably also Catholic, is like, kill me because I Mm -hmm. can't kill myself but i'm in agony from this disease this is not a spider-man podcast but mysterio is also one of those characters where he used to be gay and yeah. then suddenly he had a He's daughter still pretty and it's like, gay but like the cast jake Gyllenhaal. his death was also like i remember Sorry, speaking Andrew of novels, Garfield vibes he is Sorry. also <laughs> re- <laughs> please continue <Jesus>. Allegedly. Oh, you threw me right off. I got no, hooked sorry, in the ribs sorry, on that one. Sorry, sorry. Um, Have you seen those pictures of Bradley Cooper's new hair, by the way? Someone said, I'm, someone was like a young Glenn Close when I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just like that kind of male Botox journey mm. is really. It's a I tough industry. I had never seen that before, though, until I moved to LA. Oh. The specific, like, that's a man with a face full of Botox. Mm. And now I can spot it from a mile away. Oh, you know yes. whose face is 
full of the juice <laughs> is President Joe Biden. Oh, he like he literally like got it between camera cuts. <laughs> they were like, "Did you get an eyebrow lift?" I but- hope he's recovering nicely from COVID, and I wish the president all the best. However, <laughs> if I were the leader of the free world, so to speak, for whatever, for <laughs> if I were the which president of the United be. States, <laughs> just like- let's say which. Oh, please! If they heard this podcast, <laughs> it's disqualifying. <laughs> If I were the leader of the free world, I would simply get a better esthetician because his Botox makes him look like a Skeletor and not like the sexy kind, but like just he's a skeleton face. There comes a moment where it's like you start to like who who is at his right hand who knows where to get good work done? You know, like that's (laughs) plenty of people because guess what? Kamala's fillers. Perfect. That's so just thing, go like go down the go down the hallway. The thing ask is, her where she goes. The thing is, you're catching it in LA because you're seeing people while they're still cooking, right? Like you're not. Seeing well, the also know that you also see them in real life, which is yeah. Like, oh it, god, it, it, I interviewed people on red carpets for three years. Dude, yeah, could, it looks different. When we're off life. air, I will tell you. Oh, I know. You don't have to tell me because I know exactly who you interviewed. <laughs> Some this is you... not to shame anybody who does Botox or fillers. No, or it's just... I'm just saying that the president's face is full of fish poison and he needs someone <laughs> who I think is a little bit more discriminating because it's the brow lift. It's the bad brow Botox. That's yeah. Really. Anyway, well, we're, 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 we're off topic. We? Oh, pyro. Yeah. I was going to say pyro is suicidal. Like he is, he is still like, well, he gets the face tattoo because he's like, I'm just going to die against him. Yeah. Well, there's the moment in Marauders, and it's rendered all the more sad because Phil Noto's art always makes me so sad, where they're trapped in space. They're in that ice mm, ball yeah, yeah. that uh, Iceman has saved them from the void. <laughs> and and Kitty pulls, pulls out the gun, gun out. <laughs> yeah. and she's like, I have an idea. And he's like... And he's like, great idea, suicide. And he <laughs> says... <laughs> But he says, better to burn bright than fade away. Yeah. It's like, holy shit. Like, dude. And Kitty is like, uh, no. No, I wasn't going to kill us. He went there right away. Immediately. No and hesitation. Like, He's like, you're right. And as a kill person ourselves. prone to similar thoughts, I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we are going here. I hadn't thought about the fact that they are, they can be resurrected. So it's not as terrible as it seems, I guess. But No, but it is funny that it's his first instinct. It's first instinct, yeah. And I get it. Like, there is... Whereas Kurt's Catholic reaction to you can just resurrect is not a quite full so casual, fucking, right? Yeah. Kurt is still trying to figure it out. That's the thing. I mean, he did it on the Mother Mold at the Orcus base yeah. in Hawksbox. Oh, that but makes me so sad, yeah. I know, but not casually. And No, hugging Wolverine. Like, yeah, no. By that, the way, I would go down on you. And then, like... And, and have. And then, isn't that what he said? Like, that's on panel, yeah, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> We will be together in heaven forever with your dick in my devilish yeah. mouth. Like that is exactly that scene. Yeah. I think that's what I believe I'm that's a direct right. quote. Yeah. That's Jonathan that sounds, Hickman, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Ally. True ally, yeah. The ultimate nightcrawler and Wolverine adjacent gay ally is Greg Rucka for that one cover that they got away with. That co- is that an who is that? Is that a Ribic cover? Whose cover it's is Ribich. that? It's Ribich. Ugh. 
Wolverine has his fully erect beer in hand. Where yeah. they put the beer bottle right above <laughs> where his erection would be, and Kurt is just nude. The standing one, speaking him. of beautiful ass cheeks, like Kurt's one beautiful That's cheek crazy. with that, that curlicue of a tail. Until Nick Robles emerged on the scene with his fuzzy nightcrawler. Yeah, I until have Nick never cracked the code of the Harry the yeah. Nightcrawler <laughs> sex vortex. By anything besides that panel, really, that cover, yeah. rather, really, where I was just like, all right, Logan, I get it. They fucked in that one issue where they're in space, right? The one oh, where absolutely. He, yeah, I remember that. The like Wolverine and Nightcrawler have fucked yeah. many times. Yeah, like, where he like comes out, into his but... room and he's like, hey, we're going to die tomorrow, right? And Wolverine's like, mm-hmm. yeah, and then they bone down. I remember that. Then it's like fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, speaking of suicide, here's two careers that Marvel ended. <laughs> the people in the comments on the New York Times page right now are just like, what is this woke podcast? I hate it. It's in the text. Guys, it's in the text. Yeah. So, what You can't blame us for reading what's on the page. I'm so sorry that your first episode after the New York Times is about how I lifted the flap on Gambit's ass cheeks. In my I figure. actually, Magma came out after the New York <laughs> okay, Times. Okay, right. So it's okay. We're good. We're good, we're good, we're good. Howdy from Ireland writes, You're doing Irish right now. You've gotten Irish. You turned Irish. <laughs> Since we're talking about Pyro, I just wanted to ask you both why he hasn't just come out yet. Recently, talking with a friend, I stated that Joan is even now more queer-coded due to the ultra-mask attitude he's adopted. Since pre-Krakoa, there was a different Pyro that dated Bobby? Question mark. Mm-hmm. Why do you think writers haven't taken the chance to have him come out this time around? Thanks, as always, for reading my questions, as always. Best wishes from Ireland. Bye from Harry. Boy. Actually, I'm going to read the next one, too. Siri Vulgaris writes, Hello, Connor, and I see Mr. Oliveira. First, thanks so much for the pod and the hope and humor it's breathed into my weary queer heart. It's renewed and deepened my love of the X-Men in ways I never thought possible. I'm sure I'm not alone in being flabbergasted that we've waited so long for a textually homosexual Sinjin Allardyce. Even how extremely gay this literally flaming icon is vibes is <laughs> the moment John Byrne penciled his little gay face. I thought that when he got on that party boat with Bobby, his gay day had finally come, but instead he just fantasized about hooking up with Gene of all people. We no, he that. didn't. We Prove it. Already. Prove it. That's not what it says. I understand the corporate <laughs> pressures that prevent, say, Scott and Logan from ever kissing on panel, but I mystify that Pyro, of all people, is still in the closet. Surely a minor character and a former villain to boot is no threat to the brand as a canon gay. What fictional or real-world forces, if any, are keeping Sinjin in the closet he should have burned down by now? How do you rate his chances of coming out anytime soon? So, great questions. I think that the big thing is that gay Pyro fucked it up. Yeah, I I don't it's fixable. But I think if a writer wanted to do it, they probably could. Like I don't think that this is an IP that my thing is we only get so many bullets in the chamber, right? Mm-hmm. And if I were to pick one to canonize at this point, it's Juggernaut and Black Tom number one for me. So I think that's it, a harder fight at a branding level. Juggernaut is a tough Juggernaut one. Juggernaut is tough. There's straight people who have juggernaut Love like juggernaut. Yeah. So I don't know. I think Pyro is one of those cases. It's one of those hilarious things of like the, um, like the Rip Taylor of it, like the Charles Nelson Riley of it all, where it's like, maybe straight people didn't get it. Like there were people, there were girls who had crushes on Liberace, you know, like that's like a thing. And I think maybe some of the audience missed it. 
I also think there's something that people are just not aware of if they've never done IP licensing stuff, which I just like happen to have done, is that any character who had a major role in the Fox movies, whether or not they are a oh. major character in the comic books, is a character who is probably a top-level IP acquisition that was made by Disney when they bought Fox. So, like, there probably is a folder that says Pyro that details, like, the ways Pyro has been used in merchandising and whatnot. Mm. So he's maybe more of a, of a high-level IP than you would think that he is. But that doesn't always matter. I mean, that's true. It's weird. Like, the video game, like, because of some of the 90s stuff, there are people where if you ask them to list, he's in the opening credits of the X-Men animated cartoon right. running at the X-Men. And he was the bonus character on the Xbox version of the fighting game. He is the first boss in the Konami arcade game. Yeah. But I actually, I don't know if that's what's happening. I think it might have just been. I like think a... it's mostly just that I don't think anyone's pushed enormously hard because he mm. was dead for so long. And then I don't think it's something... I think Jerry was doing other stuff in that book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, and like, do you need an issue where he comes out? I think you would write it as just like, this is obviously a gay man, right? Like, I think that that's ideally what you would do, but a lot of people do need the moment where I'm a gay. Like, I'm where gay. He's, uh, yeah. And he's punching someone in a supermarket. If you don't do that, it's <laughs> queer baiting. <laughs> just uh, existing is bait. Yeah, he's uh yeah, I don't I yeah, I I agree obviously I there are it is difficult to put gay characters on the page, but I don't know if this is one. I think it just has to I think you just need a writer who argues for the story and gets it through and I I think that it is both easier and harder than you're imagining basically mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with this character. Mm -hmm. In general, it's difficult. It also doesn't buy you the headline. Yeah, and this isn't like this isn't us specifically calling out Marvel. This is just how it is when you're doing work for hire. If you're trying, I know you've had experiences at all kinds of places writing things where, <laughs> you know. Yep. What if this character was gay? And it's like, get out of my house. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and it's also like, again, like how much real estate do you have? How much runway do you have? Like, how important is it? Does a pyro one shot sell issues? That's an interesting question. Like that is an interesting question, and I think we're also in a more conservative time for X Men comics than we were two years ago. Like when the big relaunch first happened, and Hickman was like in the news all the time for this stuff. I think that it was very easy to green light a bunch of one shot giant size solo mm. issues. I think that that kind of thing is harder to get greenlit in 2022 yeah, than it maybe. was coming right off of Hox Pox with this very famous writer at the helm. So, yeah, but he is. Uh, but it, I think it, it, it could be, be. But like, there's no reason it couldn't be an Infinity comic, you know, like if Maggot can have an Infinity comic, surely Pyro can. And Ma the Maggot one was great. Yeah, I do think the internet and the the um, Marvel Unlimited and these kind of they change the form like at a very a very specific level. Like it's weird having done physical comics and then writing an Infinity comic where you literally have to restructure everything about the way that you think about them because it's like there is no page turn. They don't turn yeah. right. The page doesn't turn. It also means like at a again the old Marxist in me comes out. It's like the material to print it no longer exists. Like it's mm -hmm. no longer like there's less cost up front. You can be more experimental. Like as a form, it is more. They're liberated. doing romance comics. Exactly. Like you can change genres. Yeah. Would you sell those in print? I don't know if they would. 
could you sell a novel by Pyro? Maybe not, but could you sell an Infinity comic that's a Pyro That's a Pyro story? romance novel yeah, dramatized exactly. a la Kitty's Fairy Tale? Maybe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tree rights. I'd appreciate it if you read this in a mid-Atlantic accent. Well, I'm not usually taking requests, but since I've been doing a bad Australian this whole time, I guess I'll just put on my mid-Atlantic best for one little letter. <laughs> Dearest Connor and Anthony, is there any comics basis for the Pyro and Iceman ship? I get the whole fire and ice thing, and I know they had whatever angsty tension in the movies, but did they ever intersect on the page before Marauders? Also, I really used to love Pyro's living flames. He now seems to prefer more flamethrower-esque utilization of his powers. What do you think the reason for this changes? Would you like to see his living flames returned? I personally love a golem. Best tree. Um... I think that he's been less gay since he came back. And yeah, like, that's for he's, sure. He's therefore been doing less gay things. And I think that if a writer wanted to make him gayer again, one way to do that would be to redo the ornate fire sculpture thing. But also, when Jerry did do it, he had him and Bobby combine their powers to make to a make fireball a shooting dick. Penis. So Yeah. I'm looking know, at my notes there. I did take a note at the moment where he first meets Iceman. I... Where did it happen? He fights him. I think he fights him in an X, an X Factor issue. Um, oh, damn it. I did take this note. He has met him at least once. Um, well, when X when they were Freedom Force, they fought X Factor a couple of times. Yeah, they fight. Yeah, they. that's when it is. I think it's the same night. Yes, that's exactly when it is. They fight him the same night that down the street, Celine is brawling with her weird dog man. Yes, in the blood Park. scent. Yeah. Because because uh, <laughs> spiral ditches. Yes, to go. spiral <laughs> ditches. On, they're trying to apprehend Rusty Collins. Yes, yeah. Speaking of flamers. Speaking of gay men. Yeah. Speaking of gay men with fire. All the fire powered characters at Marvel are queer. <laughs> the men certainly. Well, actually, the women too. I'm thinking about it because, like, Rachel. Mm-hmm, Fire mm-hmm. Firestar that which she just microwaves. That's why she's straight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Microwaving is like, yeah. I'm so, I'm so scared of microwaves. I'm so fucking scared of them. One time, my dad opened the microwave before it was done, and I started crying. <laughs> and I was fully an adult. I'm so scared. I don't understand why, science. The radiation. So, I don't know what how they work. I don't understand it. Do you think it's gonna like what give you cancer? You know what the scariest open? fucking scene is in any movie? The scene in Kickass where that man gets microwaved scares the fucking shit out of me. I don't huh. understand science, and it scares me so bad, Connor. Like what? What the fuck is a microwave? That shouldn't exist. You know what? Actually, it makes. I, I, if I'm thinking of like scary microwaves, I actually really like the. Um, not to take it to a place of just Whedon, but in uh, conversations with dead people in season seven of Buffy, there's that bit where Dawn is home alone and she like puts oh, a marshmallow fuck. in the microwave and makes like a big marshmallow, which oh, I, yeah. after watching that episode as a teenager, did all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> this is a pro Dawn podcast. Mm hmm. Dawn rules. Sorry. Dawn's the best. Is that a hot take? Dawn fucking yes, rules. Yes, people are crazy. In the, the final two seasons of Buffy are not very good, and one of the only reasons to watch them is because Michelle Trachtenberg kills it as Dawn, who is the only likable person oh left God. by season seven. The scene in the body where she breaks down in school is Yeah, amazing. and like the minute Tara gets shot, the only person left worth hanging out with The one who stays with her Dawn. body is Dawn. Yes! Dawn stays with Anyway, now. point is... 
What are we talking? This about? is the we were talking about conversations <laughs> with dead people. And oh, it's the, microwaves! So it transitions from the microwave, the marshmallow in the microwave that's fun to the mother's milk is red today, like exploding uh, microwave. That's Jane Espenson scene. Jane Espenson yeah. wrote all those. Jane Espenson wrote all of those, which is why they're better. <laughs> um, my so here's the thing. I know I said I want to be called Doctor Oliveira. Technically, if you look at my high school transcripts, I didn't graduate high school because I never took grade ten science, and I don't understand. <laughs> works i have <laughs> dreams like that but it's not true i wanted to take this is the most me story this is such a digression cut it okay hold on is this like gonna get your degrees taken away if no 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 my podcast? so the high school my high school i wanted to take two english courses simultaneously but it conflicted with science and they were like okay just take it in the summer and it'll be fine and i signed up it was going to be i went to an all-boys catholic school and the summer course was going to be at a mixed public school and I bought clothes and everything and I showed up the first day and I was like where's my course and they said oh that got cancelled because you were the only person registered for it and I was like what about my transcripts and they said don't worry about it and I just never worried about it again and I don't mention it to anybody <laughs> would, you, would you like me to cut this one? no that's fine it's too late <laughs> well listen I only passed my driver's test on the third fourth maybe the fourth attempt I've never because learned to drive. they forgot to ask me to I'm going to bleep that out <laughs> I'm going to bleep that out, but they forgot to ask me to do something on the test. And so I have a driver's license. I've been driving for 20 years, but well, no, it's just, no, I don't, I can drive. I just don't ever. Ah, Don't the, don't the robots do that? Aren't there sentinels in the car? I drive an old car, Oh, but I also just, I assume that as long as I don't, I'm going to bleep it out every time I say it. (laughs) I'm assuming that as long as I don't do that, yeah, I'm within my rights as a licensed person who simply they forgot to ask to do the one thing. I tried to learn to drive once. It didn't work the way Mario Kart's work. Like if you take your foot off the brake, you keep going again. And I was like, fuck this. And I never learned again. Mm, yeah, I would be the hard. worst. Can you imagine me fucking driving? I'm the most distractible no. person. I would no. fucking kill me and a family. Instantly. I actually didn't know that you can't drive, but, but you, you knew me this is one of the... <laughs> no, but like I... I received it as though it was something I've always known. It's like you were always here waiting for yourself to arrive. Yeah, it's like yeah, very Gene yeah. in the White Hot Room. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I always knew that. Obviously. I've obviously I mean, you never drove wrong, me anywhere. Whatever's wrong with my brain obviously yeah, no. precludes me from getting behind oh, the Oh, absolutely. I am human luggage. Drag me. Yeah, well. <laughs> I like to be hoisted over his shoulders. Okay. I uh <laughs> I fully get that. I don't like driving in the city, and I am about half as neurotic as you are every yeah. day. Yeah. So, and I'm pretty neurotic, to be clear. That's just, oh my God. you know, you're... I dropped could... some rice on the floor earlier today, and I couldn't re- come back to the computer to work until I picked up every grain. I'm like, this Did is you have to literally... count them like a vampire? This is literally the vampire thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, I've become a parody of myself. I have to pick up these individual grains. Tony, what are we Tony, doing? Tony. We're, yeah, I know. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, oh my God, we're at 3.45. We gotta be, we gotta finish okay, this all right. out. So Zach Hargreaves in Cumbria Ooh. invites me to attempt a Northern oh, British wow. accent. <laughs> and we'll see how this goes, but I'll try. Dear Connor, an esteemed guest, I'm a big fan of the pod, even though I've only started listening to it when I finally installed Spotify on my phone like a month ago. But I have seen tons of them animatics on Twitter prior to actually seeing a full episode. Pyro, from what I've seen, is most known for being friends and often paired up with Avalanche, which yep. has caused loads of people to ship them as an actual couple. 
This has also happened to Black Tom and Juggernaut too. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what do you think of this trope? I don't really have much of an opinion on it, but I do think that two men or women could just be close friends. And I'd like to hear your opinion on the matter. Hopefully this will get picked for the pod, but if it doesn't, at least I managed to get the bollocks to actually send this to you. So every <laughs> cloud, right? From Zach Hargreaves over in Cumbria. Wow. You did like a real like Ned Stark kind of energy there. That yeah. is exactly what I was going for. Ah, I was like, That's the North, yeah. right? See, I think Christopher Eccleston, but yours was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't do a Christopher Eccleston impression. I don't watch Doctor Who. <laughs> he only has one season. It's really good. You'd like his season, I actually. I hated it. I tried. Oh. It wasn't him. He was great. It was, the effects were so bad. Oh, that's that a I problem for you? I see. It is, and it isn't sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. my, my Doctor Who issue is that I found David Tennant insufferable. So then I went back and tried to watch Christopher Eccleston, and it was so cheap and low budget that I just, like, couldn't. Qu- I like the one where they go to the future and the evil trans skin being. Oh, that's, like, the second episode. Yeah, yeah. that's as far as I got. I was like, she's fun. And they, like, play the Britney Spears, the ancient. Yeah, at the end of the world. Right. right. That was cute. But that uh, was about as fun. I think you need. I, there's, like, I would never try to make someone watch Doctor Who who, like, if you are allergic to that energy. No, I watched the Matt Smith, the first series, and I was because I liked. I love Alex Kingston, so I was like, oh, oh yeah. And then the second they fucked that up, I was right back mm. out. Have you watched her Mall Flanders series? She's so fucking good as Mall Flanders. I've heard she's great. I haven't. I haven't seen. Uh, it. Like she does the thing, the flea bag thing, where she looks at the camera, where it's mm. like it uses that as the way to do the the direct address from the novel. Yeah, no, that makes so sense. fucking smart. So but it good. works. Yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. that sometimes that doesn't work. No, it's it's because it's Alex Kingston. Like that's the thing you have to. Yeah, be but so like the new Dakota charming. Johnson persuasion and Dakota Johnson's good, and that shit doesn't. Work. <sighs> no, it works in Mall Flanders. Um, yeah, and actually, I I'm that. surprised I haven't seen anyone. Well, I guess because no one wants to pay that new persuasion a compliment. But sorry, what was the question? Oh, about uh, Avalanche and Pyro. Yeah. So and and Black Tom and Juggernaut and like yes, they could. Here's the thing. There is a tendency in fandom, and like certainly all my haters are like, you're reading into something when there's nothing there. Yeah. Pirate Avalanche's story in the 90s is my boyfriend has AIDS and is dying. And exactly. Similarly, Black Tom and Juggernaut's story in the 90s, even though it's not a legacy virus plot, is my boyfriend has AIDS yeah. and is dying. Yeah. So those are specifically the two. So it's like we joke about like Unis and Blob or like vibing or whatever. Sure, and that's yeah. something you can read into it if you want to do a queer reading, which we enjoyed doing. But it's right. not what the, it's not like that's not what Stanley was doing. Yeah, like right. that's not- <laughs> that's like camp that's not on purpose. The Pyro story actually doesn't really make sense unless he's unless they gay. are fucking yeah or were yeah fucking, yeah. And similarly, Juggernaut not being able to see Tom in the hospital and doing all these crimes yeah. to try and pay for Tom's experimental medical treatments and all of this other, and like all of the stuff about Siren and how they both raised her together. It's full dog day afternoon. Like, he's yeah, like trying, yes. yeah, yeah. He's trying to like save the person he loves. And it's like that queer yeah. narrative. And the text is simultaneous. Cause it is the nineties. The text is simultaneously like full of pathos for these characters, but also enjoying like a lurid, like look, Look at these fags, right? Like Right. But yeah. like it's both. And I think that where it's most sympathetically portrayed is in two stories by Fabian Niciesa, and one mm-hmm. is the Empyrean mm-hmm. story, and one is the Black Tom and Juggernaut hospital yeah. story where Black Tom like cries out for him in the night. And yeah. so, like those yeah. are the ones where it yeah. feels real. It's... And other times it's played for for comedy, but 
those are the two couples like Mystique and Destiny where I think that the comic simply doesn't make sense if they aren't. I agree. I also think like, I think I'm actually a pretty responsible reader of these texts. Like, yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. I don't like to jump to a thing if I don't think it's actually there. You like, know what I mean? For example, like, did I read when I was a kid a lot of, I, don't even, I guess it wouldn't have been an archive of our own, but like, did I read Bobby and Beast fucking? Yeah, but they're friends. Yeah, like, there's but nothing they're not in the text. Fucking. They've right, never no, fucked. exactly. Like, like and those are like Beast came out. Did once. I read like, that fanfic friendly <laughs> wager where they absolutely bang it out? I sure did, and so did you. It's the one where they make a bet, and then Bobby has to shampoo oh. Beast's fur, and then it gets really like frisky. Honestly, yeah, the ice and the fur would be a problem. Actually, yeah, yeah, and like similarly, like uh, like. Iceman is written as gay after 1985. Yes. Before that, it's like, I'm going to do work to show you how it fits the themes. Right. But after that, it's intentional. There's a and shift. And you can point to it. And it's when it's, it's especially when Love Doll takes over the character yeah. in the 90s. And intentionality matters or doesn't. Depending it matters on or the... doesn't matter. But in some cases where it is really intentional, it's just kind of like, yeah. And Fabian said on this podcast that he wrote Juggernaut and Black Tom as a couple. Yeah. Because he did, you know, like <laughs> my question to anyone who's like, oh, come on, you're reaching is read X-Men annual number two. Right. Like, and what tell else me is what this story is about? about unless these two men used to fuck and one of them. Unless these has two HIV men used now. to date and one of them now has AIDS, not HIV, but like full blown AIDS yeah. and is dying. And he's at this palliative care thing with like a new sugar daddy who's maybe taking advantage of him. Like what? else yeah. is this comic about yeah if that's not what it's about yeah because it doesn't really make any sense if it's not exactly i yeah what is fantasia talking about when blob why does blob ask if they're kissing and why does fantasia lose her mind an, because a, that like lady that lady does not have any straight friends <laughs> like, no <laughs> fantasia has never met a straight person she like ever in her life that is a woman a straight woman who wears a wig as part of her i was gonna say fantasia's <laughs> costume features a white wig that she shakes out and puts on her hooded head every time she she themed herself as a banshee with no arms for no reason for her magnet for power <laughs> yes but I'm just saying, like, she's she's all That themed. is the straight girl at the open stage with yes. her gaze in the audience snapping and thwarping their fans while she gets her life on stage. Yeah, She is much like another iconic Rob Liefeld villainess, Dragoness. Yes. Who is also <laughs> so a pussy that she cannot <laughs> control herself. Oh, God. Love Dragon S. Does Dragon S have a Zaladane? Yes. Mmm. Mmm. Not probably not mine, but that's a good one. She'll be a fun. But it's one. a good one. I mean, I, I I do feel almost as though I've said everything there is to be said about Dragon S <laughs> in the Sunfire episode. But someone has a take. Yeah. I just like that she decided to commit to the dragon theme. <laughs> Similarly, Fantasia's a committer. Like Fantasia was like, I'm going to be a weird mystical banshee witch with <laughs> flowing white locks because she's like a bio queen as they used to call them yeah. back in the 90s she's doing it she's in the mix she's like a peaches song exactly she is yes you have nailed it that's exactly <laughs> where is she she needs to come back we've already i've talked about her before on this because we talked about her yeah but fantasia has not been seen since house of m which is sick 
Poor thing. Where is Fantasia? Ayn Hasa, where have you been? They need an astrophysicist. They're in space now. Yeah, where is Eileen Harsa should be in Sword, actually. This is, again, Al Ewing <laughs> confessed to this podcast that the reason Una Shone is not part of the six is because he's just not that up on the 90s characters. Mm. And Fantasia is another casualty of Al Ewing's I told you 90s I, gap. Did, is Una Shone in my last Annihilation comic? I think she you is. You cut her. I don't think I cut You wrote her. a scene and it didn't make it into the comic. You told me that. Oh, yes, I did. Well, the thing is, I gave options for the crowd. Mm hmm. And, and you used Thumbelina and Ruckus. Yeah, and, and Armor George. is there. Gorgeous George is there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I had to, similarly, we had to cut. Well, anyway, we already talked about it. Go listen to Connor's Patreon. It's great. Go listen to my Patreon. <laughs> it's great. And it's only $5 a month. <laughs> We're doing the Claremont read-along. It's a lot of fun. Join us. Patreon.com slash Rebrocast. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus God. What time is that? <laughs> oh, my God. We got it. We got it. Okay, we're almost done. 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 Thomas Crawford writes, Hello, Connor and fan favorite guest, Anthony. Hey! Thank you for talking about half of one of my favorite really Really good friendships, Pyro and Avalanche. Mm -hmm. I'm sure by the time we get to read your questions, you'll already have talked about their dynamics, so feel free to skip right over any questions that are repetitive, but I do, tragically, have a couple of them. One, while I love Pyro and Avalanche together, I tend to not think of them as an endgame couple, as Pyro seems more outgoing and comfortable in his own skin. If you were to put him in a romantic pairing with someone besides Avalanche, who would mm -hmm. you pick? Well, not that he's comfortable in his own skin, but if you go back to the Exodus episode, we did invented rich fantasy life yes in which exodus is brought out of his weird self-loathing shell yep. <laughs> by pyro's gay enthusiasm yeah i like it because again just to recap it like first of all exodus is directly responsible for some of the most heinous things that have happened to pyro and if you've been reading young avengers you know i love a forgiveness arc that's so fucking Catholic of you. Oh, well, I mean, the boy... I'm, meanwhile, I'm like a forgiveness arc. I have no interest in that. Yes, you do. You just call no, I'm them... I'm just you... kidding. <laughs> I call them atonement arcs, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> I'm like, absolution? That's for fools! Yeah, like, what else would you call your Maddie Pryor This Yom Kippur, yeah. Spencer Ackerman, <laughs> and Connor Goldsmith. Talk about Fenris for three and a half hours. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are doing that as the Yom Kippur episode. I'm very excited. Are you really? Yep. Wow. We're going to be starving oh, and right. making jokes about incest Nazis for like four hours. Amazing. <laughs> Regarding their vibe before thinking about couples, I do think like, and this goes back to the Juggernaut Black Tom. Black Juggernaut and Black Tom are to me, I mean, maybe they play, Goals but they feel really they committed, you know, like they're like, they're old on a porch together, you know? Like They also specifically are, like, at Folsom. Like, they are... Yes. Yeah. They've been married for, like, 40 years. They did a commitment yeah. ceremony in 1993. <laughs> Do you remember Juggernaut's ultimate Juggernaut design? It's fully a Folsom... Bitch, of course I remember Juggernaut's <laughs> ultimate design. And so does Colossus from the Ultimate Universe. Oh, Let me my tell you that God, yeah. Jeez, there's a lot of black latex in that Ultimate Universe, isn't there? But he has fully spikes, like... Oh, yeah. Um, it's but, very... You know what it's very... It's very... It, like, Ultimate Juggernaut is very forearm from the Mutant Liberation Front. Fuck. Of, 
iconic gay characters. So when I was, a, so I've, I have hearing loss and during one of my surgeries, my mom, I was crying and my mom was like, you can have an action figure after this. And we went to GNU Books in Ajax and um, I had a choice there between a forearm action figure, a character who I knew nothing about and Mr. Sinister well, that's a real Sophie's choice of faggot action <laughs> figures. Really. I picked forearm because he was fucking hot and he had four he arms. He has four arms. And cargo shorts. <laughs> he could jerk off eight guys at once. Ugh. Hot. Those little curls. Two is not that hard if you really work at it. But yes, no. He has a great little quaff. He's yep. got literally a harness on. He's that's got the red costume. harness and the red Rob head Rob Liefeld. We've talked about he was cursed by a witch. Rob, and abs- I love Rob. it. I love it. This is a pro Rob Liefeld's homoerotic character designs podcast. So Honestly, Rob, if you're listening, thank you. I talked about imprinting like a chickadee. Look at those fucking, that first image of Pyro, the first page of Pyro in the John Byrne Days of Future Past. That is a fucking Rob Liefeld face. Like, that's the issue that he read. It is, actually. <laughs> that's the yeah. issue that he read. He's like, that's what humans He's look like. He's got like a weird little Rob Liefeld mouth. <laughs> He's got and like. And I mean, I like, because I actually, I said this to someone recently. They were like, we were looking at an old thing, and I was like, ah, this is when Rob Liefeld was great. And they looked at me like. <laughs> What? And I'm like, no, he was. He really was. There's a reason at yeah. 24 he became an industry-wide sensation. And one of those reasons is that every single man he drew in 1990 was a hot, dumb, top, freakazoid. Yep. They were going to kick you into the trough and keep you there. <laughs> they will bite you with their way too many teeth, if they all have. Why so many teeth? <laughs> so many teeth, but little... Leaves good little imprints on your shoulder blades. Here's my thing. I think that Pyro should fuck Bobby because it would be fun. I think it would also be a really funny beat if Bobby fucks both Pyros and both times is like, so are we dating now? And they're both like, no. No, obviously not. (laughs) But in this case, it would be like, no, but we're mites though. Yeah. That's the thing. Pyro fucks his friends. Like that's the avalanche. Pyro absolutely fucks his friends. I mean, like, again, if you know an Australian. (laughs) Jeez. Well, and I'm sorry, like, I'm not, not to stereotype our friends from down under, but (laughs) if you've ever met a blonde Australian top, they fuck just about everyone in the world, male, female, robot. Uh, Like, they're just, they're, they're, they're sharing the wealth and I applaud them for that. Robot. I guess the Reavers were down there. Like those, those they were. were. There was yeah. their hole in the outback. That's that they, was their thing. The X Men takeover there. No, but you know the Reavers are anti mutant. Pyro wouldn't be into that. No, no. He's he has some principles. I so anyway. I think that yes, he's like like I don't think Avalanche is jealous when he sees Pyro flirting with Stonewall. You know, like he might keep watching. Actually, is <laughs> maybe right. <laughs> well, that's like bring Daddy home with us. That's like a that's its maybe own yeah thing with Stonewall. That's yeah. like its own. You know who I think would be great for similar reasons for the Exodus thing, but also like when you think about it, it's like the perfect mutant circuit is him and Sunfire. Like, what if you had an Ooh. endless supply of fire that someone could shake? Yes, right? I can't create fire, but you can shape Yeah, it. that's... And then I can shape it into something incredible. And like... And Shiro is like... Shiro has pretensions of artistry, but is not an artistic guy himself. Shiro would blow his load as soon as Pyro starts shaping his fire. Pyro starts shaping the fire, and Shiro, like, just comes untouched. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that is exactly, I think that's right. Like, 
I also like the idea of Shiro just having to carry Pyro around everywhere by his like little suspenders or something. Like that's cute. <laughs> and Shiro would hate the face tattoo. But oh, that would be funny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like he is fully like that junk rat energy where it's just like. It's Bert and Ernie energy. I love a Bert and Ernie couple. I do like, want Sunfire to have a boyfriend. I think Pyro could be it. it I think him be. and Bishop kind of vibed during Marauders. Oh, they absolutely did. But Bishop's Bishop's one of those characters where, like, he's from the future, so I'm sure he fucks whoever. But, like, that's the cable protocol is, like, yeah. I just think any character who is from, like, a thousand years in the My future God. is. I wrote Iron Lad the other day, and someone was like, is he straight? And I'm like, he's from, like, the He's from like the 50th century. So yeah, no. He is into things we don't even know about. (laughs) When I asked Fabian about Cable, he was like, Cable's from a million years in the future. He's probably fucking plants. (laughs) Uh, He's like, he's like, he doesn't even, he's like, gay? That's not, he doesn't even, he's like, what does that mean? Yeah. I fuck whatever. I'm from like the 40th century. So cute, these 21st century concepts. And similarly, I talked about like, he always goes for Colossus. Colossus is his type. Like, those two could make it work, maybe? You know, actually, because I would argue, I do think, it's interesting. Since his resurrection, he's giving top. In the 80s, he gives bottom with Avalanche. But, like, the idea that Pyro would come into his own by be like, I'm a paratope now, with Colossus, <laughs> the ultimate muscle bitch bottom, would be uh... fun to me. Oh, you know what? There's a whole question about this. So we'll get there in a second. Okay, I'll bite my tongue then. Oh, God, we're still the Avalanche fan. I'm so sorry. We digressed. Um, we haven't seen Pyro and Avalanche interact in the Krakoa area yet, but the last time they did interact on the page was when Pyro sacrificed his life to stop Avalanche and company from killing Senator Kelly. Seems like something they should talk about. Do you think they can still be friends or more, given their shared history and personal changes since? Thanks for continuing to do great work delivering top-tier X content week after week. I can't wait to keep listening. Warm regards, Tom Crawford, Petraka616fan on Twitter.com. Oh. That's how you know. You've had a difficult few years. God. Yeah. Avalanche's brain got eaten by the Red Skull. I feel like that changes. That did happen. Your, <laughs> I feel like that changes your per- perspective on some things. Yeah. Didn't also, didn't the Leper Queen turn him into a bomb or was that? Yeah, else? he dies a few times and people keep forgetting that he died. I know, and they keep forgetting he was dead. I was, if it wasn't the Leper Queen, it was somebody. I think. Um, this is not a Leper Queen podcast. <laughs> it could be someday. I don't think she has a full sound. <laughs> I actually would cover the Leopard Queen. Like, that's a stupid character I would cover. That's one of those things where it's just like, this is a creepypasta. You're gonna, you know when you're going to live is the fucking, the fucking black womb is the episode you're going to live for. I, you first of her. all, I love her. <laughs> I support women's wrongs. You love an old lady with great legs. <laughs> Who's like a literal monster. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can fix him says woman who is worse is I, I was just pitching in the discord like that when Sinister gets like thrown out of the council oh, yeah. that Amanda Mueller stuff and she's like I can handle all the genetics and it's Jesus. like I can fix him says woman who is worse because she yeah. truly is she knew worse Xavier's than dad too like yeah and like convinced him to experiment on his child so that Sinister could be rebirthed <laughs> she's fucking horrifying what I'm actually trying to say is the Black Womb needs two more appearances before she can have oh. an episode. Oh. Only Kieran, wow. if you're listening, I'm <laughs> counting on also. you. <laughs> but I also womb. would write giant size Black Womb, which is one of the worst. <laughs> that's synergy. That's, <laughs> you yeah, get her to that's the one of the, that's one of the. That is truly one of the worst <laughs> titles you could ever give a Marvel comic is giant size Black Womb. 
But I would write it. (laughs) What was the question about Dominic Petrakis? What was the avalanche question? (laughs) Oh, should they talk about the thing with Senator Kelly? Honestly, I mean, like, here's how I feel about stuff that's like 20 years old like that. I think characters should address it in passing in a line maybe but otherwise not dwell because you don't want to write comics about comics yeah so like this came up in the dust episode because it was like how would you fix dust and surge i would fix dust and surge by just like having soraya say at one point that like man when i first came to this country surge was a real bitch to me but like Mm -hmm. we're cool now or whatever and like then you just kind of move past because you can't spend your real estate as a comics writer fixing yeah. stories from 30 years ago. It's just not a fruitful thing to do if you focus on that. It's going to take up too much of your time. And also it doesn't work is the other thing is like, for example, like people are still mad about Jean breeding Bobby's mind. Bobby has directly confronted her about it on panel a few times. Yeah. And it doesn't like a couple of times now. It doesn't, and no, yeah. It's not as famous. Like, and like, so, frankly, I still don't think she did anything wrong. And we talked know. about it in the episode. Go you to the know episode. I am not someone who's like, let me defend Jean Lane Gray right now. <laughs> I don't think she did anything wrong. The other thing about the Avalanche Pyro Senator Kelly thing is, first of all, it, Pyro is, it's very clear in the text, this is his last day on Earth. Like, he is trying to do something at the end of his life to end it with some measure of dignity. It's also Mm -hmm. obviously meant to tie a bow on the character. Like, we meet him trying to kill Senator Kelly, and now he dies trying to save Senator Kelly. It's a full circle. Yeah, so it's not like Avalanche killed him. I will admit that it's in a cable issue, which is itself really strange that Pyro died in cable, whatever. Like, Yeah, although that late 90s cable stuff is pretty good. I gotta say. It's just like, it's not his home, you know? like It's a weird place for that storyline to happen. So like, I'm not expecting Avalanche to be characterized like normally in that story. Martinique Wingard is in that story. (laughs) Post is in it. Like, lots of weirdos are in that story. Are we ever going to address the fact that Pyro killed Post? Like, no, who the fuck cares? Yeah, like, who cares? (laughs) Anybody checking with Post lately? And, like, I don't think it reads to me as a queer person, like, oh, he died saving this man who hated him his whole life. Like, is that really a story I'm super enthused about? (laughs) Not really. You know, like, did Senator Kelly really change that much? Did he, is he a famous mutant fan? Kind of. Well, I actually think what's essential about it, and this I do think is meaningful, is Pyro's sacrifice makes Senator Kelly change his mind. Turn around, Senator Kelly is murdered for For that and becomes a martyr for the idea that you can overcome bigotry. Right. And that is symbolically important. It's important that Pyro is the person who taught him that. Yes, that I agree with. But, like, do we need to revisit it? I don't think so. Robert Kelly's been dead for 22 years. Yeah, yeah. You know? But should they... I want to see them on panel together. I want to see Avalanche Well, I want Pyro and Avalanche to hang out, but I don't think that we need to dwell... Here's what I'll say. This is something that I think a lot of fans don't quite get because they're approaching it from a reader level where it's like, yes, we would love to read the socializing fanfic scenes in our heads. Yeah. You do not often have room for them in a 20-page comic. If you do do them and write them on the page, then you're taking away page real estate from something else that's plot-related that you might need those 20 pages for. A lot of the time, you do have to assume that characters resolve social issues off-panel. Yep. 
And that's what fanfic is for. Yeah, I mean, also, like, you you can only put 100 words on a page. Like, that's just a simple, formal struggle of comics. Like, the in-depth conversation you want those two to have, what is it going to cost? Six pages, maybe? Like, Yeah, exactly. Like, there's just no room. And the audience will be... I love both those characters, but it's a tough sell at an editorial level. Right. Again, like, it would make a great Infinity comic, but... But again, like, this is another thing where I feel like people don't always understand the realities of writing IP you don't own in a commercial setting in which you are supposed to tell a certain kind of story. And that's not to suggest that the writers of these stories we love don't have any creative control, because they do, but... If you went to your editor and said, I want to do six pages of Pyro and Avalanche working through their relationship baggage, you would be told no. Because first of all, what you have to do for the audience, <laughs> I mean, at a writer level, what you have to do for the audience first is tell the audience what Explain what it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, you are going to take ago, the time I jumped to be like, 20 man. years yeah. ago, this <laughs> happened. Right. Like, And that's the comics about comics problem is you get tied up in explaining old continuity. Right. In order to tell a new story, you really need to be able to take a lighter touch with it. You do the thing that Hickman does with Wolverine and Nightcrawler, where they're this, the world is exploding and they have a little moment to address the depth right. of their relationship. Here's a good example of a comic that I just really loved, which is like in Teeny's Knights of X4. Betsy's in the Siege Perilous and she goes, oh, of course, it's the Siege Perilous. I've been here before. That's it. Yeah. There's like an asterisk in Uncanny X-Men to whatever, like if you want to go look at it. Yeah. But like, we're not going to explain this whole thing right now because we need to get to the next page because there are 10 characters in this book yeah. and each of them has to have, well, Gambit's dead at the moment, but there are <laughs> nine characters in this book and we have to get to a moment where each of them realizes something. And so we can't yeah. dwell too much in explaining to you what this old story is. But actually the thing you do do then as a writer is, I mean, I've been told like, I do write comics about comics. I do like it's, I've had and editors be it, like, you, you can do it to some extent. You have to tell a new story that exactly. On the old then it's story. not comics about comics. Exactly. House of X number two references heavily Moira's past, but it's not comics about exactly. comics. It's doing something new by referencing past continuity. So then what is the story that you tell about Avalanche and Pyro that moves them forward, that addresses these old things? Like, that's the, that's how you have to think about it. I think you put them on a mission together exactly. for a sword or something where they are required to behave by their instincts and their instincts are different which they would be and avalon says this is just like when you killed that exactly. doctor in iraq and pyro's like you can't keep bringing that up it's been years and i was dead and this and that. like <laughs> that's when they have a two panel exchange about exactly. it exactly that establishes this story still happened and matters to them but we don't have time right now yep. for the 800 word fan fiction that you're imagining that is them having the conversation because unfortunately in the limitations of the medium, that's just not possible. They are in opposite roles right now. Avalanche, as of three panels I wrote, is working for the man. He works for yes. Abigail Brand right now. Yeah, who is like <laughs> the about man. as, yeah. yeah, she is and, the man, truly. And Pyro is like the pirate who's now on a book tour. Like, right. you can put them in direct opposition to each other pretty easily. And that would be the moment to do it. That would be the moment to then reference something in their past and just make it clear these two used to fuck best friends or a couple or whatever your approach is to the relationship. Fuck. They used to fuck raw. (laughs) 
And now they have beef. And yeah. then you end the story with them resolving their beef or fucking raw in a mm-hmm. sexy hate fuck way. But mm-hmm. either way, it's a new story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, the key. Yep. Arnel Limberry writes, Hello, Connor and esteemed Tony Oliveira. Bom dia. Tá bom. Where does Pyro party? Did he <laughs> and Avalanche meet during a chance encounter on Mykonos? Keeping it brief, obrigado, Arnel. Please, Arnel, for writing long fucking emails. Field XC on the Discord. Where do you think they did meet? Did they meet through the Brotherhood, or were they already working together when they came into the Brotherhood? Uh, that's, hmm. What is the order? As we've now established, Pyro was destiny. Was brought in by destiny. So I think that they met when they were both hired to be in the Brotherhood. And it was very Kiss of the Spider-Woman. We're both here in this, like, barracks. And I am going to suck your dick. That's the vibe. Yeah. Or I don't hate the idea that destiny rolled up and was like, hey, we're doing this thing. And he's like, cool. This I is just my met boyfriend. This fucking hot dude. Yeah. That could work too. Who rocks my world. And like, yeah, that could work. Oh, rocks it. If you like puns, wait till my 20 real housewives of Pyro. <laughs> Connor's eyes <laughs> spun like pinwheels. <laughs> too many. Adam Cullion writes Hi, gays. Red, esteemed Connor and Anthony. A very hard-hitting question on everyone's favorite mutant romance novelist. Where do you think Sinjin falls on the gay position alignment chart? I tend to get very submissive top vibes from him with Avalanche just rocking his world from below. Perhaps he's not very picky and is more of a go-with-the-flow verse. Thoughts? Happy Pride, Adam <laughs> Cullion, Alolan Seal on the Discord. I think, as I said, that he gave me bottom vibes pre-resurrection and now gives me lazy top vibes post-resurrection, but maybe that's just, you know... Um, Australians have a versatile energy. They do. Connor has a lot of opinions about Australians. Did you see Chris Hemsworth arch his back for that quokka? I sure did. Many a time. Every day. Sometimes even when I close my eyes. Um, (laughs) I think he... um, I mean, the man has an ascot and a... Like, we can't assume these things. I don't want to over... Well, no, Oscar Wilde was a top. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. Speaking for the blouse contingent, I think it's entirely possible that he is a femtop king. But I do feel like Avalanche is rough trade and that's part of their dynamic. That's also what I was... And Stonewall also is like... Yeah, like, and I'm obsessed with Colossus. Like, he doesn't realize that if he actually got in a bedroom with Colossus, Colossus is the bottom. That's the thing. I feel like he could switch it up if he had to. He could definitely be like, yeah, I can make this In an emergency. Exactly. And I get that. There are men where I'm like, you know what? Do whatever you want to me. Sure. We will make this work. He's also physically small, which tends to make certain demands of one, whether one has proclivities or not. Like, that's just the way it goes. He I'm said just going to let five, you keep six. going. Yeah. Keep, yeah. It's like, keep talking, <laughs> you little five, six bitch. But I do think he, I, there is something of like the... One thing about you being famous on the internet is people don't know that you're a teeny tiny little Ewok. Nah, I think they, I think my energy. They've figured it out. It's always funny when someone on the internet calls me daddy and I'm like, you have profoundly misread. You have really (laughs) misread. Clocked this situation wrong. Yeah. That is not what's happening in this Uh, forest moon of Endor. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> as I drum on this stormtrooper like, head. Yeah. Yeah, I know that song. You uh, actually you actually <laughs> your your apartment is still listed as Forest Moon of Endor. Is it on phone. your phone still? Mm-hmm. I haven't changed the paint in here since either. I I I'm I'm Also this is right not the paint it. of a <laughs> <laughs> this paint job is also not the paint job of a daddy. A daddy. Let's just let's say, yeah, yeah no, exactly. no, 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 no. He also would find like because of the period he is from in this weird Marvel Comics smear of time, like this overdetermination of type is also maybe something he would find a little strange in the eighties. You know, like you hook up and you do whatever that person's into, and it's like after it's done, you're like, "Well, that was weird." Like that was weird. We'll never see each other again. Goodbye. I got peed on, but whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's forearm down at the Wilson Street <laughs> forearm fair. <laughs> All right, Krakoa welcomes writes. This is the last hey. question, and then I'll let you do your fucking housewives. <laughs> You don't have to. I can keep no, going. No, I no, I want you to. <laughs> Krakoa welcomes writes. Let's talk erotic friend fiction. Who does mm. Pyro ship? Oh, that's interesting. That's cool because that would be how he thinks. Yes, and I think Pyro, because of his close association with Mystique and Destiny, is a lesbian ally, uh-huh. much like yep. myself. I think that when he finds out that Betsy and Rachel are doing it now, he's going to be thrilled. I think that he ships Kate and Emma. Oh, you think so? Read Marauders. He didn't know Kate as Kitty. He knows Kate now. I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, oh, wait, you know what? I'm misremembering the scene. I was going to say he saw her kiss that tattoo artist. No, he he didn't. didn't, That was a separate tattoo time. Different tattoo scene, yeah. Yeah. But I do think he's waiting for Kate to crack. Like, obviously, he sure, sure, right away, and was sure. Like, and then I think that he. I'm trying to remember who he's had his like who he's had his eye on for the longest amount of time. The he thing definitely is has <laughs> erotic fantasies about Bishop. I That's just don't the know thing. that there's like a ship. It's like Pyro the ship does exactly what we were just talking about. Pyro does the thing that someone didn't accuse us of, but like that the public would accuse us of. Like Pyro has the wildest fucking pulls. Like he's like, right. He's like, oh yeah. Like Cyclops and fucking like, he does want Iceman to fuck beast, you know, like there is. Yeah, no. Well, he has, he has a Google document where Banshee fucks Colossus. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And he has one anyway. They've never met. Have they on panel? They were on the giant size (laughs) team. It could have happened. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like he is, he's pulling the deep cuts where, you're like, I think he's a rare pairs enthusiast. Exactly. I think. A real yeah. crack shipper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But listen, like, oh, I mean, the obvious one is he's like been waiting for Xavier and Magneto to bone down. Well, <laughs> but duh. Right. <laughs> like, but yeah, no, but he's like, uh, he's a crack shipper. But like, listen, if you told me that Revanche and Scalp Hunter <laughs> would be the couple of the year, Jesus. Like, shit happens. Yeah. So, all right. Do your real housewives now. We're coming up on four and a half hours. We got to stop. Lube me up a little first. Jeez. You don't usually need that much. Oh, wow. Too much. Okay, I have a lot. Should I just do some? I have got. Yeah, go for it. Some of them are rough. Some of them are like not even funny. They're just like. Well, don't do the bad ones. Not. No, I mean like like the better to burn bright than fade away like that. I love is like a line. Sure, but do the funny ones. Sure. You You know what the people want. How did I survive apocalyptic fire? I didn't. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, You may be fire and life incarnate, but I'm a persistent burning sensation and I'm about to flare up. 
I rose from the ashes because you can't keep a good flamer down. I am a god among insects, and no one's ever going to tell me different. I didn't start the fire, but till this world turns, I'll keep it burning. Oh. <laughs> Long before Iceman, this flamer blazed the trail. Can't start a good fire without a few faggots. Sounds like... <laughs> <Jesus> <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like conflagrations are in order. Conflagrations, you are the winner of this week's challenge. That's Setting hearts good. and government buildings aflame. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, more like Fraternity X. Take it from me, oh, every brother. No! <laughs> no! Every, every, every brotherhood needs a party bottom. So fire so good. Reborn to reburn. All's fire in love and war. I can't create the fire, but I can control it, and no one can control me. I've been dead for 20 years. What's your excuse? Play with fire, expect to be burned. I flame to please, but cross me and I'll torch you a lesson you'll never forget. Oh, God. That's bad, honey. That's rough. Helping Avalanche get his rocks off since 1981. Okay, that's good. I, you got you to gotta end on a really strong one. I've got, I, I'm burning up centrist bureaucrats and the New York Times bestseller list. No. The Fraternity X one was so good that it's going to be hard to top it. Not that you're mm. much of a topper. If one more person tells me to put another shrimp on the Barbie, I'll light myself on fire. As a celebrated novelist, you can read my latest creation. As an internationally wanted terrorist, you can be my latest cremation? <laughs> okay, that's a little long for an opening sequence <laughs> yeah. on Real Housewives. Some call me flamboyant, but baby, I was burned this way. Okay. Oh, no. you calling it? That's the no, end? I'm calling oh. it. I'll give you a smolder to cry on. Oh. <laughs> well, Tony, is there anything else you'd like to say? I can't imagine what words are left to say. In either of our yeah. hearts or minds. So yeah. I will leave us there. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online Ooh. and plug anything you want to plug? Uh, I don't know when this drops. Uh, well, I'm on this I'm week. Me. Oh, okay. So you can read all of Young Avengers Paradox Lost on the Marvel Infinity app. One, two, three, four, five, and six. You can also read it on Tumblr, but please don't. Please. (laughs) (laughs) People people should do their best to read whatever they can, but uh, But it would be great if we could get it somewhere that the writer will get credit for it. Well, I just, I would love to see it in physical print. I would too. um, That would be nice, but who knows? Uh, And you can follow me on Twitter at Mia Koopa. You can follow me on most places at Mia Koopa. As someone mentioned, I have a podcast called The Devil's Party, where I read Christian literature through a queer scholarly lens. It's a lot of fun. We're in the middle of the Gospel of John. Sounds fun. (laughs) You bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it, I think. I think for now I will have a book out next year, but that's... so soon. But well, not I need to finish soon. editing it. So <laughs> yeah, well, you better get on that, babe. <laughs> Before FlameCon, I need to send a second draft. So, oh, and meet us there. Come to FlameCon. Oh, and meet us there. Come to FlameCon. Yeah. Tony and I are going to be at FlameCon doing our Abbott and Costello who used to yeah. fuck routine. <laughs> they used to fuck. Those two bone down. So, too. <laughs> they better have, or I'll be very disappointed. <laughs> Who's on first? I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> point is you should meet us there we are going to be there this month i am super super excited i'm doing that live show with jay edited on the 20th and amazing be great 
So, uh, yeah, come hang out. It's Demanda Martini is going to be my booth babe the whole weekend. Incredible. Which I'm super excited about. I'm stealing everything she's not wearing. Like if she She's bringing down... a Celine look. She's bringing wow. a Candy Southern look. She's bringing a Zaladane look. It's going to be... It's only two days. That's going to require some cost. You're going to stop by multiple Costume times. Costume changes, live yeah. shows. you got to keep stopping by for photo ops with Demanda. It's going to be great. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, et cetera, et cetera, at CerebroCast.com. For $5 a month, the House of Saladin tier at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast. You can get ad-free versions of every episode the second they go up, plus access to the exclusive Secret Files bonus episodes, including the weekly Claremont Marathon read-along where I do funny voices and commentary every week on one issue of the Chris Clement run. We're about to get into the Phoenix Saga, not the Dark Phoenix Saga, but the initial mm. Hear Me X-Men. I love a Macron moment. We're going to be firing Life Incarnate <laughs> any second. Next week's episode will feature cartoonist Daryl Ayo on Maria Caya Santos, Feral a really funny Rob Liefeld character <laughs> who has turned out to be gay. A lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> that, and, uh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> that slot machine keeps paying out. Kids. It just keeps, it's like <laughs> jackpot, gay again. Uh, <laughs> did you see the new character he created? Which one? Shatterstar, but a girl. Oh, I did. I did, I did see that, yeah. She's called Shatterstorm, and she's yeah. a lady Shatterstar. <laughs> Great. I wonder how many women she's fucked. I bet yeah. a lot. She, yeah, I, I guess. Now dance, spin your spirals. <laughs> anyway, the point, thank you as always for your support and for listening to celebrated New York Times featured podcast. L.B.G.Q. L.G.B.T.Q. Self-identified queer podcast. Cerebro. <laughs> thank you for having me, Mr. Goldsmith. Thank you for being had, Mr. Oliveira. Doctor, well, you know I like me. to be had. I know. Every which way that I can do it. Jesus. Um, uh, all right. Bye, everybody. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world.